Come on. Come on. For God's sake. Hello? Hiya, it's me. Me? Uh, Harry? Oh God, bloody hell, you've only been away for a couple of weeks. Right, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't care, I don't care about your holiday. Um, but right, we've got a bit of a problem. Well, uh, no, nobody's listening. Nobody. How many? Like 20, 29? All right. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm phoning. Yeah. Well, what about what about? All right, I've got an idea. Well, eh? Release the first book. The whole thing. Well, are you are you sure about that? Yeah, but people have. All right. Well. Okay, I suppose. Yeah, it, well, yeah, nobody, nobody's listening, so... What, well, yeah? Yeah, oh well. Alright then, well, I'll... Shall I edit it together and, and just chuck it out? Just the Green Death, yeah? Alright then. Yeah, well, well, to be fair, honestly, I think it, it's much better without you. Yeah, well, we said, didn't we? We thought it would be. You've just got one of those voices, haven't you? That's just... Ah, well. Yeah, it is what it is, isn't it, I suppose? Uh, all right, then. Well, I'll get that edited together I'll, and I'll uh, I'll chuck it out. All right, then. Yeah, yeah, I will do. Ta-ra, ta-ra. Well, hello, and welcome to Reading Club. It's not something we say often on the main... Uh, main podcast feed, but we've just been talking with Luke, remember him, and we've decided to release the whole reading of The Green Death to you lovely people here, in a bid to maybe get some more listeners, who goes. Um, so yeah, uh, this has been happening over on our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash WCCY, um, where weekly we record... A chapter from a Target book. Currently, we're nearing the end of the Five Doctors, um, so we thought to let you know what you're sort of missing out on. Uh, we'd just sort of compile the whole book into one nice big audio book and chuck it out here for you to have a listen to. So, yeah, we're probably not going to do this for the other ones. Uh, if we do, it probably won't be until sort of New Year when we release the next full book. Uh, just so it gives a chance for our patrons to listen to it and give their feedback and see what they think. So yeah, um, hope you enjoy. Here is Doctor Who, The Green Death. And welcome to our WCCY Patreon, Patreon exclusive spe- series. Special? special? Yeah. I don't know. Either way, greetings to everybody. Uh, this is a little taster if you're listening to this on the normal feed. If not, this is uh, 
You Hello, can, welcome to. You might have pledged for this. Anyway, uh, patreon.com forward slash WCCY. Now, before we get into the, what the episode is and we tell you what's going on, I'm going to just pass an implement over to my co-host. It's a razor. It is not a razor. It is Plastic a... Plastic razor. No. Box cutter. It is a ceramic blade cutter. Called Slice, but the letters S, L and E have been sliced about quarter way. I think to insinuate how effective this device is. It's a very effective blade. At now, slicing. What would you use a blade like that for? I would use this blade to slit wrists and cut boxes. Right. How do you like the idea of the second option? Yeah. I have a gift. It's a book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's just for you. To Harry Whitley. Oh, who's that from? <laughs> Hope you had a lovely... <laughs> Who puts two? Two. I don't know. On the address of the package, it's got two, Harry Whitley. Royal Mail have signed for it. They have, supposedly. Um, thanks, Harold. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> I always wanted a bit of cardboard. Now, I will say, just be careful. If you want to get in contact with them, please do send them some bombs. Send them something in the post. Now, I just say, be careful when using the slicer with it. Thanks for pledging to our Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com forward slash WCCY. It's only a pound a month. You don't have to do it, but if you do, you get... Thrilling stuff like this. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Rob. So far. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, thanks Rob. So far. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, thanks Rob. So far. Oh, good God! It's like watching a chimp. <laughs> oh. Why don't you just open it? <laughs> it's grassy inside. You see that? I think it's a grass seed box that's been repurposed oh, as packaging. Oh, I was going to say, because I thought it ruined it. I was like, mm. Careful, careful, careful. It's a picture of a lawnmower. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're very welcome. It... Here we go. It's um, a power base, 32 centimetre, 1200 watt electric rotary lawn mower. <laughs> now... <laughs> that's what the big guys use. Yeah. Now, its cutting width is 32 centimetres. Okay. It's cutting height? Approx. Uh, cutting height, <laughs> maximum or minimum? Both. Ma- the, what, what's it, lowest and highest? Yeah. The lowest it can cut. Is this in cent- millimetres. In millimetres. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. 10 mil? Oh, come on. What, higher? <laughs> yeah, don't, it's not that good. All right, okay, 50 mil. It's going to be 25. It's, be- it's better than that. It's 25, isn't it? It's, be- it's better than that. 15. It's not as good as that. 20. It is. Two. Still in mil? We're not going from mil to metres. Still in millimetres. <laughs> uh, I'd say 50. It's better than that. Better than that. 80. It's not as good as that, though. 60. Spot on. Beautiful. It's a 33 litre. Nice. Plenty of, plenty of range Twin in it, Twin turbo. <laughs> plenty of range in that lawnmower. <laughs> So we are. Well, thanks, Harold. Right, do you want to give me the box now? and uh... Two-year warranty as well. <whistles> Ooh, what else have we got? 
It's a black bag. <laughs> it's a body bag. Oh, it's a nice bag. Oh, it is a nice bag. It's thick, isn't oh, it? It's a nice bag. Oh, it's a very big bag. It's oh, a very... Jesus. <gasps> After unraveling the black bag that was in the cardboard box, I found a book. Uh, I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's an annual. It's the 1975 annual of Doctor Who. No, The Doctor Who. Starring John Pertwee as Doctor Who. And, um... I think I've just creamed. Is that for me to take home? Yes. Brilliant. I know just where to put it. <laughs> is it an... silver <laughs> and got a bag in it? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to put this in my own black bag at home. <laughs> for that man to come and pick up. You like that? Yeah. Look at that. So is this from 1974? It is. 75. But well, yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah most likely. likely. Brilliant. Well, there you go. Oh, thanks, Harold. You're very welcome. Yeah. So on the... What su- pushed you to get that for me? I just saw some old tat on eBay and thought of you. Mm. So there you go. Mm. Right. So on the subject of books, our new Patreon-exclusive series which is uh, patreon.com forward slash WCCY. Is that the after show again? Yeah. So, yeah, on the subject of books, um, it, uh, you know, this this is our Patreon exclusive, uh, patreon.com forward slash WCCY. For a pound a month... People are typing in there, how do I cancel? How to cancel <laughs> Patreon subscription. Uh, we are going to be delving into the world... Cancel not working. <laughs> You have to wait at least seven days. Can I cancel Patreon with my bank? (laughs) Unfortunately, no. The standing order will continue to be taken. Um, So we're going to be taking funded one pound. We're going to be taking a a dive into the world of the Doctor Who Target books. Target books. And we're going to be reading a chapter, maybe two chapters a week. Um, See how we get on. And we're going to talk as we go. And I thought it might be nice for you to experience the stories in a sort of more in-depth, exclusive way. By paying money for us to read a story badly. Which, to be honest, by the time we've read out the whole book, probably be cheaper for you just to buy Buy the book and do it yourself. (laughs) So... But you don't get access to that other exclusive content, such as short videos. (laughs) Behind-the-scenes content and more. All of that good fun. So, I have a few... And um, Harold's phone number. Exactly. It's on there, loud and proud. <laughs> so, I have a few um, uh, target books. Quite a, quite a lot of them were sent in by a listener. Mm. Uh, thank you. Mr. Day. Mr. Day. Thank you, Mr. Day. Say his name. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't say his name then. So, quite a few were sent in by Mr. Day, so thank you. I'm going to read you out the stories that I've got, and then we're going to make a decision and pick pick the book. Okay? Mordrin Undead. Yes. That's what we're doing next week oh. on the podcast, so we, we might skip that one. <laughs> that was a lively one, that one. It's a lively one. Uh, Doctor Who and the Planet of Evil. If any of these jump out, I Which shall put them in the profile. Uh, Tom Baker. No. Doctor Who and the Android Invasion. Mm, have you got a John Petweet one? Well, that's what we're going to get to. Doctor Who and the Ark in Space. Right. 
Are all these stories no. that have been filmed? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They all exist. Doctor Who and the Tomb of the Cybermen. That's a... The Crotons. <laughs> Doctor Who and the Cybermen. Doctor Who and the Green Death. God. Pertwee. There we go. Put that on the side. The Dominators. Sexy one, that one. The Invasion. The Gunfighters. We both did the pose. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. The Savages. Savages. The Smugglers. Doctor Who and the Robots of Death. Doctor Who, Death to the Daleks. Doctor Who and the Image of the Fendal. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who and the Cybermen. What's the title? Hang on, have I got... You've got two. I've got two of them. Would you like one? No. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Any listeners want... Uh, Doctor Who, The Curse of Paladon. Pertwee. Put that in the pile. Doctor Who and the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Doctor Who and the Invisible Enemy. Doctor Who, Fall to Doomsday. Doctor Who, Planet of Fire. Oh, and Doctor Who, Planet of the Daleks. What's the Target okay. book? Target was um, a company. <laughs> 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 Target. <laughs> Target were a book company. Wake up. Um, that print, that sort of novelised... Well, they didn't novelise. The writers... Normally, it's it's either Terence Dix or the writers of the story oh. would novelise the story. Mm. Like they do with films and games. Yeah, they you know, they novelise their own story mm. and put it in a little lovely book that sold for like 60p when it came out. In today's money, it's about 50 quid. I think they're like about five or each now. I'd say oh. something like that. I don't know. They're quite easy to find, though. You can, you know, there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of them. Well, there's all of the stories, pretty much. They think, are they not very good? Well, we'll find out. Um, what tickles you pickle out of all of those stories? Let's have a look at those two. The two, the two Pertwees. Oh, it's okay, a lot. That's it. Pass it here with my foot. <laughs> Uh, the Curse of Peladon, based on a Doctor Who adventure first broadcast in 1792. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who and the Green Death by Malcolm Hulk. We're doing that one. I like Hulk. Are you going to do Malcolm Hulk? Yeah. Okay. Are you going to read, read the blurb? The, the blurb. The Green Death begins slowly. Not that slowly. (laughs) In a small Welsh mining village, a man emerges from the disused colliery covered in a green fungus. Minutes later, he is dead. Unit, Joe Grant, and Doctor Who, in tow, arrive on the scene to investigate, but strangely reluctant to assist their (laughs) (laughs) inquiries in Doctor Stevens, director of the local refinery, Panorama chemicals. Are they in time to destroy the mysterious power which threatens them all before the whole village? And even the world is wiped out by a deadly swarm of green maggots? Question mark. 
distributed by... All right, we don't need all the bloody details. It was actually £1.50 in the UK, so you are full of absolute bollocks. Shite. Mm. Right, okay. So... Are you uh, reading? I think what we'll do is we'll read a page each. Mm. Okay? Mm. Here we go. Oh, illustration. Oh, pictures. Oh, the pictures. Settle down. <clears throat> Snuggle in. Get yourself a brew. Not now. She's already done that. Yeah, well, hang on. We'll wait. Don't pause. Here we go. Best reading voices Just now. Close your eyes. <coughs> Drift off to dreamland. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, snap out of Come it. Come on. Here we go. Doctor Who and the Green Death by Malcolm Hulk. <laughs> Based on the BBC. Here we go. Chapter one. I'm gonna do it like an audiobook. Okay. Doctor mm-hmm. Who. <laughs> it's always got terrible audio quality for some reason. Yeah. Doctor Who and the Green Death Ooh. by Malcolm Hulk. Cheers, Malcolm. Based on the BBC television serial by Robert Sloman by <laughs> arrangement with the BBC. Slowman. Robert Slowman. It's annoying, isn't it? Chapter One Wealth in Our Time. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Is that the start of the Bible? <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Yeah. I'm sure the listeners. Uh, thanks for pledging your pound to listen to this. If pledging. You pledging. <laughs> sledging. In his 40 years as a coal miner, Ted Hughes had never seen anything like it. Great. He stood in one of the deserted mine's main galleries, not believing his eyes. Mm. Dot, dot, dot. Llan Fairfach Colliery, in a mountainous part of Wales, had been closed for some time. No one in the village saw the sense of his, particularly the miners, who had spent their lives hewing coal from the pit. I've already lost where I am on the page. You're not supposed to break character. Oh, sorry. There was still ample coal down there, enough for another hundred years of mining, but government economists in London had proved it was better business to buy oil overseas than mine coal here in Britain. So, San Fairfax's coal mine had been closed and its miners put out of work. Yeah, you can say it. Yeah, I can say it, yeah. Haters gonna hate. But just in, just in case it should ever be needed again, a handful of old miners were kept to make monthly inspections. Today, it had been Ted Hughes's turn to put one of the traditional helmets with his miner's lamp... Put, oh, sorry, to put on and descend alone the 500 yards into the mine. Dot, dot, dot. Who wrote this? Malcolm Hook. <laughs> Sorry. Get <laughs> in the mic with a book. The inspection followed a set pattern. He walked along one gallery after another, checking the props that held up the roof, checking the water levels where water seeped in, pausing from time to time to listen. To what? Sometimes he would hear a faint creaking sound. (laughs) 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 
Sometimes he would hear a faint creaking sound. <laughs> <laughs> the mind talking as, <laughs> as he and his mates called it. If the sound was soft and gentle, like a... If the sound was soft and gentle, like a woman murmuring in sleep, what? the mine was safe. But if the sound was harsh and sharp, like this, for example, <laughs> it warned of danger. Oh, should I do the woman murmuring in her sleep? <laughs> it's Levine. <laughs> um, yeah, but if the sound was harsh and sharp, it warned of danger. And the possibility of a gallery roof collapsing. Oh. In his forty years as a miner, Ted had been known no, Ted had known four major roof collapses. Men had been crushed to death death or left. For dead. Trapped to die oh. of suffocation. <laughs> I'll stop there and you can read the next page. I want and Bet you're on the edge of your seat, aren't you? Patreon.com forward slash WCC. And the minor accidents. Chunks of rock falling from the roof, breaking an arm or leg. Injuries which left a man crippled for life were too numerous to remember. Yeah. After two hours of walking the galleries and checking the props, Ted sat down for ten minute break. He had a thermos flask and tea and some cheese sandwiches that his wife had made for him. As he poured himself some tea, the old sadness came over him. He He looked up and down the section of galley. (laughs) He looked up... It's the first time I've read in two years. Um, He looked up and down the section of gallery where he was sitting thinking back on the old times when the mine had been worked and was full of his friends. <laughs> Who wrote this? Malcolm. <laughs> there was no one to talk to now. There was no one to talk to now. Economists in London had made a calculation. And the fr- Why am I reading like feedback? <laughs> I like this story. Oh. <laughs> Right. Economists in London had made a calculation, and the friend Lee World of Ted Hughes had been. <laughs> I know you do that on Who's his friend Lee? <laughs> and the friendly world of Ted Hughes had been brought to an end. Hmm. Hmm. He finished his sandwiches and was just about to start on the next part of the inspection. When he noticed the green, phosphorescent glow, <laughs> it was coming from the far end of the gallery. What? What is the gallery? A gallery. It's like a, an open bit of a mine, like a sort to of to see the open bit of the mine. Then <laughs> the open bit of the mine. <laughs> there is no natural light in a mine. The only <laughs> it's not a children's book, is it? <laughs> the only light is artificial and comes either from bulbs along the galleries or the lamps on the helmets in the miners. Ted's first reaction, therefore, was that he was no longer alone. Hello? Oh, no. Hello! He called. Who's down there? Who's down there? Pleased the prospect of human company, 
cock, cock. He walked down <laughs> the gallery and saw a big throbbing. <laughs> it was green and pulsing towards the green glow. No. He walked down the gallery towards the green glow. Then it struck him as odd that anyone should... What? With a club? (laughs) (laughs) Then it it struck him as odd that anyone should bring a green light into a coal mine. (coughs) Hello? He called again, pausing this time. Who's down there? Different man. Again, no answer. <laughs> the man, the different man called back. <laughs> Who are you? Again, no answer. But this time, a faint bowling sound. Ted hurried forward. He still could not see the source of the light. It was apparently round a corner of the gallery, and he was eager to know what caused it. If any, they don't do that in audiobooks, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Big finish coming soon to big fi- finish. <laughs> if, if anyone had been given permission to come down into the mine, Ted should have been told. But he oh, he's could, one of them, is he? But he couldn't think of a reason why anyone would want to. A rudu dudu. It'd be nice to have a copy for the Cyberman one. What? We've got two. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like in school, hand them all out. Have you forgot your book? Sake. <laughs> I want it back at the end of the lesson, you little shit. Miss, you got a cupboard full of them. What's, the, what's, the, what's the problem here? <laughs> I never got that. The cupboard is, is full. Loads. You've got way too many. And miss, you do it every year. Surely you can recite the whole fucker. We don't need to read it. Just give us the gist. Just <laughs> <laughs> give us the gist. <laughs> is there a film of it? Or... Oh, God. An inspector calls. Give us the gist. I love that. When you're reading the book and they've done a film of it and you're yeah. open like, oh, today just... we're going to yeah, watch the film it, and see, uh, anyway, see what's changed. Finally, Ted reached the corner of the gallery and then he saw it. Mm. Green glowing sludge was pouring in from a crack in the roof, cascading down a wall and forming a pool on the floor. Nice. Big finish getting the run for their money here, aren't they? The pool of sludge was already two or three inches thick in some places, and it bubbled as though alive. Ted... It is bubbling as well, isn't it? Ted Ted moved forward cautiously. Instinctively, he wanted to touch it. (laughs) Why? I don't know. But common sense told him to keep his distance. He backed away. Then, as he turned to go, a crack appeared in the ceiling above him. <laughs> it wasn't Amy's crack, was it? Day. Size of that. He looked Look up. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> he looked up in time to see green sludge start to pour through from above. Before he had time to jump out of the way, a droplet of sludge landed on his left trouser leg. Without thinking, he dropped his kex, whipped it at... No, without thinking... (laughs) Malcolm? Without thinking, he tried to brush it off. The sludge stuck to his fingers, and he could feel it bite into the skin. He (laughs) He rubbed them against a rocky wall of the mine. The surplus sludge went from his fingers onto the wall, but the parts of his fingers that had touched the sludge... Nice. Now glowed green. He raced along the gallery towards... It's not that kind of book. It's not right, okay. He raced along the gallery towards the mine lift shaft. When he got in the lift, 
panting for breath. <laughs> Thank you. He looked at his fingers in horror. <laughs> the whole of his hand was now glowing bright green. <laughs> he fell into the colliery lift, lift, slammed the gates and pulled the lever that would hurtle him the 500 yards up to the surface. Are you dead? No, no. Oh. <laughs> While the village of Llanfairfach had lost its coal mine, it had gained panorama chemicals. This was a new industry. I'll try those words again. This was a new industry in the village with a small oil refinery, very modern office buildings, an imposing and an imposing set of gates and high fences to keep out intruders. A large number of villagers were gathered outside the main gates when Dr. Thomas Stevens, managing director of Panorama Chemicals, <laughs> arrived in his big, black, chauffeur-driven car. <laughs> As the gates opened to admit the car, angry fists waved at Dr. Stevens and a number... Jesus Christ, you little piece of shit! Oh, sorry. Pipe down now. Angry fists waved at Dr. Stevens, and a number of posters were held out in front of him. They read, Free! Free Wales. Yes. Not two. Three of them. English out. That's what the signs read. Yes, Cumbry. Jobs for coal miners. The elegantly dressed Dr. Stevens smiled back at everyone through the glass windows at his last. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go. Go in, and I just give up. <laughs> the elegantly dressed Doctor Stevens smiled back at everyone through the glass windows. <laughs> oh, oh, fucking hell! The elegantly dressed Doctor Stevens smiled back at everyone through the glass windows of his vast limousine, and the car glided forward to the front <laughs> entrance of the main <laughs> administration block. Mark Elgin the company's public relations officer, was standing there to greet Dr. Stevens. Hello, Doctor. That's not in the book. Elgin <laughs> opened the car's door and Dr. Stevens stepped out. Yeah. Didn't get shot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, sir, said Elgin. What's the news? It's all good. It's all good, said Dr. Stevens. <laughs> Then he gestured to the crowd on the other side of the main gate. How long has this been going on? Oh, Dr. Stevens says that. How long has this been going on? Since early this morning, <laughs> said Elgin. <laughs> the usual unemployed layabouts. Elgin came from a working class background himself. <laughs> <laughs> but through being bright, uh, but through being bright at examinations, had gone to university and now considered himself superior to others less fortunate. Mm, it's one of them. So everyone who goes to uni, <laughs> Doctor Stevens, who was feeling in a slightly more benevolent mood. Big Ooh. word, Malcolm. Big word. Calm down, Malcolm. <laughs> Put on. It's <laughs> an audio book. Big M. <laughs> Big up, Hulky. Um, don't know where I am. <laughs> <coughs> oh. 
Dr. Stevens, who was feeling in a slightly more benevolent mood, put on a show of concern for the people crowded on the other side of the gate. But what's the worrying thing then this time? Yes. Gets him English isn't his first language. I suppose so. No, they both they didn't speak like that. I suppose they don't know who's speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Everybody talks like that, yeah. even though they're in South Wales. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived round here all my life. Well, what's the worrying them this time? He asked. <laughs> he, he asked. I suppose, sir," said Elgin. They want to know what is going to happen. <laughs> in that case, replied Doctor <laughs> Stevens, "I shall tell them." He went forward to the gate so that the people could hear him and waved a piece of paper at them. I have here in my hand, he said slowly and loudly, a paper. Is this set in Emmerdale? (laughs) A paper, which will mean a great deal to you. He paused for dramatic effect. (laughs) Then called out, wealth in our time. A small cheer went up. Uh, (laughs) A small cheer went up from some members of the village crowd. (laughs) Dr. Stevens took a couple of steps nearer to the gates. Of course we will all regret that the National Golf Board closed down the mine, he said, not regretting it at all himself, but not knowing (laughs) this. Malcolm, (laughs) fucking hell, you full stops, mate. (laughs) Did you fall asleep writing that sentence, Malcolm? I'll finish it off in the morning. (laughs) Just forgot to put it there. Of course, we all regret that the National Coal Board closed down the mine, he said, not regretting it at all himself, but knowing this would please his (laughs) listeners. But we must not be bitter. It must be nice to please your listeners. (laughs) We have to face facts. Coal is a dying industry. Oil is our future now. And the government agrees with me. <clears throat> right, I need to just figure out the voice. Is he still speaking at this point? I think so. I just assumed he was. <laughs> okay, okay. They have not only given us the go-ahead for our plans, they've promised us money for expansion. I have it here in black and white. He waved the paper again. Actually, it was the menu from the hotel where he had stopped after. <laughs> but he knew no one could get near enough to read it. Look. (laughs) He really did have a letter from the government in his briefcase, in his car, but he couldn't be bothered to fetch it. This means money for all of us. More (laughs) More jobs, more houses, more cars. A tall man shouted something in Welsh. He had a head of black hair, blue jeans and a polo neck sweater, and stood out from the crowd. That's you. Do, yeah, he he looked big. huge. <laughs> Dr. Stevens smiled, as he'd never been taught to smile in his minor public school. Who? Dr. Stevens. Oh, when he couldn't them. understand something. I'm terribly sorry, he said, but I haven't mastered your language yet. Oh, brilliant. He isn't Welsh. I haven't managed mastered your language yet. No, he isn't, is he? In the green death, no. He is in this one. Then I'll repeat it. Oh, shit. Dr. Steve. Oh, no, sorry. No. Oh, right. oh I, no. I'm terribly sorry. Right, out of the options. I'm terribly sorry, he said. I haven't mastered your language yet. You can't change uh, the language. The accent. No, this is Dr. Stevens now. 
Yeah, I did his voice as well. Did it sound the same? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, did I? No, yeah. I d- no, you haven't done Who's Dr. Stevens yet, have you? It was him and someone else, wasn't it, before? Oh, it must be. Dr. Stephen Smart. Yeah, okay. All right, okay. I'm terribly sorry. I'm, I'm, ter- I'm terribly... <laughs> it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> I- I'm terribly sorry, he said, but I haven't mastered your language yet. Then I'll repeat it in English, sh- shouted, the- shouted the young shouted. man. Shouted the young man. Sorry. Then I'll repeat it in English, shouted the young man. What you're offering... He doesn't means- sound young. <laughs> what you're offering means more muck, more devastation, and more death. Elgin sidled up beside Dr. Stevens and spoke quietly. That's Professor Jones. He's a travel maker. <laughs> he said quietly. <laughs> if he's Professor Jones, said Dr. Stevens... He's also a Nobel Prize winner. Dr. St- oh, sorry. Dr. Stevens was always impressed with success because he was a snob. I don't know. What was your voice? Do your voice. I need to read it. <laughs> because of the Nobel Prize in it. Norbell. Norbell, right. <laughs> Lupari. Yeah, that, that, just, yeah. <laughs> Because of the Nobel Prize, said Elgin, he gets his name in the newspapers a lot. I suggest, sir, you go easy with him. <laughs> Dr. Stevens nodded, then Royce raised his voice again to the crowd. It seems that some of you do not agree with my vision of the future, but there are always you... Who resists progress? <laughs> Dr. Stevens collapsed of an asthma attack in front of the crowd. You call it progress, shouted Professor Jones. Anthony Hopkins' brother. He turned to the villagers. <laughs> <laughs> Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage, rage against the day of the light. He turned to the villagers. Don't listen to them. He's only interested in fatter profits, per panorama chemicals at the end of the expense of your land, and the air you breathe, and the health of your kids. Di Evans, one of the older villagers, spoke up. It's all right for you, he shouted. To the, sorry, it's all right for you, he shouted at the young professor. You can't afford to live the way you want to. We need jobs. We need to. We, need, we don't want to live on nuts. What? It says we do not want to live on nuts. We don't want to live on nuts. Jesus Christ! The crowd laughed. <laughs> In Llan Fairfach, young Professor Jones, hmm? in Llan Fairfach, <laughs> You have to do that every time you say it. In Llan Fairfach, young Professor Jones was respected. Oh, hang on, I'm on the, I'm on the other page. <laughs> Just kept going. In Llan Fairfach, young Professor Jones... <laughs> was respected but not accepted. To be accepted, you had to have three generations of dead behind you in the village graveyard. Above all, both you and they had to be minors. Professor Clifford Jones had come to the village only two years ago. He and some friends had bought a big old house. (laughs) Big old cow. (laughs) So Professor Jones is Welsh, 
Stevens and Engin, uh, Luke Parry, Luke Parry, and uh, Paul Mar- Okay, <laughs> I don't know who these people are. He and some friends had bought a big old house where they set up the whole wheel community. They lived together communally, refused to own motor cars, and would eat Mm. only natural foods. Naturists. Thus, they carried out a living protest against pollution. No. Protest? Thus, they carried out a living protest against pollution (laughs) and the destruction by industry of our natural environment. The villagers... Do you you think it's going to be... Oh, it's the chapter. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the villagers recognised the good in- intentions and <laughs> the villagers recognised the good intentions of the whole wheel community but couldn't help joking about them the house was known locally as the nut hatch because the whole wheelers were believed to eat nuts instead of meat meat Professor Jones went red in the face at Di Evans' remark. He earnestly wanted to help the villagers, to help everybody, and it threw him off his stroke when they were too ignorant to understand him. He replied in a stream of Welsh. Morgan the milkman cut in sharply. For goodness sake, man, stop talking Welsh with that stupid Cardiff accent. Is that what the world milkman says? Well, it's, do you want to say it in an accent that's not yours? For goodness sake, man. Nice. For goodness <coughs> sake, man. <laughs> For goodness sake, man. Stop talking Welsh with that stupid Cardiff <laughs> accent. Said you, the Dutch milkman. <laughs> you only learnt it out of book. It's not thick. <laughs> you know half of... <laughs> it's going down Schwarzenegger now. You know half. No. You don't know the half. You, know half. you don't know the half of it. You know half of us have forgotten how to speak it. Forgotten. <laughs> You're right, Arnold. Are you having a stroke? Then more's the pity, said Professor Jones. How does Professor Jones speak? Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Then more's the pity. <laughs> what? Say it. What? What was the line? Then more's the pity. Then more's the pity. Then more's the pity said Professor Jones. He turned to Di Evans. I'm surprised with you, Di Evans. Of course, you need a job. I'm surprised with you, Di Evans. Of course, you need a job. It's every man's right to have work. It's every man's right to have work. But there should be a coal mine for you to work in. But there should be a coal mine for you to work in. Not a chemicals factory. Not a chemicals factory. Exclamation point. Ah! I'm facing facts, replied Di Evans. No. I'm facing facts, replied Di Evans. Is he not the... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The government says coal is finished. It's oil now. Professor Jones asked, were you facing facts when you went on strike for seven months? Were you facing facts when you went on strike for seven months? You're not real FBI, are you? Di Evans blushed. <laughs> you ain't Nivea skin cream, but not today. Di Evans blushed and everyone went quiet. I don't wear Nivea, I promise you, boss. <laughs> just E45 in the morning, just, you know, check. <laughs> come, come, Mr. Bond, you both know he was joking. <laughs> come, 
Come, come, Mr. Bond, you drive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Die Evans, sir. Said Die Evans, blushing as everyone went quiet. <laughs> He's off again. Come, come, Mr. Bond. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you drive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Die Evans blushed and everyone went Blush. quiet. The memory of the general strike in 1926 was still with many of them. Mm. For seven bitter months, the coal miners had remained on strike until fairly, finally, they were (laughs) defecating. They weren't defecated. They were defeated because they had no food. I was only a boy in those days, said Di Evans, (laughs) quietly remembering, remembering the humiliation of the miners' defeat. Although sometimes you've just got to give in. Lupari. Lupari. <laughs> I learned sometimes you've just got to give in. Dan Lewis. Even if it means you're being exploited, asked Professor Jones. Who said this bit? No. The workers have always had bosses, said Di Evans. People who live off our backs. Lupari. So, Lupari. People who... No Michael Caine in there. Lupari. No Michael Caine. Right, Lupari. All right, okay. No, stop. Don't do that. Right, okay. People who have lived off our backs, so we might as well accept that. <coughs> it's all right for you to tell us what to do, boy or with your university education. <coughs> Catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you see. If you see it, say it. If you don't, but, you don't. <laughs> if you haven't got a fucking clue, you haven't got a fucking clue. But, but we, but we're Luke Perry. But we're simple people, and none of us have, and none of us has got himself tens of thousands of pounds winning a Nobel Prize. Di Evans stopped mid-sentence. From the direction of the mine, they could all hear the wail of the pithead siren. Mm. There's one from Aliens, guys, annoying. (laughs) Oh, it's not that. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause in the reading. The the mine that's down the road from here, up until about ten years ago, they used to keep checking like the um, yeah, it's horrible. It's like an air raid siren. Thought Mossad were like coming over every time it used to go off. Sunday mornings, eleven o'clock. Horrible. Yeah, well, uh, Why did he stop? Exploded, did it? <laughs> it just went bang. So yeah, Di yeah. Evans. Uh, they heard. They heard the uh, the pit head siren. It could only mean one thing: <laughs> a disaster in the mine. Without another thought, the crowd of villagers turned and ran up towards the closed mine. There's no one down there," said Professor Jones as he ran beside Di Evans. How can they? How what? How can there be an accident? Uh, okay, Lupari. There was te- t- there was Ted Hughes went down there for an ex- inspection this morning. Di Evans answered, panting to keep. Oh, sorry. There was there was Ted Hughes down. Lupari. There were te- there was Ted Hughes who went down for an inspection this morning. <laughs> Di Evans answered, panting to keep up with the young man. The first villager to reach the, reach the mine was Bert Pritchard, in his 50s, but lithe and wiry like a whippet. He went straight to the pit head office, 
Whoever had pulled the siren lever must be in there. He came out at once, his face white and his hands raised to the crowd. Maybe the professor should come in here. <laughs> he shouted. <laughs> maybe, maybe the professor should come in here. He shouted. He might be able to understand it. Professor Jones pushed his way forward. What is it? See for yourself, said Burke Pritchard. <laughs> Burke? Burke Pritchard. <laughs> See for yourself, you prick, said Burke Pritchard. Professor Jones entered the office, followed by Di Evans and Burke Pritchard and Ted Hughes were now. seated by them. <laughs> Ted Hughes was seated there, his hands still on the siren lever as he'd pulled it. By his stillness and staring eyes, they knew he was dead. Mm. His hands and face and neck were glowing bright. And toes, green. and tongue, and, f- and eyes, and his and ass. Nipples. His ass was throbbing bright green. Like spinning a hose. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> And there is chapter one of The Green Death. What's chapter two called? Chapter two is called The Doctor Plans a Holiday. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to join us for chapter two, don't go on the web and search for it. You need to sign up on Patreon and you need to give us a pound. We'll give you some content. Give us a pound a month. We'll do these every week. Uh, So, yeah, there's chapter one. Or we'll give you some content. You give us a pound. Done. to another uh, chapter in the book uh, Doctor Who and the Green Death. This is a WCCY Patreon exclusive and you are hearing this because you are a absolute chum. Now... Oh, you're an absolute chum. I'll <laughs> <laughs> give you a good kiss there. <laughs> nice um, big one as well. Of course, you've listened to chapter one. Now we're on chapter two. Aye. Uh, nothing's changed. It's aye, same, aye, aye. It's the same day where we are and... Uh, yeah, Green Death, Chapter 2. Here we go. Hold tight. I'm Luke. I'm Harold. But you already knew that. Here we go. Chapter 2. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harold. The Doctor plans a holiday. In the Doctor's <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> and we're back. Right, Chapter 2. You want it? Yep. The Doctor plans a holiday. In the doctor's laboratory at the unit, unit head, headquarters, Joe, Joe was reading, reading the morning, morning newspaper. Stop. <laughs> Eating an apple and occasionally looking up to see what the doctor was doing. The door of the TARDIS was open, and a doctor kept popping in and out, making adjustments to an electrical circuit unit. <laughs> More valid in there. After a while, Joe asked, "What's he trying to?" Now, I've got it written as, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? (laughs) Or that, that's fine. The doctor, about to enter, the TARDIS again, paused. I'm not trying... I can't do it. Of course, you're valve. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm doing it. (laughs) Great, said Joe. But what is it? Wearing the TARDIS to travel to Metabelia 3. He Joe. said, wiping spit off the screen. <laughs> Joe asked. Four. What we could do with a little holiday? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Said the doctor. 
particularly beautiful plant. It's in blue. And it's sad. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> if you're needed here. That's you. Have you asked the brigadier's permission to take leave? No. <laughs> Said the doctor. I'm a fighting advisor, not a clerk. I'm free to go as I come as I please. Provided you can make the TARDIS actually go anywhere. <laughs> Retorted Joe. Retorted Joe. It's been mean. Can't say that anymore, can you? Malcolm. <laughs> You're so retorted, Joe. Joe. Oh, you know, Joe. Retorted <laughs> Joe. <laughs> <laughs> The doctor looked quite. Can help. Big word. This. No, you be careful. all over me now. I'll get it. The doctor looked quite affronted. I admit, no. See. Oh, sorry. It did be occasional problems, but this time it should be complete control. Let it be a I've always wanted to show you. <laughs> but Joe wasn't listening. Something in the newspaper had caught her eye. Listen to this. She said. Indiligently, and read from the newspaper. Ministry has at last given the green light. The ministry's at last given the lights to Panorama Chemicals. The ministry has at last given the green light to Panorama Chemicals. Doctor completely misunderstood Joe's sudden interruption as a lewd comment. I <laughs> Now, Joe touched his throat. The, do- <laughs> <laughs> the throbbing whistle. <laughs> the completely misunderstood Joe's sudden interruption of his train of thought. Is this the doctor? Yeah. Green light. He said. Blue light. The sky is blue. The ground is blue. Even there's some blood. Fucking blue, blue sky in the sky. Joe was equally absorbed. <laughs> Listen to this bit, she said, and read from the newspaper again. Common sense has triumphed at last. She threw down. I didn't know she was from Merseyside. Threw down the paper. The government realised the pollution that will be caused if panorama chemicals go ahead. Also, no. Also. The doctor went on. Well, it is all fucking sapphires. I hope they fucking get hold on, Joe. <laughs> you listen to me? Asked Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You're a fucking tangent. Said the doctor. <laughs> I'm going to do more than that, said Joe. I'm going to go off at a... Well... I mean, I'm going to pack a suitcase. That's a fucking good idea. Approved the doctor. I should have the TARDIS better leave the two The TARDIS? Said Joe. Oh, no, I mean that. No. Wait, what? Oh, Who's this now? Me again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm going to this place in Wales. Fair fuck. <laughs> you didn't do it. <laughs> the doctor looked astounded. What am I fucking for? <laughs> Why don't you read the newspaper sometimes? Said Joe, making for the door. Then you'd know what for. She stormed out. The doctor carefully put down the electrocon... The doctor... 
The doctor... The doctor carefully put down the electrical circuit unit and picked up the discarded newspaper. He was just beginning to read about the government's decision to support panorama chemicals when the <laughs> brigadier came in. Morning, Doctor. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, not you again. He called cheerfully. Reading the newspaper, and I see. Have they fucking observed of you? Said the Doctor. Well, <laughs> said the Brigadier. I've got a very interesting little job for you. Chapman Wales came from up mine, glowing bright green. I think you might be able to find out why. Why, why what? Asked the doctor. Why is glowing bright green? Said the brigadier. Bit odd, don't you think? <laughs> it's a bit odd, don't you think? <laughs> whispering in his ear. It's a little bit odd, don't you think, doctor? <laughs> Brigadier, why are you incessantly whispering in my ear? Just a little bit odd, don't you think? I just doctor? think it's a bit queer, if you know what I mean. I fully understand. Now where's that old you get just as much Joe? Come, come, Brigadier, you get just as much pleasure yeah. from doing as I do. The retorted one. <laughs> She's just gone to buy a suitcase. <laughs> Have anyone tried asking him? Said the doctor. The brigadier put on his solemn expression. I love that in school. When everyone knows it's you're up next. What are you stalling for? <laughs> the brigadier put on his solemn expression, reserved for state occasions and military funerals. The poor... Oh, no, it's you. The poor fellow is dead. Surely that's something for the police, said the doctor. We're not policemen. Oh, it could be. A, oh, all right, it's Bert. We're not policemen," <laughs> said Bert. No, it's still the doctor. All right, okay. We're not policemen. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> the, the brigadier lowered his voice, even though no one could possibly be listening to the conversation. Between you and me. <laughs> no, it, was, oh, it was already really quiet. Between you and me, Doctor, there's maybe international implications, possibly of sabotaging Panorama's chemicals. Ooh. It's all like... It's all I keep hearing about this morning, protest, protested the Doctor. This firm called Panorama Chemicals. <laughs> Big stuff, said the Brigadier. Important connections at high level. You know what I mean? Unit's <laughs> duty is to protect them. That's my duty, Doctor. Then do your duty, Brigadier, said the Doctor. Play at being policeman if you fucking wish. Joe entered <laughs> wearing a massive raincoat and carrying a small suitcase. I think I left my newspaper, she said. Where are you all off to? Asked the Brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you off to? Said the Brigadier, glacially slow. That's a joke. That's you. Answered Joe, taking her newspaper from the doctor. My dear young woman, said the brigadier, may I remind you, say you, I remember, 
of a unit. No, no, no. <laughs> and I have just received orders to protect Panorama Chemicale. <laughs> Panorama Chemicale. <laughs> Kamikaze Panorama Chemicale. Then you better issue an order for my arrest. <laughs> Joe cut in. Fling me into a dungeon. Have me call marshaled. She made for the door. The brigadier turned the brigadier to the doctor. turned to the doctor for help. Doctor, this but, is the brigadier now. Have I got to do the brigadier? No, now? you're doing doctor. Now. Please. Oh, let's just read a page each. It's really annoying. I can't keep up. Keep going. You read this page. I'll read the next one. But the characters. No, oh, it's all right. Doctor, please tell her she must remain here. Go on, do your pervy. She no, no. works for you. <laughs> Said Gollum. <laughs> she works for you. Said the doctor. Not <laughs> <laughs> me. Can't do the doctor. Files, files. She works for you. Said the doctor. No, not the narrator. She works for you. Said the doctor. She works for you. Said the doctor. That's me. The brigadier appealed to Joe. Miss Grant! No. No. <laughs> Miss Grant, you could at least explain what you had in mind. I told, she said, but I don't think you would understand. Our stupid government has told Panorama Kemikale that you can go ahead with the plan, their plans, to try and manufacture oil artificially. The result could be in universal population. Population <laughs> could be universal pollution. There's a man called Professor Clifford Jones who's fighting against Panorama Kamikaze. <laughs> he needs all the support he can get, so I'm going to help him. I've heard of that man," said the brigadier. He's an impractical dreamer. Joe tucked the newspaper neatly under her arm, ready to go. So, sir. Were Jesus of Nazareth, Christopher Columbus, and Macaroni? (laughs) (laughs) The brigadier studied Joe for a moment, then smiled with absolute euphoria. Horniness. The the brigadier, now sporting a throbber. (laughs) (laughs) A throbber. (laughs) Decided to engage himself in the pleasures of the palm. He introduced Robert to his all five fingers. <laughs> oh, well, perhaps we can discuss this on the way. What do you mean, sir? I have to go there too, said the brigadier. But first, I mean, to... <laughs> my mission is rather different from yours. But you could at least accept a fist. <laughs> you could He's... at least accept a fist. He turned back to the doctor. I hope you will be coming along as well, Doctor. The Doctor was preoccupied with his electrical circuit unit. Sorry, Brigadier. I'm not surprised, Mom. I have gone to the definition. Miss Grant will can explain to you with little John fucking George. I see. Georgie, Georgie, little fucking Georgie. I see. The Brigadier's face was grim. He was not used to his orders being disobeyed. He returns to his attention to Joe. No, he returned to his... No, he returned his attention to Joe. Well, I mean, Miss Little Grant, 
I'll meet you in the car park in 10 minutes, if you know what I mean. You, he talked out. So, he <laughs> talked out. He, he talked out. <laughs> he bashed one out. <laughs> Ignore, in the car park. Ignoring the doctor. Tell me, said the doctor. Why did he go to this place? <laughs> because, no. Because I've read so much about Professor Jones. He's fighting for everything that's important. The sort... Of things you've always fought for. Joe paused. In a, in a way, he reminds me of. Hey, well. Are you just carrying on reading? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, it's a long chapter, this, isn't it? I don't know where the flash is always shouted, said the doctor, smiling. I don't know where Like Wilfred Bramble. I don't know whether it's a real flattered or, or insulted. Harold, said the doctor, smiling. But don't worry, I do understand. It's the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> but don't worry. Oh, fuck. But, of course. But don't worry, I do understand. He moved over to the TARDIS. I hope he lives up to your expectation. Doctor? No. Doctor? Said Joe, suddenly apprehensive. You will... Be coming back from... As <laughs> she caressed her nipple. <laughs> you will be coming back from this metabelius place. <laughs> Encouraging a growth in her nipple. Yeah. <laughs> as, it, as it extended. <laughs> Encouraging. <laughs> no. Encu- encouraging somewhat of a mirror image in Pertwee's throbbing velvet pants. <laughs> after after Everything I- hardened. <laughs> Pertwee's personal pipe began to stiffen. (laughs) Personal pipe. (laughs) Like one of those, um, one of those twisty hose pipes that they sell at the garage. You know, that like extends up to a hundred foot. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. After I've had a good little holiday, he said. Sure, you wouldn't like to come along. According to the Time Lord, <laughs> according to the Time Lord files, there are no monsters, only a few friendly animals. The weather is fine, and the beautiful blue flowers. She shook her head, not knowing what the doctor had just said. <laughs> my my place is on Earth, Doctor. My place is on Earth, Doctor. Have a good trip. The Doctor entered the TARDIS, or the T-A-R-D-I-S, then looked out from the door. Tell the bigger they are, followers and well better. <laughs> Joe beamed. <laughs> That's marvellous. But the Doctor had already closed the door. Almost immediately, Joe heard the sound of the TARDIS dematerialising. Joe beamed. Oh, Joe beamed. That's marvellous. But the doctor had already closed the door. Oh, yeah, okay. TARDIS dematerialising, like the trumpeting of a thousand wild elephants. <laughs> then, as she watched, the battered old police box slowly disappeared. Right, I'm sorry, Malcolm. No. Yeah, Malcolm, but that's not how the TARDIS sounds. I like it, though. <laughs> you mean you keep rubbing it against that? Yeah. <laughs> Two million like with, like with, 
two million light years away on a little planet called Metabelius 3, slowly orbited its huge blue sun. No space traveller had landed there in 300,000 years since a lone Time Lord stayed for a few hours and wrote up a report that was later filed by the Time Lords. Mm -hmm. The silence of the Valley of Blue Rock was suddenly broke by the arrival of the TARDIS. Using hyperdrive, passing through time and space, the TARDIS had travelled the two million light years in nil time. Inside the TARDIS, the Doctor made his usual checks of external atmosphere, gravity, and the possible presence of harmful radiation. The dials and the meters on his console... So that this is your baby now. I'd, uh, now, I'm only halfway through the page. Now, uh, you're on a different page. Okay. So, I'm just going to go ahead. You keep going. Because it's the last page of the chapter. Oh, is it? Yeah. So it is. The dials and meters of his console... Pr- 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 See you next week. The dials and the meters of his console proved that in the previous 300,000 years, nothing had changed. Metabelius 3... You read that like chills. (laughs) Metabelius 3 was as safe and inviting as it has always been. (laughs) Through a monitor screen set over the console, the doctor was able to look out the the valley. (laughs) Oh, the dials and meters on his console proved that in the previous 300,000 years, nothing had changed. Metabelius 3 3 was as safe and inviting as it had always been. Through a monitor screen set over the console, the doctor was able to look out into the fucking valley. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor was able to look out into the fucking valley. (laughs) He saw a bed of huge blue flowers growing quite close to where the TARDIS had landed. A bright blue butterfly had just settled on one of his... <laughs> flowers. That's a big butterfly coming one in. One of the flowers. Looking forward to his holiday on the little planet, the Doctor opened the door and stepped out. His particular quest was to find the blue sapphires for which the planet was famous. Mm. These, according to the Time Lord's files... We're at the top of the mountain, not far from this particular valley. <laughs> he closed the door of the TARDIS behind him, locked it, and pocketed the key. Then, he strode over to take a closer look at the flowers and the butterfly. Unzipping. <laughs> Releasing. <laughs> As the doctor approached the flowers, they turned their heads towards him. As through it grew, no, as though in greeting. As through. <laughs> then their petals opened to the full, and from inside each flower came. The butterfly <laughs> rose up. <laughs> came a venomous hiss, hissing sound. The butterfly rose up and flew straight at the doctor's face. Drop, droplets of venom struck the doctor's hand and face, stinging him. Alarmed, the doctor stepped back. A ground plant. With straggling blue tentacles wrapped itself around his right angle. Instantly turned on by this, the doctor. <laughs> As he dragged his foot away, three enormous blue birds swept down at him from the sky, squawking and trying to nip at his face and cock <coughs> with their blue beaks. The doctor raised his hand to fight them off. One of the birds bit his finger. Oh, you little fuck! <laughs> Said the doctor. <laughs> From further down the valley came the pounding of hooves. He turned to see a herd of blue unicorns. 
unicorns bearing down upon him. Unicorns. <laughs> Unique horns. The doctor ran for his life, pursued by blue birds, blue unicorns, and spat at with venom by blue flowers. His holiday was not turning out quite as he had hoped. Oh. Well, there's chapter two. Boring. Of uh, The Green Death. Boring. By Malcolm Hulk. Boring. Uh, you can join us on the next... <laughs> when did the Daleks? Where's Davros? Uh, join us uh, in the next instalment of the Patreon exclusive for chapter three, Land of My Fathers. Yeah. As, as the man just did a line off the bonnet. Just <laughs> 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 wait until you get the car. Less wind. Hello and welcome to Reading Club. Chapter 3. So this is Doctor Who and the Green Death by Malcolm Hulk. Uh, It's Chapter 3. We've done Chapter 1. You can find that on uh, the usual podcast platform. Chapter 2 is... Pay to win. You can't look at it. You can't watch it unless you paid. Yeah, and they're not hearing this unless they've paid for it, so they already know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you to our new patron. Chapter three. Land of my fathers. Mm-hmm. Not... Okay. The brigadier... No, yeah, the brigadier pulled on the handbrake of his jeep. I trust two weeks will give you an... Oh, no, sorry. How did Brigadier speak? I trust. <laughs> no, 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 that's the two characters already, though. Um, I trust two weeks. I trust two weeks will give you enough time to do whatever it is you want, Miss Grant. I'm thinking sexy porn star boy pizza. You know what I mean? Pizza? Pizza. Pe- pizza. You know, pizza man delivery. All right, okay. Your pizza's here. I forgot the pizza. Don't but I got they a... usually talk like that? But I got a big dong. Your pizza's ready. I haven't got a pepper army, but I got a big dong. Big dong. <laughs> you can chew on. A donkey kong. <laughs> they had stopped outside a rambling old farmhouse on the edge of the village of Slanfairfach. <laughs> Over the door of the house were painted with loving care the words, Welcome to Whole Wee Wheel. With less loving care, someone else had chalked on the wall of the house. The nut hatch and nutters go back to Cardiff. <coughs> Joe reached into the back of the jeep for her suitcase. I've no idea. Oh. I've no idea, sir. It depends how much Professor Jones needs help. You realise, said the brigadier, that I ought to put you on a charge for Dereliction of duty. <laughs> However, while you were busy saying goodbye to the doctor, I checked your file. Bitch, you have two weeks leave owing to you. What? You have two weeks' leave owing to you. Thank you very much, said Joe. <laughs> Getting out of the jeep. I'll bear that in mind. The brigadier looked at the big old house. Bit ru- no, sorry. <laughs> Bit run down, don't you think? Windows haven't... Oh, no, it's him. Windows haven't been cleaned in months. Then that's something I can... How much is... Um, 
How much is she in this? All the way through. Fucking hell. She's the companion. Then that's something I can do to help, said Joe Pertley. Who's Joe Pertley? It's John Pertley's uh, daughter. (laughs) The daughter. Why is the second name slightly different? Uh, It's because he's only allowed to see her on every other Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) The place probably needs re-plumping and rewiring. The brigadier went on. The brigadier went on amusing himself. Was that word supposed to be re-plumbing? Re- What did I say? Re-plumping. It's not a pillow, is it? Um, The brigadier went on amusing himself. Oh, Joe. At Joe's expense. Oh, dear. Where are we going, Malcolm? Where are we going here? Fucking hell, how is he doing it? Shaking the jeep. I don't know who's saying this. Still, I suppose you know best. I can survive without luxury, said Joe. Although, no, although looking at the house, she began to wonder what it might be like inside. Thank you very much. Hello, listeners. I, I don't know who's saying this. There've been a lot. That <coughs> hang on. Okay. Oh, it's her. It's still her. There haven't been any grand <coughs> hotels in my work with the doctor. You know. Is she trapped in a cage or something? A box. Oh, there haven't been any grand hotels in my work with the doctor. You know. Look at that. Still Oh, well, said the brigadier. Oh, fucking hell. No, if you no. get fed up with the whole wheel community. <laughs> oh, it's a soft-spoken version. You know where to find me. Over at Panorama Chemical. We'll have to do a poll. Which What, what voice do you want the brigadier to have? <laughs> Sexy pizza boy voice, or <laughs> it's a soft-spoken every other character. <laughs> Said Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Said Joe. Unlike you, with her bat wings <laughs> breaking through a chest. <laughs> Unlike you, Miss Grant, I have an open mind about panorama chemical. There are times, sir. Big buck, is it? <laughs> How big is it? <laughs> There are times, sir, said Joe. Oh. There are times, sir, said Joe. Said Joe. When I think you have an open mind about everything. Oh, my God. Meaning. Oh, <laughs> I have no options. Hmm? Meaning. Oh, said Joe politely. That it's important <laughs> to have opinions and to. It's hard to read when they says how they said it afterwards. Yeah, no. <laughs> It's important to have opinions and to mm, stick Joe, to them. Joe raged. <laughs> Joe throbbed. Thro- Joe throbbed. <laughs> the brigadier throbbed back. <laughs> I <laughs> suspect, said the brigadier, letting out a handbrake. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> <laughs> just, he was to keep that. Just finishing his handbrake. <laughs> I'm just indulging in the pleasures of the palm, said the brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met the wife? 
Pamela Anderson. She's, <laughs> She's Pamela. She's got lovely skin. Um, She's got a firm grip. Yeah, yeah. She's great with a screwdriver. <laughs> I suspect, said the brigadier, letting out, letting out the handbrake. All oh, right, okay. Malcolm. That this conversation is verging on insubordination. <laughs> he smiled. He smiled to show he meant no harm. <laughs> what if he's going to fucking rifle butter? <laughs> <laughs> Punch you right in the throat. <laughs> insubordination, yo. Bang! Get in the back of the van, you little bitch. Thank you, sir. Joe suddenly remembered the important thing she should tell the brigadier. And, sir... <laughs> Biting her lips. <laughs> the brigadier was just about to drive away. Yes? I almost forgot. <laughs> the doctor told me to say that he'll be along soon. Well, how very fucking convenient of you to remember that now, you stupid little cow. <laughs> no, he didn't say... Oh, no, no. Uh, He says... How very kind of you to have remembered, said the brigadier. If it hadn't have crossed your mind to tell me earlier, I might have enjoyed the drive from London. London. <laughs> London. <laughs> London. He let in the clutch and the jeep drove away. Oh. Without them inside. <laughs> oh, fuck. Joe went up to the door of the house and pulled an old-fashioned door bell. No bell rang inside. Oh. Instead, the knob. <sighs> instead, instead, uh, what? Oh, instead, the knob and some rusty wire came away in her hand. You're too heavy-handed with those knobs. Who's that? The oh no! Uh, she put the knob down. Oh, he's driven off. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> she... right behind her. Where's the jeep? <laughs> She put the knob down carefully on the step my wife. and tapped tapped on the door. Nothing happened. Cautiously, she pushed the door, found it was unlocked, looked inside. Hello? No answer. The walls of the hallway were whitewashed and clean, but the hall had a musty smell of cum and damp. Joe crept into the hall and followed a corridor leading towards the back of the house. She found a door with a <gasps> dot, dot, dot. Notice reading. <laughs> <laughs> room for living. Tapped and looked into the room. It had a few old armchairs and a radio that might have come out of a museum. She went on down the corridor, found another door with a notice which read, told stools. A notice which... Beware! Professors and other things. Watch it. Joe tapped on the door and was just about to push it open when a male voice bellowed. Come. <laughs> no. <laughs> Joe went in. Does everyone speak like that? It was sort of a laboratory, laboratory, laboratory with a workbench, Bunsen burner, with a capital B on the Bunsen. Bunsen. I think it is a name, isn't it? I suppose so. Microscope and cup boards. <laughs> a young man in blue jeans and a polo neck and a big throbbing sweater. <laughs> a big throbbing knitted sweater. <laughs> was delicately taking a slice from a stranger-looking fungus. 
sorry, was delicately taking a slice from a strange-looking fungus and mounting it on a microscope, <laughs> microscope, a microscope slide. Excuse me, Joe started to say. Shut the bastard door, shouted the young man. Oh, without looking up, it says outside, watch it, and you did not. Didn't what? You didn't watch it. He placed a slice of fungus on the slide and seemed satisfied. You could have ruined a month's work by letting the temperature in here drop half a degree. How do we ever gain it out? Joe asked. Ah, good point, said the young man, but I watch it understand. No, said Joe. <laughs> I'm Joe Grant from London. I rang up and spoke to someone called Nancy, whoever she is. I've come to help Professor Jones. The young man flashed a glance at her. Mm-hmm. And how do you propose to help... Oh, sorry. And how do you propose to help Jones? You're not old enough. Joe was outraged but tried not to show it. I've been assistant to an... <laughs> fucking hell. Eminent, eminent, eminent. I've been assistant to an eminent scientist for some time, you know. No, I didn't know that, no. Said the old man. How should I know if you don't tell me? He stopped his work and looked at her, weighing her up. Okay. About eight stone. No, eight stone two. It's Dr. Jones, isn't it? You're that real FBI, are you? Oh, is it him? Yeah. Oh. No way to think about it. I thought it was a young man. No, it's, it's Mr. Jones, isn't it? Dr. Jones. Calling Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. Um, yeah. No one is about inter... So he's the young man? Yeah. Huh. No one is about entomology. Sam <laughs> Young. Insects. Yes, a little. Then tell me, said the young man. Then tell me, said the young man. <laughs> What's got 20 legs, a yellow body, a, a yellow body... And two big dicks. <laughs> What's got 20 legs, a yellow body, large breasts, and two, <laughs> two large peen eye, and a big red pincer on the front end? I've no idea. Joe answered. Pity, said the young man, <laughs> said the young man, because there's one crawling up your left leg now. Joe gave a screech. And brushed at her leg. But there was no insect. The young man had been joking. Oh. That wasn't very funny, you fucking dick, said Joe. Duck. Yeah, duck. <laughs> and that's Joe's, like, uh, Newcastle sister. No. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very funny, you fucking dick, said Joe. Funny. It was funny from where I was standing. <clears throat> Agent Sterling. The man assured her. No, sorry. It's funny where I was. Oh, no, it isn't. Sorry. It's not Professor Jones. <laughs> I didn't think it was. 
Why do you want to help this Professor Jones fellow? But he's got the same voice. <laughs> We're talking about this. his brother. <laughs> but doesn't know him. Yeah, doesn't know him. Fucking hell, what are you doing to that book? Why do you want, why do you want to help Professor Jones fellow? I don't know where he's from. I'd like to put a spanner in Panorama Chemicals Works. <laughs> I see, said the man. Ever gone to bed hungry? Not that I can remember. Why? Is there nothing to eat in this house? The young man didn't answer the question. Joe's never been to bed hungry. Nope. But continue, continued oh, with his on. own train of thought. You've never been to bed hungry. <laughs> continued with his own train of thought. Every night millions of people in the world go to sleep hungry. And those of us who do not have enough food are starved of everything else a man needs to live like a man. Even the big bucks and blot... <laughs> Joe couldn't resist putting in. Oh. Do you, do you use the word man when you mean human being? The young man laughed. <laughs> hey, Fred! Oh, very good! This guy has had four accents yeah, so sorry. far. All right, I'll stick with Barney Rubble. Oh, very good. No, I can't do it. After that, you'll never believe that I support women's liberation, will you? <laughs> but please try to pardon a slip of the tongue, will you? But please try... Oh, no, I've read that twice. <laughs> Thank you, said Joe. Now, please continue. Here at Whole Wheel, we are trying to find out... Whole Wheat. Whole Wheat. Here at Whole Wheel, we are trying to find out how to live in different ways. We want to be human beings again, not slaves of ma machines and industry and finance. Do you want a word world without any machines at all? Asked Joe. Or Joe? Doe? Doe? That would be... Oh, <laughs> That would be stupid, said the young man. What matters is the type of machines we use. <laughs> What's your solution? Solar energy, he said emphatically. Solar energy. <laughs> the sun is producing great quantities of energy, and we use it instead. We burn... Oil, one way or other, and pollute the air we breathe. And we could use the fucking hell. Joe was surprised at the question. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Just skipped it. And we could use the movement of the wind and the tides and the rivers. Are you warm enough? Joe was surprised at the question. Yes, thank you. Heat from river, he explained. We have a water wheel in the river at the back of the house that drives an electrical generator and the electricity keeps the house warm. Alternative technology, you see. No waste, no warm, no pollution. <laughs> There's just no pollution. Now, Panorama Chemicals hope to produce 
25% more petrol and diesel fuel from a given quantity of crude oil. <laughs> or oil. Of crude oil. But do you realise how they are going to do that? Joe shook her head not properly. Oh, no. Not properly! The process must be based on Bateson's polymerization. And that means thousands of gallons of waste, a thick sludge you can break down, can't break down, like liquid plastic. <laughs> he paused. I think. <clears throat> sorry. I think it's. Can, <laughs> sorry, we wrote. <laughs> I, I think it's. I uh, think it's. I can't be able to see that voice. I think it's connected with the death of. <laughs> of Ted Ooze. The Green Man! asked Joe. Can help. You mean they've been pumping the sludge down into the old mine here? He nodded. Right. <laughs> That's terrible! said Joe. She looked around the makeshift laboratory. What exactly are you doing in here? Another sad ride of your work, <laughs> said the old man. <laughs> Finishing off his 13th point. <laughs> very, very soon the world's going to need something to replace meat. <laughs> A high-protein fungus could be the answer. You know what? <laughs> it's into her whole wheel. Sorry, love. <laughs> Chinese is coming up. Yeah, all mill isn't a place for dropouts, you know. I didn't imagine it was. She said quickly. Yeah. I agree that we've escaped from the rat race coming here. He went on. The city pressures, uh, the city pressures, and the foul air. But we are trying to do things that may help the whole world. I get sleepy now. He <laughs> said a bit too many. The, fun- the fungus idea, said Joe. Did Professor Jones think of that? Are you on the next page? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the fungus idea, said Joe. Did, the prof- did Professor Jones think of that? <laughs> <laughs> Professor... <laughs> what accent does this guy? Changes every... Professor Jones. Problem. Professor Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Jones. For a moment, moment, (laughs) for a moment, the young man seemed puzzled, then smiled. Oh, yes. (laughs) Terrible, I suppose. One of his ideas. You'd never met him with both. (laughs) Remember, I've only just arrived. He can be... Pretty repulsive at times, said the young man. Talks a lot about love thy neighbour. Then then doesn't notice about the people under his feet. He bites his fingernails and sometimes he just forgets to bath. He's also a Nobel Prize winner, said Joe, defensively. Stroking a nipple. And a very brilliant man. See how far a nipple will stretch over a (laughs) t-shirt. Like Pinocchio's nose. But he's only human. Or do you regard... Oh, but he's only human. (laughs) Or do you regard him as a saint? Huh? Huh? Joe had read so much about the... Joe had read so much about the professor. She was affronted by the young man's remarks. 
Professor Clifford Jones. It's about just... What? Professor Professor Clifford Jones is just about the most human human being alive today. The... the (laughs) And I think you're being very nasty about him. I can't stand Joe anymore. The door flew open. A plump woman, aged about 30, came in and quickly closed the door behind her. Bother! <laughs> Here we go! Lunch is ready. <laughs> she noticed Joe. Oh, hello. I'm Joe Grant, said Joe. And I'm the girl you spoke to on the phone, said the plump woman. She held out her hand. Nancy Banks. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone just calls me Mum. Oh, Cliff hasn't been talking too much nonsense to you, you stupid fat fuck. <laughs> Joe turned in astonishment to the young man. Your name's Cliff. At your oh, it is Mr. Jones. This whole time? At your service, no. said the young no. man. Professor Clifford Jones. <laughs> Joe's face filled with anger. And you let me go on saying those things. They were very complimentary, said Jones. You wear Nivea skin cream, don't you? But not today. It's nice to be the most human human being. Agent Sterling. Rage. While Joe was getting to know Professor Clifford Jones. Seaweed. Why did the lobster blush? Because he saw Queen Mary's bottom. It's a ship. The lobster. (laughs) Okay. Can a lobster blush? While Joe was getting to know Professor Clifford Jones a half mile away, Brigadier... Well, you'd have thought they'd have stood closer, wouldn't you? I'm Joe Grant! Time to lay, time to lay, time... Now... (laughs) A half mile away, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart was meeting Dr. Thomas Stevens, director of Panorama Chemicals, in his modern air-conditioned office suite. Also present was Mark Elgin, the company's public relations officer. Security is main consideration, Dr. Stevens was saying. Who's Dr. Stevens? Uh, Hannibal. Oh, I can't do the voice. Oh, no, it isn't. Doctors, they all talk like that. <laughs> all the doctors. Security is the main consideration, Dr. Stevens was saying. Yes, of course, agreed the Brigadier. <laughs> yes, of course, agreed the Brigadier without thinking, because it seemed the right thing to say. There are these cranks down road, Dr. Stevens went on. <laughs> Professor Jones and his mob of idiots. Mind you, I recognise that the Professor is a very clever young man. He won a Nobel Prize. You know. He added this with some pride, as though it reflected on him, personally. To have such a celebrated enemy. We don't want him, or his kind, getting anything more about us in the papers. (laughs) Mark Elgin spoke up. <coughs> Big 
word, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a big word. De- <laughs> deferentially, deferentially. Well done. I've never heard that word before. What does it mean? Hey, Siri. <laughs> what does deferentially mean? Deferential means showing deference, respectful. <laughs> oh, that's better. Mark Elgin spoke up respectfully. The minister... Uh, he's Mark Elgin. Same bloke. Well, same voice. <laughs> the minister of energy has already imposed a D notice. Uh, D. A D for dick. <laughs> <laughs> Dick notices are sent to all newspapers and to television and radio news services where there is something the government wants to keep secret. Hmm. That comes a bit later, said Sam Stevens. Still better late than never, if I may ask. No, if I may ask, said the brigadier. Had the death of the miner any... What? Had the death of the miner any connection? Well, he smoked a lot. <laughs> had how how did he how did he do the big deal? I just did him like that. That's the way you did it <laughs> last Everyone on his page speaks the same. Had the death of the miner any connection with your company's activities? I've absolutely no idea. Said <laughs> Doctor Stevens quickly, Sorry. whispering. <laughs> Why is everybody Little devil talking on your shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him what you really think. Yes, I may ask," said the brigadier. "At the death of the miner, any connection with your company's activities? I've absolutely no idea." said Dr. Stevens quickly. Elgin changed the subject to get away from the death. Brigadier, the minister said you'd be bringing along some scientific chappy. I hope to, said the brigadier. <laughs> he just looked really down. <laughs> like Eeyore. <laughs> He's on leave at the moment. If I may return to the question of the minor, I understand the turn green. Neither Dr. Stevens nor Mark Elgin said anything. End of story. Isn't that correct? Asked the brigadier. <laughs> Long book this, isn't it? My guess, said Elgin, is that the poor man had a heart attack. He wasn't young, you know. But why should he be green? Oh. But Elgin doesn't speak why should he be green? The brigadier persisted. Look, brigadier. He doesn't said speak Dr. Like that. Stevens. Your job is here to protect the establishment against the potheads. Potheads, not potheads. He doesn't, he doesn't speak like that. Is that right? He doesn't speak like Shut that. Shut the fuck up, you <laughs> stupid fucking fuck. The brigadier did not like being told what his job was. Why not? I feel it's all sit. I feel it's all sit. That's doctor. Right, we need to pin down these. these... The brigadier talks like this. Everybody else talks like that. No, two doctors speak like that. Brigadier is like that, but a lot quieter and more depressed. Okay. Joe, we know Joe. Yeah. We know the doctor. We'll get there, yeah, it's all right. The young man is foreign from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it's also my job, Dr. Stevens, to find out about this man's death. (laughs) I see. He said with a grin. (laughs) 
I see. Dr. Stevens started out of his plate... Sta- no. Dr. Stevens stared out of his plate glass windows at the Welsh mountains in the distance. Now, what do you propose to do? If I speaks may, like a troll. If I may use your phone, said the brigadier, I'd like to see if any if my scientific chappy is back from leave yet. By, doctor. All, by all means, Doctor Stevens pushed the slim line phone across the desk. Desk tipped across the decks. Whoa, 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 whoa! Towards the brigadier. Whoa, 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 whoa. But don't you know your own people are supposed to report back for duty? The Brigadier State started to dial unit headquarters in London. London! <gasps> Imagine that! <laughs> in London! Not with this... Oh, sorry. Not with this particular man, he said. He tends to take liberties with time. Did, um... What's his name? What's his name who wrote this? Malcolm Hulk. You just get bored. <laughs> Pad it out well. <laughs> two, two million light, ble- light years away, the doctor stood to catch his breath on a blue rock mountain. Right, I reckon whoever's reading yeah. does voices, whoever's not reading does sound effects. Okay, continue with that. He was exhausted, having to having run to escape from a pecking blue bird and the blue unicorns. Make sure I tell titles about this. He said, to himself, he said to himself, it's meant I'm plenty planning at the moment. Then he let out a cry as he felt something stick to his foot. Ah, shit. <laughs> 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 He'd stood on Blue Pig. Blue ants an inch long were swarming all over his left foot. <laughs> what did you just say? Blue ants an inch an long, inch long <laughs> were swarming all over his left foot. Digging through... Digging... <laughs> Digging through the shoe to get at the human flesh beneath. Oh, human flesh. That's interesting, isn't Malcolm. it? Malcolm. You haven't thought this through, have you, Malcolm? Yay, 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 yay. Anybody proofreading this, or are we just going to send it out? Just get it printed. Send it to the printer's pal. Some dickhead will buy it. Uh, he brushed them off and started climbing again. Half an hour later, he'd reached the top of the little mountain. As far as the eye could see, there were small... <clears throat> mountain peaks in some of the valleys were lakes of deep blue water there were some mountain peaks in the valleys no full stop in oh. some of the valleys were lakes of deep blue water they looked inviting but the doctor by now suspected them of all to be filled with flesh eating blue cunt he turned his attention to a chuster cluster of sapphires embedded in the rock as he reached out to take one, a shadow fell across him. Looking up, he saw a huge talon lens of a blue eagle descending on him. Its great wings flapping. I think it's supposed to be like an action scene. This. The doctor grabbed the sapphire, thrust it into the pocket and ran for his life. His pocket. The eagle flapped after him. <laughs> The eagle, the eagle flapped after him, his talons trying to grab at his head or shoulders or hand. The doctor zigzagged, outmaneuvering the big, 
ungainly bird. He saw ahead a forest of blue trees where the eagle could not follow and made for it. In the forest... <laughs> in the forest, aside from the eagle, Doctor, the doctor leant against a tree to recover his breath. Then he noticed that one of the lower branches of the tree was moving as he snake... Let's <laughs> skip the whole sentence. As he turned to run again, the branch whipped around like a snake, but the doctor was able to jump free. In the forest, still afraid of the eagle hovering outside the forest, he raced through the trees, avoiding the whiplash of living branches. Full stop. <laughs> Eventually, in the forest, he was through the forest. <laughs> Oh, cool. Eventually, in the forest, he was through the forest and back in the valley where the TARDIS had materialised. He raced past beds of beautiful blue flowers that turned their gorgeous heads and spat, stinging venom. Hmm. Once more, he heard the pounding of hooves and turned to see at least a hundred blue unicorns. Is Malcolm High now? It must be. He's off his tits. Charging towards him down a hill, from above came the flapping of the blue eagle's great wings. It came. It had, wow! 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 <laughs> it had flown. <laughs> it had flown over the forest and was now swooping down with talons, outstretched to tear at the doctor's head outside the forest. A violent streak of blue lightning. <laughs> He's got a habit of, like, putting... Who's lightning? <laughs> Do you know when it's a lightning, but you haven't gotten a free one page, so you put light dash ring on the next page. Right, okay. So. Suddenly raced across the sky, followed instantly by torrential blue rain. All at once, the ground beneath the doctor's feet turned into wet blue slushy schmud. Schmud? <laughs> slushy schmud. Each step now was a great effort. However, the rain and mud did not slow down the blue unicorns. The leader of the herd were racing against each other to be the first to drive their ugly twist. Ed Orns <laughs> through the doctor's body. Above the eat. I can't see that. <sighs> Boring the spot now. Above, look how much we got to go. Is it all like this, or is it... I don't know. Does it might get kick going? off in a minute. <laughs> above. Above the... Above. <laughs> it is hard to read, isn't it? It is. Above, the eagle made more determined efforts to grab the doctor, and a sharp talon... Talon? Talon? Split, uh, split open his soaking jacket at the shoulder. <laughs> As the doctor approached the T-A-R-D-I-S, he saw squirm... Ing, blue snakes writhing in the mud around the entrance. Hoping for the best, he took out his key, held it firmly in his hand, Ooh. and charged straight at the door, hoping it would just go in. <laughs> That's go what I do when I come home. Just I just stand at the top the of the yard, run right. down, and hope that the key's just going to go in eyes. the hole. <laughs> Bang! Straight through the glass. <laughs> Malcolm's still alive. Don't know. No, no. Oh. So he held out his hand and charged at the door, aiming with the key so that it would go into the lock without fumbling. 
Oh, right, okay. The key slid in, he turned it, pushed open the door. Fucking hell. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Turned behind him, closed the door, made sure he still had the key in his hand. He did. Slamming the door behind him. He did. He put the key in his pocket, made sure that the door was locked. (laughs) And then he he thought, I'd best keep the key in the door because it'd be safer. Yeah, put the key back in the door but simultaneously checked that the door was still locked, changed his mind, took the key out and put it on the key hook, but then thought, no, if there's any disturbance in flight, put the key back in the door so it doesn't get lost. But then thought, no, best put it on my person. Just I'll just safe. put it back in my pocket. <laughs> so he unlocked the door and just put it in his pocket. <laughs> so much for holidays on this business, please. He groaned. Oh, so much for holidays... I'm meant to be this sweet. The doctor. He groaned. Oh. Panting for oh, panting for his breath. His clothes <laughs> ringing wet. Next time I'll try but no. Next time I'll try Blackpool. <laughs> A few moments later, the T A R D I S re materialized in the doctor's lab at U N I T headquarters. The door opened, the doctor took out the key, locked it again, (laughs) and the doctor tumbled out, his clothes still wet through. He sneezed violently. (laughs) The telephone started ringing. He lifted the phone. Hello! Ah, there you are, doctor. It was the brigadier's voice. I'm speaking to you from Flan Fairfax. <laughs> Miss Grant told me that you might be coming down here after all. I'd like you to use the unit chopper to get it here as quickly as possible. What's she doing? Something on telly, is it? Are there any unicorns there? said the doctor. He sneezed again. The brigadier laughed. I very much doubt it. <laughs> Is that some little joke of yours, Doctor? What? <laughs> I'm not joking, said the doctor. What about eagles? <laughs> no, not in Wales. <laughs> replied the brigadier. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, a pain in the ass. <laughs> what are the flowers like? There was a note of reprimand in the brigadier's voice. <laughs> doctor, the... Oh, no. Ow! Doctor, the business around here is serious. Well, if you must know about local flora... I can't hear you, brigadier. Speak up! <laughs> doctor... <laughs> the business at hand here is serious, but if you must know that about local flora, I did notice a few wild daffodils. God, said the doctor. <laughs> That'll be this straight away. And the chapter. Mm, so join us next week oh, for damn. it's crap. Chapter four of the Green Death. Ben, what's it called? For chapter four of the Green Death. Yeah, no, yeah. What's the chapter called? Into the mine. Finally, <laughs> nearly halfway now. No, we're not. <laughs> Maybe in two weeks' time we'll be halfway. 
to be fair, we've read quite a bit. Hello. Hello, friends. Oh. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hello, friends. Who's the worst? What? What is the worst voice to like, read a book? Hello, friends. Two? What? what? Uh, I, I reckon it's like a sort of uh, friendly crap presenter. He's a lisp. Hello, friends. He's friend. a lot of... Hello, friends. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Welcome to Reading Club. This is uh, Doctor Who and the Green Death. Don't forget Chapter. your asses. Chapter two. <laughs> Hello, people of Patreon. Hello, Patreon. Friends of the podcast. I don't have any friends. No. This is uh, Chapter Four of the Green Death. My name, as always, is Hercule. I am joined by my large guest... Mercedes. Shithid. <laughs> Chapter 4. Into the Mine. The Brigadier replaced Dr. Stevens' slimline telephone. Well, that's a start. The Doctor is on his way. The doctor. Should we do recaps? No. Because I have no idea what's happening. Well, now. I, neither do I at this, at this point. Previously. Unlost. Now, <laughs> mine, mine dies. There's some goings on politically with the renewable gases. Some company thinks they know how to make renewable energy. I rushed it to you, though. No, this is what happened. And Joe's like messing around. Doctors went on holidays. Come back now. Brigadier needs doctor's help. Joe's still messing around. Okay. Chapter four Into the Mine. The Brigadier replaced Dr. Stevens's slimline telephone. Well, that's a start. The Doctor is on his way. <laughs> the Doctor, said Mark Elgin, my scientific chappy, as you call him, said the Brigadier. What was all that about daffodils? asked Dr. Stevens. <laughs> the Doctor's a bit of a botanist, said the Brigadier. Lying quickly to cover up his embarrassment. Mm. I don't know who's saying this. Now, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I think I have to take a look at this mine. <laughs> As I understand it... Oh, sorry. As I understand it, Brigadier, said Dr. Stevens... St- Stevens? Stevens. Stevens uh, right, <laughs> rising from his chair. Your purpose here is to protect the interest of panorama chemicals. <laughs> Trying to keep down his tea. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it is, agreed the brigadier. There'll be no rabble breaking in to destroy your plant whilst units here. But I think it's also important for me to know more about that mine. So, if you'll excuse me, dot, dot, dot. He smiled and made for the door. Of course. Said Dr. Stevens. Where are they? I don't know. Okay. Mark, show the brigadier out. Elgin opened the door. This way, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Stevens watched them leave his office. Then he pressed a button on the inter- intercommunication unit mm. on his desk. Oh, hang on. No, Dr. Stevens. Uh, what? It's Professor Jones. That's the Welsh one. I know. 
No, I'm not starting again. Imagine all that, but they talk like that. <laughs> uh, Send in X at once, he said towards a built-in microphone. We need a, like a character sheet or something like that. Why? Yeah, but you don't know who's... Why? Said, oh, right, okay. Why? While he waited for Hinks to arrive, he stood... Who's Hinks? To arrive, he stood at the window and looked out towards the mountains. Years ago, he had enjoyed climbing mountains, but now his family had all deserted him, leaving a gap in his life that could only be filled by cock. (laughs) By work. He was delighted... You do that every time. It's really annoying. <laughs> they rattle otherwise when I speak. Oh, do they? <laughs> Get rid of them then. Bin them. <laughs> Did he bin in? I've lost it now. He was delighted when he was invited to become director of the main British plant of Panorama Chemicals because he realised that this was a job of such size and complexity he would be able to devote night and day to it. Thanks, Malcolm. What he did not realise was that the job would provide him with the best and the most faithful friend he had ever had. Oh. I wish we knew who this was on about. <laughs> His intercom. Who's intercom, Malcolm? Come on. <laughs> His intercom. Stevens. <laughs> or is it Dr. Jones? No, Dr. Jones won't have an intercom. Where's the big idea? He's just left. And who's he's been the door. Who's Hinks? Don't know. Don't know who that is. Malcolm Holt. Right. His intercom buzzed and the voice of his secretary, Stella, spoke through the built-in loudspeaker. Right. Decisions, decisions. No, no, yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter. We get the voices different every time. Have a look. (laughs) (laughs) God's sake. Mm. Right, she's a secretary, so she's proper sexy. I've located Mr. Hinks, sir. He's on his way to your office. Are you going to do the sexy in a minute? Or? Just just keep going. Just keep going. It's all right. Don't worry. Thank you. Dr. Stephen said to the intercom. He went back to studying. He went back to studying the mountains. Maybe, he thought, he should try a little climbing again one day. Unfortunately, he would not be able to take his new friend with him, but the exercise might do him good. And he loved the sense of history that ooh, emanated from those oh. mountains. <laughs> Dr. Stevens had enjoyed studying history when he was a boy at school. Sometimes he wished he was still there. But now he was a man and had the responsibilities of a man. I'd have just said when he was a schoolboy rather than a boy at school. <laughs> it's- sorry, I mean, I'm sorry, Malcolm. What do I know? I can barely read. Never mind, right? He turned from the window. His headache was starting to trouble him again. It's throbbing again. Did he, have a, did he have a headache? Unless we've just forgotten what he has been. Probably. He wished Hinks would hurry up and come to take orders, but he had to get rid of this headache. He took out some ibuprofen, some paracetamol, and Astella Tramadol. <laughs> if she had any cocodamol. Have you got any opioids? <laughs> There was a tap on the door, and Hinks entered. What the fuck are you doing in here right. when I'm just about to get out the devil's lettuce? What's that? What's the devil's lettuce? The devil's lettuce? What's that? Weed? Yes. Why is it called the devil's lettuce? 
The devil's land. Why? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Don't right, come what, in. What, what voice does Hinks have? Australian. You wanted me, sir? Hinks was over six feet tall and very broad-shouldered. He had a face like an ex-boxer who had lost too many fights. The headache was very bad now. I want you to... Dr. Stevens knew... Who's talking? Stevens, probably. Yeah, it is. I want you to... He's not the brigadier. I want you to... Oh, fucking hell. Dr. Stevens knew he was swaying slightly with the pain. I want you to... (laughs) Are you all... No, are you all right, sir? Are you... I can't... Australia. Just think about it. Are you alright, sir? That's not it. (laughs) Are you alright, sir? Are you alright, sir? Although Hinks asked a question politely, (laughs) there was an ice in his voice. There always was. The the mine. The mine, said Dr. Stevens. (laughs) Nobody must go down the mine. I'll see to it, said Hinks, grinning. The prospect of any kind of violence always makes Hinks grin. You sure, are you sure you're all right, sir? Perfectly all right. Per- perfectly all right. Dr. Dr. Stevens lied. It's a headache, not a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Just see, no one goes down the mine, that'll be all. Oh, God, that's a splitting headache, that, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> you can't get a word out. Yeah. Right you are, sir. See? Right, fucking hell. Look at the state of that. Look at the size of that thing. Right, okay. Right you are, sir. Hinks turned and went. Dr. Stevens hated to imagine what Hinks might do to stop people going down the mine. Yeah, no doubt, yeah. Alone, Dr. Stevens staggered over to the door and locked it. Then he crossed back to his desk, unlocked a little cupboard built into the side of the desk. Fucking hell. He pulled it open slightly, <laughs> closed it again. He moved and over a plate in a bowl yeah. carefully because he knew how much it meant to his mother. Yeah, made sure he put the bookmark in his book before putting it back on the desk in the correct place. Uh, closed yeah, so... the door, making sure it was tight because it was a dicky door. Yeah, dicky uh, door. It a tendency to swing open. And made a post-it note to remind his secretary to pick up some WD-40 on her next visit to town. She goes to town every other day. <laughs> Stella was good like that. Yeah. His hands were now shaking, and his head felt like it was splitting open. He reached into the cupboard and brought out a very special pair of earphones. Fumbling to put them on. (laughs) Fumbling to put them on. (laughs) Fumbling to put them on. He reached into the cupboard and brought out a very special head. Oh, hang on, I've read that. Perhaps it just keeps saying it. He does so, like his sentences. Yeah, yeah. So fumbling to put them on, he reached into the cupboard and brought out a very special pair of earphones. Oh. Fumbling to put them on, he reached into the cupboard and brought out a very special pair of earphones. What? Fumbling to put them on, he plugged what? the lead you into the special socket <laughs> in his desk, intercom, and slumped back into the chair. The voice of his friend, Boss, at one end started to talk to him oh. through the earphones reassuring Dr. Stevens that what he was doing was all right. Texan. He doesn't speak. Oh, Almost well, immediately, anyway. the headache went away. That's good. 
Joe was pleased with the way Nancy, or Mum, had welcomed her. Mum! But, <laughs> but she was still angry with Professor Clifford Jones. Uh. Over lunch, she met a number of the whole wheel community, mainly young people, who'd come to San Fairfax because they were fed up at the pressures and materialism and pollution oh. of the big cities. Conversations during the meal were light-hearted. Can you fast-forward a book? And they seemed to have a newcomer, Joe, in the midst. But as soon as the meal was over, they went back to their various companions. The not hutch was a hive of activity where these people spent their lives evolving alternative methods of production and living. Joe. Oh, we've got a picture. Ooh. Now, I'll explain the picture. It's Dr. Stevens with a bra on his head. <laughs> and he seems to be having a big shit. And the caption says, Boss started to talk to him through the earphones. There you go. Joe helped Nancy wash up the dishes. Then she had nothing to do. Everyone was far too busy to involve her or even talk to her. Burning with curiosity about the man who died and went green, she decided to go and look at the mine. The closed mine looked sadly derelict. Mm. Grass and weeds grew over the little narrow gouge railway, gorge railway lines once used for pushing wheeled tubs of coal. Immediately over the shaft was a high metal construction with wheels at the top. This was part of the lift mechanism. The lift mechanism. A lift is a. The lift mechanism was used to bring stuff up and take things down. They are commonplace in lots of places, such as Tesco, Asda, Sainsbury's, Aldi, Lidl. Toys R Us. Toys R Us. Curry's. <laughs> PC World. Comet. Best Buy. We need to add some American shops in for our American listeners. When a coal mine is in full life, the wheels at the top of these metal constructions are turning all the time. Either taking miners down to work, or bringing up the coal... Or taking them back down. Love yeah. <laughs> they have <laughs> they have hewn from the bowels of the earth, but here everything was ghostly still. Right, so you just say ghostly still, Malcolm. Uh, we know I, what our mine is, mate. <laughs> mate, live in Wales. As Joe wandered Can't about, move from. As Joe wandered about, as Joe wandered about among mounds of coal dust. The unused wheeled tubs and the outhouses and the sheds and around the main, main shaft, a man came out of the pit office and shouted at her. Right. Hey! <laughs> They're all from the same area. Hey! Hey! He called. What are you doing? Joe went over to him. Like many Welshmen, he was short and dark-eyed and fat. Short and dark-eyed? Yeah. Okay. I'm from UNIT, she said. I want to look at the mine. Well, now you've seen it, said the man. Oh, you fuckers. Go away. <laughs> you can't walk around here without authority. <laughs> Where do I get it? National Coal... Bored, said the man in Cardiff. 
You're just trying to be awkward, said Joe. Just go away, go away, go away. As he spoke, another short, dark-eyed man popped his head out from the office and had come on his cheek. He called something (laughs) urgently in Welsh. The man talking to Joe turned and rushed into the office, holding his arsehole. (laughs) Clench, clench. (laughs) Joe followed and stood at the door. The office was small and untidy and very wooden. (laughs) (laughs) A door led off to the lift machinery. The man who talked to Joe had grabbed an old-fashioned telephone. He listened, then spoke in rapid Welsh. What's happening? Joe asked quietly. This book got shit quick. Got shit quick. The second man said, Oh, oh one of our mates, he speaks Di like Jacob Evans. Collier. One of our mates, <laughs> Di Evans, has gone down into the pit. Now he's in trouble. He was too worried to ask... Oh, he was too worried to ask Joe. Who... Uh, what? He was too worried to ask who Joe was or to tell her to go away. With... Hard, isn't it? I can't see it. You've got to be some clever clogs to read to Malcolm. With one man on the phone and Joe on the other man watching him... What? No one saw or heard Hinks as he quietly slipped into the lift machinery by way of his out of an outer door. Oh, Hinks yeah. was no engineer, no, no, but no. the lift machinery was simple enough for him to understand. In a couple of seconds, he was able to sabotage the machinery and make his getaway. The man put down the phone. Oh. We've got to get him! Oh. We've got to get him out quickly! He noticed Joe standing on the door. I told you, girl... Go away. <laughs> Little finger. Go away. Go away. If someone's hurt... Oh, no. If if someone's hurt, she, she said, I could be useful. I'm trained in first aid. Now, women don't go down the pit. Is he so, high on something? No, he's just a little he's man. fucking blazed. <laughs> women, 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 go, women don't go down the no, pit. No, 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 no. no. J- excuse me. As well as my goes up blind. My heen and them and Mindy are a pet. <laughs> Say it all the Welsh. Ach, have <laughs> Women don't go down the pit, said the second man. These no, no, the second man was... Oh, no, Joe, they're all Jackie well. Oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Oh, come on. Those poor little pit ponies used to have years ago down the mines. What? Those poor... Oh, those poor little pit ponies. That what are pit ponies? Little little horses that they used to put down the mine to, like, pull the little carriages. The little, um, coal... To pull the little men. <laughs> to pull the little men to pull the little carriage. Those poor, those poor little pit ponies used to have years ago down the mine. No, I'm reading that weird. Those poor little pit ponies used to have years ago down in the mines, said said Joe. <laughs> did Everyone's they... looking at it confused, like, what? <laughs> did they all have to be males? <sighs> that's a daft... Fucking hell. <laughs> now, that's a daft question for you, said the second man. If female ponies can't go down a mine... Said, oh. If female ponies can go down a mine, said Joe... So can female humans, especially if they can be useful. I'm Joe Grant. Who are you two? 
David Griffiths, said the first man. Bert Williams, said the second. Oh, he's George Eagle Collier. Oh, no, Bert Williams is the South African. Brilliant. David Griffiths, said the first, said the first man. Bert Williams, <laughs> said the second. Which of you is coming with me? There's cheek for you, said, <laughs> said Bert Williams. Who said you were going? Could either of you put a splint on a broken leg? Asked Joe. Or know how to give someone the kiss of life? <coughs> she said, biting a lip. Neither answered. So... Did you really say that, biting a lip? Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> so you see. So you see, said Joe. You need me. How do we get down there? I'll take her with me, said Bert. Perhaps right. she can be useful. He turned to Joe. We must get you a helmet to fit you, miss. Although with although the big head <laughs> as yours, that might be difficult. Come along. Good luck. Malcolm <laughs> <laughs> talk something. Bert led Joe across to one of the locker rooms. A long, low building with rows of metal lockers where the miners used to leave their working clothes and dildos. There were helmets on the shelves, and Bert found one to fit Joe's arse. Get in this. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> fill it full of filth. <laughs> there were helmets on the shelves, and Bert found one to fit Joe. Joe. On the front of the helmet was fastened an electrical lamp. Thus, equipped, they went back. You'd... Once, when they had it on, they went back to the pit head office. <laughs> had he phoned again? Bert asked. How did you the Welsh one? Just a Welsh accent. Not yours. Sinusitsu. Nothing, said Dave. <laughs> all right. No. All right. All, all right, said Bert. Gangbanger. Just say Gangbanger. that. Gangbanger. You'll get in it. Get ready to operate the machinery. I don't know. Dave hurried into the room containing the lift machinery. Bert put on his helmet and took Joe away from the office towards the lift and showed her his helmet. It was like a cage, large enough to carry 20 men at a time. Joe wasn't scared. This isn't like a lift you'll find in a shop, said Bert. (laughs) God's sake. (laughs) This isn't like a lift you'd find in a shop, said Bert. We don't go down shouting. We don't go down slowly and gradually with someone to tell you what you can buy on the different floors. Once we start moving... Oh, fucking hell. Once we start moving, we drop like a ruddy stone and you can see everything go by, bitch. I'm not frightened. Joe fibbed. I was the first time, said Bert. Forty, fucking hell. Fourteen years old I was and scared out of my wits, but I tried to show it. Oh, I tried not to show it. The cage started to move. Here we go, said Bert. Hold on to your tits. Suddenly the floor of the cage dropped away from under Joe's feet. She felt very sick. As the big wheels above the lift shaft began to spin, they were, they were observed by the brigadier and the doctor. 
They had just arrived. They had just arrived in the Brigadier's Jeep. Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> Where are they? Where do you learn to drive this thing? I thought this mine was closed. I can't do Pertwee. I thought this mine was closed. <laughs> Said the doctor. Said the doctor. It is. All supposed to be. The brigadier stopped the jeep and ran to the pit head machine room. The doctor closed <laughs> close behind. They found Dave Griffiths at the controls. Who's going down the mine? Who's going Who's going down the mine? Asked the brigadier. Who's Dave? Dave Griffiths. The Welsh one? Yes. One of the mates and some girl or other said, Dave, what's it to you? It's a tough read tonight. We'll get there. What's the what's the reading level? Six. Fucking hell. A girl, said the doctor. Please stop the lift immediately. There's a mate of mine down there. No. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. No, there's a mate of mine hurt down there, said Dave. In some kind of trouble. All the more, all the more reasons to stop fucking winding, shouted the doctor. The look on his face was imploring. Oh. The tone of the tone of voice imperative. Right you are then, said Dave. Said Dave. <laughs> he pulled the brake. No. <laughs> Nothing happened. No. He pulled harder. The wheels of the lift mechanism kept spinning. Ooh. I can't stop it. He screamed. It's out of control! Clutch and brake both gone! The doctor noticed an old iron bar lying lying, lying on the blackened... Lying on the blackened floor. He picked it up and wedged it against the main drum of the machinery. Now reverse the motor, he called. It won't work, said Dave. We'll snap the cable. Don't argue, man. Don't argue, man, said the doctor. There's only it, it, it's only chance. As he spoke, he braced himself and pulled harder on the wedged iron bar. Mm. Dave put the electrical motor into reverse. There was a shower of sparks and smoke bellowed out from the machinery. Then it stopped. The doctor realised his grip on the iron... The, 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 no, he didn't. Pardon? The doctor released his grip, ah. not realised he had a grip, ah. on the iron rod. That's done it, he said. That... That, uh, that, said Dave, has sealed up the whole works. The brigadier looked at the meter on the wall that showed the depth of either the twin lifts. According to this, you have halted their descent just 20 feet before they hit the bottom. Congratulations. It's all right you congratulating us, said Dave, but I told you the mechanism's sealed solid now. Wherever they are in that lift shaft, they've got to hang in there until we solve this problem. Mm. Joe and Bert picked themselves up from the floor of the... Cage. Cage. The force of the sudden stopping had thrown them both down. Thrown their hips through their shoulder. Are you all right? Bert asked. No bones broken, replied Joe. Why aren't we stopped here? Maybe I should write a letter to the National Coal Board and ask them, said Bert. 
Seriously, I... What is that? Seriously, I think it was a brake failure. Can't happen in theory. I've heard those theories... I've heard those theories before, said Joe. How do we get out of here? First, let's find out how we are, said Bert. (laughs) He took a screen (laughs) How we are. He's on coke. He took a screwdriver from his pocket and dropped it over the side of the cage into the total darkness below and listened listened as it hit the ground beneath. At least a minute later. I I reckon we're about 20 feet from the bottom. Joe screamed. I could think we stopped, remarked Joe. Yes, another two or three seconds and we've had our three bones under our pits. He looked around the cage. I think we might have been luck, he said. Finding a rope in a coil. (laughs) He's gotten to get scared. Finding a rope in a coil attached to it. What? He said, finding a rope in a coil attached to the wall of the cage next to him on the cage, which was on the wall. And it looked like a coil, because it was a coil. Next to him. <laughs> Left side. <laughs> Ever shit down a rope before, Missy? Missy? Oh, I'm not reading it if it's got Missy in it. More than once, said, said Joe. But she How has. do we know if it's long enough? Well, I'll go for it, and you Bert tell me was, when to stop. Bert was paying out the rope, <laughs> measuring it with the span of his arms. There's a good 20 feet here, bitch! (laughs) (laughs) You only guessed we're 20 feet from the bottom, Joe reminded him. Good point, said Bert. It's a logical young woman you are... What? It's a logical young woman you are? Yeah, I was saying it right the whole time. He would speak like this. It's a logical young woman you are, so I'll go first. (laughs) He's tapped. If I run out of rope and drop ten feet, you may get a chance to fix a couple of these splints you were talking about, two broken legs. Fucking hell, come up for Herbert. <laughs> he attached the rope to the frame of the cage, which was next to him, on the cage, and it looked like a frame, but it, he had a rope in hand, so he put it on the frame, in the cage, which was next to him. Left side. Left side. <laughs> and he paid it out over the side, then climbed after it climbed after it don't forget we're down here to help a man in trouble not fuck (laughs) so maybe we should take a risk or two oh god it gives you a headache doesn't it the doctor completed his inspection of the lift machinery he wiped his hands on a brightly coloured handkerchief drawn from one of his capacious jacket pockets and spoke to Dave and the brigadier Absolutely correct, <laughs> he said. Is she solid? Whatever the spit. <laughs> Wherever the lift is hanging, it seems sharp. It's going to be there for quite some time. I noticed coming here, said the brigadier. There are two shafts. Couldn't we use the other lift? Dave shook his head at the simplicity of this English non-minor. It's a counterweight. It's a counterweight lift system, man. As Uh-oh. one goes down, the other comes up. So if one's jammed, the other one's jammed too. You dipshit. 
That makes sense, said the doctor. Although it doesn't help very much. He scratched the side of his nose and considered the problem. Could you just stop doing that? It's <laughs> a big itch, isn't it? Yeah. What if we made the other little independent? By Jove, said the brigadier. You mean so that it would work on its own? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, said the doctor, is what independent means. He turned back to Dave. Could we make a donkey engine to a polythetum? I suppose we could, said Dave. But remember, there's the same cable running to both lifts. We'd have to cut through the cable to free the other lift before we could do anything. Mm. All right, said the doctor. Where's your cuffing gear? There isn't any, said Dave. <laughs> oh, we haven't got any of that. Said oh, Dave. No, 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 no. Oh, it's a big no-no here. <laughs> uh, there isn't any of that, said Dave. The mine's out of action for a year. When it closed, the National Coal Board stripped us of everything. For goodness sake, said the doctor. No, he didn't. <laughs> for goodness sake. For Christ's sake, said the doctor. He's not Welsh. Oh, oh no, he isn't, is he? For goodness sake, said the doctor, showing a touch of anger. <laughs> Let's tell the National Coal Board we need back the cutting gear and we need it fast. Have you ever tried to get the coal board to do anything fast? <sighs> Asked Dave. But I've been thinking. I know where this should be. Sub- I know. <laughs> Russell, sweep it under the carpet. <laughs> I, I know where this should. I know where. I know where there should be some cutting equipment we need. Where? Panorama Chemicals, ah. said Dave. If they're willing to help us, the brigadier moved to go. I'll get... To- oh, hang on, this is yours, isn't it? Thank you. Asked Dave, but I've been thinking I know where there should be the equipment we need. Where? Where? Panorama Chemicals, said Dave. But I can't do a Welsh accent. Dr Arnold Bell placed his carefully... Play... Repaired... Fuck me... Dr. Arnold Bell placed his carefully prepared report on the big desk in Dr. Stevens' office. He had expected Dr. Stevens to be there. Panorama Chemicals, said Dave. If they're willing to help us. The Brigadier moved to go. I'll get over there. I can't even remember how the Brigadier speaks. I'll get over there. I'll ask them straight away. It gets quieter and quieter. No, no. It's getting shy now. There's more people. Hold your horses, man, said Dave. <laughs> We're not all savages in We're not all savages in Wales, you know. We've got telephones just like you English. Come along with me. <laughs> Dave led the doctor and the brigadier back into the pit head office. He looked up the number he wanted in a grubby school exercise book, then picked up the phone and dialed. Dr. Arnold Bell placed his carefully prepared report on the big desk in Dr. Stevens' office. He had expected Dr. Stevens to be there, but found the office deserted. As Chief Scientific Officer of Panorama Chemicals, Chief Scientific Officer, he felt free to wander into the director's office. 
who was the director and chief chief scientific officer at Panorama Chemicals. <whistles> the director. Especially when he had such an important report as this to deliver. The report stated in analytical detail that Bateson's polymerization method was definitely working. It meant that for every ton of crude oil imported from the Middle East or mined in the North Sea, Panorama Chem or mined it, Panorama Chemicals would be able to produce twenty five percent more pet <sighs> would be able to produce twenty five percent more petrol and diesel fuel. The additional profit of the company might run into millions and millions of pounds. However, Dr. Bell was not concerned with profits. That was Dr. Stevens' affair. What fascinated Dr. Bell was the scientific achievement. The method resulted in tons of waste fluid, and this would have to be deposited somewhere. But Dr. Bell did not regard that. Sorry. But Dr. Bell did not regard that <laughs> did not regard that as his problem. For the time being, the waste was being pumped into the old coal mine. No doubt in time the company would devise some other means of disposal. As he turned to leave the office Wake up, listeners! As he turned to leave the office, the desk phone rang. He picked up the receiver. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Who's <laughs> uh, saying Bell speaking? Bell speaking. Is that Panorama Chemical? Who picked up the phone? Is that Panorama Chemicals? The voice had a strong Welsh accent. Yes, said Dr. Bell. You have come through to the direct line from the director's office. Can I help you? I'm calling from the mine, the voice went on. One of the lifts has jammed and there are people trapped. We need cable cutting equipment. Can you help us? Is anyone hurt? Dr. Bell was genuinely concerned. We don't know that yet, said the voice. Maybe... Maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe they're only suspended near the bottom of the shaft. We need cutting equipment to cut the other lift and work it independently if we can. I'm sure we can help. As Doctor Bell spoke, the uh, the uh, uh, as Doctor Sp- uh, fuck as Doctor Bell spoke, the office door opened and Doctor Stevens walked in, followed by Hinks. Dr. Bell told the caller to hang on. Hang on. Then quickly relayed the message to Dr. Stevens. He'd been ex- he'd expected Dr. Stevens to give an immediate orders for the company's equipment to be rushed to the mine. Instead, Dr. Stevens crossed his desk and disconnected the phone. <laughs> it's not company policy to lend equipment, said Dr. Stevens. There seemed to be something strange about his voice. Oh, right, okay. It is not company policy to lend equipment, said Dr. Stevens. There seemed to be something strange about his voice. Dr. Bell, the now dead telephone still in his hand, could not believe his ears. But the people are trapped. This could be a matter of life and death. (laughs) I'm sorry, Dr. Bell, 
But as far, but as from this moment, we have no cutting equipment. That's ridiculous," said Doctor Bell. "I know where it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> and there, and there it shall remain." Doctor C- Stevens seated himself behind a large desk. What's more, it may be necessary for you to confirm to the other people that we have no cutting equipment. Dr. Bell began to realise that the director was being perfectly serious. Would you mind explaining to me why on earth we shouldn't help disease people? Dr. Stevens. The mind must not be investigated. Is that, isn't it? The mind must not be investigated, said Stevens. You know what I was well do as well. <laughs> <laughs> Because that might have died. What? He's having a conversation with himself. <laughs> the man must not be investigated, said Dr. Stevens. You know that as well as I do. <laughs> I don't know how to do accents. Because the man had died. That and the other reasons. Dr. Stevens noticed the report lying on his desk, smiled and changed the subject. Yeah, so... How big's yours? <laughs> Dunno. <laughs> How big's yours? Oh, that looks interesting. Yeah. He opened the cover. One's death is enough, said Dr. Bell. I'm going to get that equipment then. What can I say, Emperor? <laughs> said Dr. Bell. I'm going to get that equipment on them. I'm just going said to that. get that equipment. He turned to leave and found Hinks had placed himself in front of the door. I thought I said, he turned to leave and found Hinks hung, <laughs> hung himself <laughs> in he front of the door. And, fucking oh, hell. fucking hell. Can you leave that alone, please? Will you get out of my way, please? Will you? Will. Will? Will. Will. Gav's liver. <laughs> Stay where you are, Hinks, said Dr. Stevens. He must not leave. Dr. Bell swung round. Look, I'm still the emperor. Look here, you have no right to punish me, prisoner. But his outburst was interrupted by a booming voice that seemed to have come from the ceilings. Stevens? (laughs) Dr. Stevens looked up. Yes. (laughs) Process him. Is that wise? Asked Dr. Stevens, speaking to the ceiling. <coughs> it is necessary, said the booming voice. Do as I say. Process. Who on earth is that? Asked Dr. Bell, mystified by the brief exchange. Oh, our boss, said Dr. Stevens. Yours and mine. I, I don't understand. Aye, well, you will, Dr. Stevens. Quite soon, too. Joe lowered herself slowly down the... He's not the governor. Brigadier. Joe lowered herself slowly down the rope. As she swung to to and fro, the beam from her helmet... What? Played like a searchlight as it swept the sides of the lift shaft. Looking down, she could see the light from Bert's helmet as he looked up towards her. You've got... No. You've got another three feet of rope! He called. Then. <clears throat> you have to fall the rest of the way. Wait. Oh, hang on. No, this is South African, yeah. isn't it? You have to fall the rest of the way. 
I'm here to catch you. She continued to ease herself down the rope. Then, as she expected, she felt no more rope between her legs. She lowered herself another <laughs> couple of feet and let go, bringing up her knees to a little to a le- to what? Bringing up her knees a little to make bringing her legs. Bringing up her knees. Bringing <laughs> up the knees. Mm-hmm. I love that simply right song. Mm. bringing up her knees a little to make her legs more springy for the final impact for a moment she <laughs> fell through space then hit the ground Bert caught caught her to steady her where is he over here Bert led her to the way where led her to, uh, Bert led the way to where Di Evans lay moaning on the floor at the mine oh. look look said Bert look at his arm Joe looked down her helmet light Playing on Die Evans. His hand and arm were glowing bright green. Oh, dear. End of sentence. End of chapter. Next week, chapter five. Next, next episode. Next episode. Next chapter. That was a shit chapter. Well, it Nothing is Nothing happened. Is. I mean, we're nearly halfway. Oh, my God. Maybe. Now, maybe two more chapters and we're halfway. Yeah. Greetings, people from Patreon, Patreon knees. My name is Luke. It is one in the morning, and we are going to record another chapter of this horrific book that Malcolm wrote. Bye bye. And we ran out of time. We ran out of time. Our theme tune started playing because. Why? I don't know. I've said it edited anyway, so it's pointless. It is pointless. Just wait for it to finish. I will. See so, ya. Yeah. This is the Patreon exclusive series. Exclusive. A WCCY original. Uh, yes. Well, not a, anyway. <laughs> The work isn't. Right. I've got a can of Coke. I haven't had Coke probably for, I'd say, at least two years, maybe. Rubbish. Uh, probably. You're an algae. I just don't, I just don't drink it. <laughs> wow. Chapter 5, Escape, exclamation mark. I hate reading Club. <sighs> boring, isn't it? It's a ma- Right, this is a massive chapter. Chapter 5 is probably the biggest one in the book. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think um, the publisher might have said Bulk it out. you can only have like 12 chapters, but he did 13, so he made one... Big one. A big one. Anyway, right. two chapters. here we go. I'm not too sure. Um, I hope you have fun. Yeah, stay with us, everybody. Um. <laughs> so here's chip, chapter five. Here's Chibbers. It's, it's late. It is 20 to 1. We'll start reading now. In his 40 years as a coal miner, Ted Hughes... Is <laughs> that the first page? Yeah. The Brigadier's Jeep screeched to a halt outside Panorama Chemicals building. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> his brakes were completely wrecked. <laughs> Fucking hell. That'll wake you up, won't it? <laughs> Put on a nice audio book to go to bed. <laughs> Please don't do it again. <laughs> oh, good God. He leapt out, ran up the steps, and ra- Oh, right. He leapt out, comma, ran up the steps, full stop. 
Should see, I'd say it's a bit rubbish. And yeah. anyway, a uniformed atten- <laughs> attendant rushed to hold open one of the glass doors. I need to see Doctor Stevens," said the brigadier. A matter of utmost importance. The urgency in his voice impressed the yeah. attendant, and he hurriedly escorted the brigadier to the director's office and tapped on the door. <coughs> Dr. Stevens was sitting at his desk in conference with Mark Elgin. They broke off their discussion and listened attentively while the brigadier explained what had just happened at the coal mine and the pressing need for cable-cutting equipment. The brigadier also mentioned that Dr. Stevens's phone seemed to be out of order. Apparently, Dave Griffiths made contact when he dialed. This is the problem with the chapter. It just says things. No one talks. It's really boring. But then the line went suddenly dead. <gasps> first things first, said Dr. Stevens, when the brigadier had finished. Thanks for letting us know about the phone. However, the immediate problem is the equipment you need. Ah. <laughs> and we should be glad to help you in any way possible. He touched a button on his desk intercom and spoke towards the microphone. Dr. Bell! Oh, fuck me. Could yes. you come in here a moment, please? Dr. Stevens again. <laughs> At once! At once! Said Dr. Bell's voice over a tiny loudspeaker. Oh, I wrote notes. Dr. Bell... What? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, right, so... Because I'm lost with all who's got what accent. So... This needs writing down. It is. Oh, good God. So Can c- you airdrop that, me? It's not finished yet. Well, if you airdrop it, me. <laughs> At once, said Dr. B- At once said Dr. Bell's voice over the tiny loudspeaker. Dr. Bell is our scientific and technical officer, Dr. Bell. Stevens, explain. (laughs) Oh, we're doing two pages each? If you want to. Okay. Very meticulous worker, an idealist in his way. Many a time I've had to tell him not to work all night, just to go home to your wife and children. How excellent, said the brigadier. Although he wasn't at all interested, his mind was fixed on the people who were trapped in the mine. Will he take long to get here? Hardly, Mark Elgin smiled. He works just down the road from the corridor. What? He works just down the corridor. He works just down... He works just down the corridor. I don't know. There was a tap on the door... It's just one. <laughs> there was a tap on the door. <laughs> uh, I can't see where that is now. Should we just do one page each? No, no, no. Can we nah, please nah. just do oh. one page each? Oh, I've just, I'm about like halfway now. Are you not? And where are we up to? Don't know. Don't care. Stevens explained. Very meticulous worker. An idealist that is away. Many's the time I've had to tell him not to work all night. To go home to his wife. And children. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> okay. Dr. Stevens. Are you all right? Oh, excellent, said the brigadier. Although he wasn't all at all interested, 
His mind was fixed on the people who were trapped in the mine. Will he take long to get here? <laughs> Who's Elgin? How does Elgin speak? Exactly the same way as Stevens. Slightly higher, though. Hardly! <laughs> Mark Elgin smiled. Uh, he, he works just down the corridor. There was a tap on the door and a spare aesthetic. 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 How, what, how do you say it? How do you say it? Aesthetic. Aesthet, aesthet, a spare man. A spare man. A, sp, a spare man in a white coat. Three, three of them, was it? <laughs> three spare men. <laughs> spare man. Another spare want... man. And another spare man. Wait, who's... Who's speaking, then? You want... A spare man in a white coat entered. You wanted me, Dr. Stevens. Is that the, the German? I don't know. You wanted me, Dr. Stevens. Our good friend, the Brigadier, needs our help, said Dr. Stevens. And that's the other one. Our good friend, the Brigadier, needs our help, said Dr. Stevens. Apparently there's been another accident in the mine. (laughs) Jesus. The Brigadier swung round to greet Dr. Bellend. Good Good afternoon, Doctor. We desperately need cutting equipment. <coughs> Oxycetylene, that sort of thing. Now we need it fast. <laughs> Doctor Bell. Oh, I think Doctor Bell is the German. Mm. Doctor Bell shook his head. I'm sorry, Brigadier, but we have nothing. Is he that. Welsh? Uh, I'm I, sorry, well, last time I just went with um, the Emperor, so I'm going with that one. I'm sorry, Brigadier, but we have nothing of that kind here. The Brigadier was astounded. In an industrial undertaking of this size. Dr. Stevens also seemed most surprised. But surely, Dr. Bell, we should have all sorts of emergency equipment. What's happened to it? (laughs) Dr. Bell shrugged. The emergency equipment was withdrawn some time ago. Sir, to be replaced by Dermis Lances. They haven't arrived yet. But that's incredible. Uh, but that's incredible. <laughs> but that's incredible, said Elgin. I'm no technician, oh by Christ, but I'm sure I saw oxygen equipment in the stores only last week. Dr. Stevens gave him a hard-piercing look. (laughs) As you said, you little cretin. Oh, you are no technician. I'm sure Dr. Bell knows what he talking about. (laughs) (laughs) He turned to the brigadier and smiled. You must think we are woefully (laughs) ill-equipped. I do find it rather surprising. <laughs> the brigadier commented. It's here. Fucking hell. Dr. Stevens rose from his desk. Oh. <laughs> I hope you won't accuse us of being deliberately obstructed, brigadier. He took the brigadier's arm and started to propel him out of the office in a friendly way. What? Yeah. Yeah. Get out of my fucking office! My friend, 
okay. Have you thought about ask? Have you thought of asking Professor Jones? Ah, but no. I remember they tried to borrow some of our equipment some weeks ago, so presumably they don't have any of themselves. <laughs> Doctor Stevens led the brigadier away, still talking. Elgin found himself staring at Doctor Bell. I can't. <laughs> I can't quite believe this," said Elgin. We must have some sort of cutting tools yeah, here. Poor fuck me, I thought he said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we must have some sort of cutting tool. <laughs> fuck it. Uh, I had, I had given an exact amount of the position, said Dr. Bell. No, I had given again. the exact amount of the position. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I had given an exact amount of position, he said Dr. Bell. <laughs> he spoke as though he'd rehearsed the sentence. Elgin looked closely What's at Dr. Bell. Mean? Are you feeling... No, sorry. No. <laughs> oh. Look, probably... <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Perfectly well, thank you. Perfect. I can't do it. Chapman. Chap. Uh, perfectly well, thank you. Oh. oh perfectly well, thank you. <laughs> but but your voice, Elgin persisted. It doesn't sound like you. Oh, I must get on with my work, said Dr. Bell. He moved towards the door. Grabbing his nipple. Gra- yeah, <laughs> grabbing his throbbing cut. <laughs> no. <laughs> what you don't get it trapped in the door, lad. Fuck it. You're not going to make <laughs> it through that, pal. Fuck it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. Hang on a moment. <laughs> I think it's time we had a chat about the revered. Re- revered. Oh, it's late. About the revered director, Dr. Stevens. Dr. Bell paused mm. by the door, presumably because he can't get through it. No, what, a, what about Dr. Stevens? What about Dr. What Stevens? About Dr. What about Dr. Stevens? Oh. Elgin had always liked Dr. Bell, and he felt he could oh, speak his go. mind to him. Here we go. It strikes me a bit odd how he wants to hush up the death of the miner who turned green. <laughs> Is there something going on? No one's told me. It's getting hot in here. Is it getting fucking hot in here? Is it me? I can't discuss our director with you, Elgin. <laughs> Oh, no. What? That's the wrong way around. Oh, I don't know who said that. Elgin went up went up close and looked Dr. Bell in the eyes. Oh. You always call me Mac. What's the matter with you? Dr. Bell put his hand on... Ooh, oh, Put shit. his hand on the door handle, I ready to go. I can't this. Your... Sorry. Your attitude will be reported. Disloyalty cannot be tolerated. No, 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 no. Disloyalty, said Elgin. But I only sucked you... Uh, uh, Whoa, fuck. <laughs> you tried... <laughs> <laughs> but I only sucked you off, then. It was only a little suck. <laughs> it was only a... You're... <laughs> You're talking like a robot, man. No, no he's talking like, like a robot. Man. 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 (laughs) The director will hear of this. So I need to say a bit louder than that. The director will hear of this, said Dr. Bell. Yeah, the director will hear of this, said Dr. Bell. Ah. He turned. The page. 
Slowly. I'm up. Here he is. Strap in. The handle. What? Not the bell. He turned the handle, opened the door, and walked through Why it. Why do you always go on your phone while I'm reading? It's really rude. <laughs> like a teenager. Opened the door and marched off down the corridor. Making sure the door was closed behind him. It wasn't, which is a good thing. Right? Good thing he got the key. Elgin watched as Dr. Bell went away. Aww, maybe we'll get it next time. Maybe. Even his walk seemed different. <laughs> Elgin suddenly <laughs> shivered. <laughs> Ooh. He felt Ooh. most... No, this, this is you reading. You don't have to go, he, oh, he felt most... He felt most uneasy. Moist. Are you scared? No, it's gone. <laughs> Bert. Yeah, Bert. Elgin. Oh, Bert is still here. Who went away? Elgin watched the doctor Bert. Bell went away. Bert. Who's Bert? Bert's voice was gentle. Who? Bert. Bert is Bert Pritchard. Bert. Bert South African. Bert, 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 Bert. Oh, fuck. Are you scared? Fucking hell. Bert's voice was gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Said, oh, it's a new scene. Said uh, Joe. What's that creaking sound? Bert listened. It's my the, cook. From the... De- <laughs> it's my personal pipe. From the depths of the mine came a slight creaking noise. Yeah. <laughs> Have we read this? From the what? From the depths of the mine came That's what? That's nothing. From the said. depths of the mine came what? From the depths of the mine came a slight creaking noise. Uh, That's... That's nothing, he said. We say the old girl, the mine that is, is snoring in her sleep. It's the roof moving a bit, bitch. <laughs> Joe felt her knee shaking. It's going to fall in. It's going to fall in. Shall we say it's trying to? He grinned, grabbed his penis <laughs> and winked at Joe. That's what all the props are for. Have you ever been trapped? She asked. He nodded, the beam of his helmet light playing up and down the mine wall as he moved his head. Eight years ago, next November, I just finished my snap launch, as you would call it. Then a section of the roof came down. We didn't see daylight again for the next two fucking days. Do you know what? Matt Cochran was right that you read this like uh, Mondasian Cyberman. And first we went. No, I don't read like that. You uh, do with the South African. Yeah, because he's. My name is Bert Elkin. That's just how I. Just how he thinks. It's just how he thinks, man. It's just how he thinks. Fuck you, Mark. I don't see you reading. <laughs> yeah, how would you like it, Mark? Come, you come and how read. How would you like it? Oh, why don't we invite all the patrons to read a chapter? Because they do not You work. can pay to do it yourself. <laughs> but you were all safe. Voice. This time he shook. This time he shook his head, his helmet playing horizontally to it and fro across the mine wall. Light. Six of us never saw daylight again. Joe was shocked. That's terrible. <laughs> That's. Uh... <laughs> he shrugged. You know how many miners are killed a year in the pits? Fifty on average. Those losers were nothing. Makes you think, doesn't it? 
Anyway, I shouldn't be telling you these terrible things when we're stuck down here, you know? I'll be Dudley. I don't need music. He walked over and looked at Di Evans. Di had stopped moaning. Oh, his face was turning bright green. Do you think they're doing anything to get us out? Joe asked. Nope. Must be by now, said Bert. But I've been thinking, maybe it's time we started to get ourselves out. Ow. <laughs> that fall eight years ago, he said, trying to remember. They finally got us out through an old shaft. Of course, if it may have fallen in by now, it wasn't in regular use. Us. Us. I don't want to lead you on a wild goose chase, girl. <laughs> if I can't find it again. Anything better than sitting here waiting, said Joe, getting to her feet. That's where you're wrong. Getting lost in one of the galleries could be a lot worse than sitting on your fucking backside hoping for help. No help will come, bitch. But if I could remember that way we went, what? <laughs> he haunched. He haunched. He hung down and started to draw a map of the mine in the coal on the dust on the floor in the mine of the floor. And it was good. And it was good. <laughs> on the second day, we'd take Di Evans up with us, of course. No. We'd take Di Evans with us, of course, Joe asked tentatively. You've used that twice now, Malcolm. Bert looked up at her. He'd hold us back, bitch. <laughs> In any case, the way he looks, I don't think he'll see he daylight again. Ever. Ever. In the pit office, Dave Griffiths. Dialed the phone. Number of the National Coal Board offices in Cardiff. The number is... Oh, watching him was Professor Joe. You have to dial nine first for outside line. If you, the area code. If you don't get through. Um, watching him was Professor Jones, who with a few other local people had come running into the mine on hearing of yet another accident. I don't A girl answered the phone. This is Lanthlefach here. Oh. <laughs> Where? Said Dave onto the, to the phone. This is Dave. Oh, right. Dave speaks like that then. Who's Dave? I don't know. I don't know. Dave is old Welshman. God's sake. A girl answered the phone. This is Flan Fairfax here. I don't know how to do Welsh. Said Dave into the phone. Let me speak to Mr. Ron Owen, if you please. I'll try. To find him for you, <laughs> said the girl, and went off the light. Why does she have to be smutty? Don't know. Said the girl, and went off the line. Surely, queried Professor Jones, there must be another way down into the mine. Uneconomic to have more than one shaft. Oh, said Dave. Waiting for Mr. Owen oh. to come to the telephone. Oh. 
The old private owners were in coal for profit, weren't they? He heard Mr. Owen speaking on the phone. That you, Ron? That you, Ron? He asked. That page, there. We got that loads. page. We got loads to go. We've barely scratched a dent. Barely scratched a dent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like doing well shit sucks ass. Here we go. Dave Griffiths here. (laughs) Dave Griffiths here. There's been another accident. (laughs) The doctor stepped through the door from... from, What? Oh, it's the doctor as well. (laughs) All right, okay. The doctor stepped through the door through the door from the room containing the lift machinery. Oh. That's a old bong. He cut in. Throw <laughs> <laughs> it off a bit. <laughs> That's where you're <laughs> Dave asked Mr. Owen to hold on for a moment moment. For a wank. You... <laughs> hold on, everyone. What are you talking about, Doctor? I'm saying that what happened to you was not that. The doctor repeated. He put a metal cotter pin. Ooh, what the hell's that? Dear Malcolm. Oh dear. On the desk for Dave to see. That was lying on the floor of the cage. It'd been removed from the make my lips. Lincoln. <laughs> What's happened to the little delivered sabotage? Do you want to wipe the sick off your face, doctor? Shut up. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> oh, you could. You could be right, said Dave. Anyway, we still need the cutting equipment. He turned to phone the report of this latest incident to the Llan colliery. As he did so, the brigadier turned. No, the, the brigadier turned. <laughs> the chemicals had got to him. He returned from Panorama Chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the Brigadier over there? On all fours, running at 40 miles an hour. Quick, <laughs> God. <laughs> you all right, Brigadier? <laughs> Galloping. Running like a gorilla when they charge. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Before another arm burst out of his back. Roar! <laughs> oh, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so he returned from Panorama Chemicals. He threw his swagger cane down onto the desk. That's not what? He threw his swagger cane down onto the desk next to the cotter pin. Can you believe it, Doctor? A place the size of Panorama Chemical Works and no cutting gear. Then he noticed the cotter pin. <laughs> What's that? The Doctor explained his discovery. There was no way the cotter pin could have fallen out of the brake linkage. No, no, no. It had to be pulled out <laughs> by someone who wanted to create an accident. Oh. Is it an accident if it was done on purpose? Yeah. Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins. You say panorama... You're not real FBI, are you? You say panorama chemicals. No, that's mm. just Hannibal Lecter, isn't no. it? You... Do Nivea not... skin Do... cream. You wear Nivea skin cream. But not today. <laughs> okay. You say, Professor... No, Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Do not go gentle into that. Good night. <laughs> Rage! 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 Against the dying of light. Right. You say... Oh, 
You say Panorama Chemicals have no cutting gear? Asked the young Professor Jones, puzzled by the news. I don't know where... Anthony's got a bit of a cult. <laughs> I saw both the director there and their chief scientific and technical officer, said the brigadier, yawning. <laughs> May I ask who you are, sir? Professor Jones didn't bother to answer the question. Oh, no, sorry. May I ask who you are, sir? Professor Jones didn't bother to answer the question. He turned to Dave Griffiths, who had just put down the phone. Dave. <laughs> Let me tell you. Didn't you borrow cutting equipment from Panorama only a fortnight ago? What? Where's he from? <laughs> where are Anthony you from? Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Can I ask, where are you from? Hello, it's, it's Tony here. You sound like Tony from here. the moon. Tony here. <laughs> it's Tony here. I, I, oh, I've lost it. I've lost it. He's lost it. Can you just play some Anthony Hopkins? Just some, you know, generic. I love him. I fucking love Anthony Hopkins. Is it because he's Welsh? Yeah. Long time ago. Okay, I've got him. I've got him. I found him. There he is. Anthony, can he? Long time ago. Dave, didn't you borrow cutting equipment? I don't know where this is going. Dave, didn't you borrow cutting equipment from Panorama only a fortnight ago? Cutting equipment or chorusing? Chorusing equipment. Dave nodded. Yeah. <laughs> they let me collect Terrified. it and put it back myself. <laughs> it's a strange shed at the back of the powerhouse there. Professor Jones turned back to the brigadier. You should have insisted. Oh, keep going, because I, I can't do Welsh. All right, OK. Should I, said the brigadier. Who did not take kindly... Do not go gentle <laughs> into that good night. <laughs> Who did not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage! Rage against the dying of the light. Though few men... Who did not take kindly to being told what to do by a stranger. It doesn't, it's, it's nothing like it. If I may repeat the question. No, who's this speaking now? If I may repeat my question, are you connected with this mine in some way? This is Professor Jones, said Dave, with a touch of pride. This is Professor Jones, said Dave, with a sense of pride, touch of pride. He's come to live in the village. Professor Jones, said the doctor. God, there's loads of people speaking here. I can't do any of them either. and extending his hand. Uh, I never realised. <laughs> I've been wanting to meet you for th- for a long time. Your paper on DNA f- uh, synthesis is what? quite remarkable for your age. Professor Jones took the doctor's remark as a slight rebuff for him being so young. No. You, rega- <laughs> you regard me as young. You regard me as, shall we say, a promising youngster. There's Anthony. He's back. Sort of. 
not to be taken so seriously. Do not go pulsing into that good night. Old age should burn. Hmm. No, no, said the doctor. Said the doctor. I mean for the age you live in. I haven't seen anything like that paper of yours. Professor Jones and Dave Griffiths stared at the doctor. The year 2170. The year 2179, said Professor Jones. Nearly there. You mean 205 year, years in the future? I can't do this now. A smile played on the young professor's lips. <laughs> Clearly, he thought the doctor was mad. <clears throat> well, maybe if the year was... William? Maybe. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you are. No, I'm ban- any new characters, I'm banning Welsh because I can't do it. All right, okay. Well, maybe it would be the year 2169. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. You're a remarkable young scientist. It's an honour to meet you. The brigadier has cleared his throat loudly. <coughs> the, oh, sorry. The brigadier cleared his throat loudly. Like a bird? Like a pigeon. Doctor. <laughs> Doctor, the matter at hand is the rescue of Miss Grant oh. and the man she went with down that line. Professor Jones said, "Why don't you? F- why don't why you f- fuck?" <laughs> Professor Jones says, "said Why don't we, why why don't we go back to Panorama Chemicals? Just take the equipment we need and force if necessary by force if necessary." Oh, hold on," said the brigadier. I can't start a war with Panorama Chemicals. I'm supposed to be protecting them from demonstrators and possible sabotage. In fact, Professor Jones, I'm supposed to be protecting them from against you. No! You're an epidemic. To be practical, where's the nearest town we could hire this stuff? <laughs> Good God. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> which, which way does that page face? Do you want to see how much more we got? Not particularly. Like we haven't even done anything. Look at that. Look. Oh, God. Should Hear we do it. another page Hear each? It. Oh, don't. No, don't. It'll make me sad. Not Dave one, said... Is this Welsh? Dave, yeah. I can't, I can't do Welsh. Well, I'm sorry. Newport, I'd imagine. But it's quite a drive... Then I had better get started. Then I'd better get started, said the brigadier. Uh, exactly where? In Newport. There's a company I know of hire out all sort. Pardon? That, uh, Warsaw. I just can't do it. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to do okay, it okay, unapologetically. Okay, okay, okay. There's a company I know of hire. Who of hire? Whoa! Jesus There's Christ. a company I know of hire out all sorts of tools and equipment. That is what it says. Okay, there's a, there's a mistake somewhere Look, then. At the top of the page. I believe you, honestly, mate. <laughs> mate. <laughs> Look, it's top of the page. Dave said, Newport. Newport, I imagine, but it's quite a drive. Then I'd better get started, said the brigadier. Exactly where in you come, Newport? Newport. There's a. Yeah. There's a company I know of hire out all sorts of tools and equipment, said Dave. Yes. Correct. You can read. Ish. Said Dave. 
What if I come with you? This is going to be cool. What if I come with you? Might save time. Good, good. I should be, I should be most grateful. The Brigadier accepted. Doctor, we'll be back as quickly as possible. I trust you will not involve yourself in anything between now and and then. Is then it? that might possibly upset the status quo. The brigadier hurried out, followed by Dave Griffiths. Thank fuck. A moment later, the doctor heard the jeep start up and tear away at high speed. <laughs> That army friend of yours, said Professor Jones. He seems to be quite believer in the law and order. What? Quite believer. Was <laughs> we all? Asked the doctor. At least when it was law and order. Just go German. I can't do these accents. I can't. Do you want me to read it? I can't do it. Okay. I can't do okay. it. Where did we get to? Like middle page, I don't know. I I'll be all asked the doctor. Ask the doctor. At least when the Lord ordered it, he picked uh, up. Oh, sorry. He picked up on the cotter pin again and looked at it thoroughly. Who would have done? Oh, who would have done a criminal thing like this? Certainly not one of the miners. Certainly not uh, one of the miners. Said Professor uh, Jones. Exactly. Said the doctor. Nor any of the other villagers, because the oh, sorry. Nor any of the other villages, because they're all related to miners. Who the hell is that? I don't that? know. It's tiring He looked to up read. and smiled at the younger man. People from the whole world community, perhaps? Oh. It was more of a joke than a serious question. So who else and why, Clarice? He scratched his chin. You know, panorama chemicals are beginning to interest me. Me. D- me. <laughs> Do you know the layout there? Very well, said Who Professor said that? Jones. Oh, fuck! Inter- uh, the, the doctor said the line before. Okay. Very well, said Professor Jones. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Doctor? The doctor pulled down Jones's. Pa- <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Doctor? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he tugged on it. Let's get to it. Tug, tug, tug. Now give us a hug. <laughs> a quick chuck and fuck. Chucking fucking chuck, sorry. Other way, way around, other way around. Oh, what does a that mean? A quick fucking chuck. A chuck and fuck. A rail and sail. A bum and run. <laughs> <laughs> a bum and run. <laughs> Nail and sail. Yeah. Fucking fuck. Fucking joke. Yeah. What else? Um, Don't know. Come and run? Nice. Yeah, that's All okay. Right. It's okay. It's okay. Hinks was sick. sick. <laughs> Hinks was heaving at the back of his own little room in the security sector of Panorama Chemicals building. There was nothing much to do. So he made himself a cup of tea and was now reading one of his comics. Because he was six. What? <laughs> he was six years old. Comics. Come on. How Malcolm. 
Just because he... He had a big collection of comics, mainly American. (laughs) Most of them full of pictures that told stories. He preferred pictures to words because he could not read very fast. Although he tried to keep up this secret, Hinks had looked through the picture story many times before, but it was almost... But it always fascinated him to go through it again. Ah. He was just about to turn a page. He was just about to turn a page that carried the first picture of torture sequence when the alarm buzzer in his room started to bleep. Angrily, he put down the comic, picked up the phone. Who is this? Hinks. What? Have we met Hinks before? Hinks is, um... Yeah, we've met Hinks. Hinks is the Aussie. Nah, for God's sake, look at the size of that. Right. <laughs> what is it? What, what is, is it? it? What is it? What is it? Demonstrators, replied the voice of the security guard. Lots of them. Hink switched on the television monitor screen by his bed. It immediately showed a view around the front gates. Professor Clifford Jones and a crowd of young people from the whole wheel community were parading up and down in the road, banging drums, playing musical instruments, and shouting slogans. But by banging drums and playing musical instruments, he's assuming that percussion is not a musical instrument. Now, you're wrong there, Malcolm. It's like when people say singers and musicians. It really annoys them, but we all agree. What, singers, not musicians? Well, so they think they are. Do well, they think they are? I have no comment on that. You do. You seem to. You seem to be itching, chomping at the bit to get your thoughts anyway, out on that. He turned up the volume. Yeah, to what hear if what I they were to say singers aren't? Save the valleys from Panorama Chemicals. PC stands for pollution and corruption. <laughs> Stevens must <laughs> go. The further <laughs> the better. <laughs> Hink snapped off the sound, picked up the phone <laughs> again, and picked up the phone again. What? He barked orders into the mouthpiece. <laughs> Look at the size of that. All security units to the front section. I can't do it anymore. For God's sake, look at the all size security, of that. All security. All security. Right, all security. here we go. Come on, Kylie. Come, <laughs> Come on, Kylie. Come on, Kylie. Come on, baby. All Give security. me all you got. I can do that. I can do that. I can right, do here that. we go. I can do it. I can do it. Are you going to do it, Ian? I can do it if I get what you want. I can try. I can try. I'm not that far off the bottom. Okay. Okay. All security units to the front section. Under no circumstances are they allowed to be allowed allowed to break the grounds. Regretfully, he put away his comic, got up to go, and protect the building. Still, the comic would be there when he got back, and he hadn't got to the pictures of the people being beaten and burned. So that was something to look forward to. Is that what he says? Yes. Oh my god! Literally, that is what it says. From his position high in a tree, the doctor could see. The noisy demonstrators take the noisy demonstration taking place at the front gates of Panorama Chemicals. He waited until he saw a security guard run to take up their positions against possibly demonstrators break in then with <laughs> Then with great care he crawled along the one branch of the tree that had grown over the electrified fence. I remember this bit. Electrified fence. What are you doing to this book? Electrified fence, which surrounded the building. He crawled along the one branch of the tree that had grown over the electrified fence, which surrounded the building. As he neared the end of the branch, it began to sag under his weight 
almost touching the fence below. The doctor knew that if it didn't make contact, a charge of electricity would course through the branch and through him up to his pupils, making them explode. And that it was probably powerful enough to kill him. <laughs> With the tree branch barely an inch from the fence, barely an inch, Malcolm. Rubbish. It's like do you know when a kid tells you a story on the yeah. playground. Rubbish. Come on. Your mate. dad doesn't work as a... <laughs> an astronaut. Really? Oh, come on, come Phil. On. Oh, rubbish. Rubbish. The doctor gave a final little jump and landed on his feet Ooh. inside the compound. He released his hold on the branch and f- a fraction of a second before it came into contact with the fence. Mm. There was a flash Ooh. and it withered Ooh. and fell from the tree. Oh. The doctor paused a moment to consult the map which Professor Jones had sketched for him. Then he raced across open, the open across open ground towards the buildings. From his office, Dr. Stevens looked down at the demonstrators. He had hoped UNIT was going to stop all this nonsense, but they couldn't be asked. In his mind, he started to formulate a strong letter of protest to the government, complaining that the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart seemed more involved in the colliery than, than in protecting panorama chemicals. These idiots, Dr. Stevens thought, banging drums and shouting and... Might have good intentions, but they were not realists. What the world wanted was more and more petrol and diesel and guns for the industry. Aeroplanes and road vehicles were good too. Submersibles were questionable, (laughs) but But always worthwhile. Trains, on the other hand, were not on his radar. However, they make a good chew. Chew. But... As Due to the <laughs> nature of them being rail-bound and unable to be steered. This caused problems. Understandably. <laughs> However, Dr. Stevens did love when trains go through tunnels. As for pollution caused... As for pollution caused through the continued use of oil, that was the price mankind had to pay. If they wanted to kill themselves, he would do it for them he thought. But but in time, Dr. Stevens believed even this problem could be solved. A good book. Professor Jones and his followers lived in a world of make-believe. The cock of technological progress could not be turned back. He, (laughs) He, as he watched from his window, he saw Hinks run out to give orders to the security guards. He seemed to be a survival from an earlier Brutus age. Malcolm's lost it here. A very violent sort of man, but Dr. Stevens reminded himself the price he paid to keep Panorama chemicals secure from hotheads like Professor fucking Jones. Professor fucking Jones was to employ thugs like Hinks. It saddened the idealistic side of Dr. Stevens, thinking that nothing was for nothing. Mm. What's this got to do with the rest of the story? 
His thoughts were interrupted by a ring on the internal phone. He lifted it. Yes. A stranger is in the ground. So God's voice. <laughs> he appears to be consulting a map of sorts of the grounds and is making for the equipment sheds on the grounds. Should we destroy him, Dr. Stevens, sir, on the grounds? Dr. Stevens immediately realised the trick. All the shouting and drum banging and banging at the front gates was a decoy. No. Sorry. No, he said into the phone. Catch him, then tell me where to find that. He put down the phone. Was this anything to do with the Green Death? Yeah. Was this anything to do with the Brigadier's request for cutting gear? If so, he had a surprise up his sleeve. Mm. The, the doctor passed away. <laughs> the doctor passed by... Keeled over. <laughs> had a Hit heart. the deck. <laughs> the doctor passed by the side of the building and looked at the sketch map again. He was, he calculated, now quite close to the equipment shed. Committing the route to memory, he put the map into his pocket and strode along the side of the building... He knew he should shortly turn right and pass through a narrow passageway that ran between the two buildings, but not before a left turn. It's not the first one, it's not the second one, it's not the third one, nor the fourth, but it is the fifth one. On the the left. On the left, which is before the sixth one. And uh, it's just going to be through a narrow passageway. He knew this because he had the map Mm. on the left. He turned the corner and saw the passageway on the left. The equipment sheds, according to the map, were at the far end. From the the distance, he could hear the demonstrators shouting and singing, smiling to himself. He sat down, he set off down the passageway. He he reached for the middle of a metal, I'm just going to read it now. As he reached the middle of the metal grill, slammed across the way ahead of him, he wheeled round, another metal grill closed behind him. He looked up to see if, there was anywhere to climb. The face of Hinks grinned down at him from a low roof. Chapter six. The grinning face of Hinks looked down at him. There's an illustration on the next page. Is that? Do you want me to carry on reading? Aust- yeah, go on. You keep going. Australia, Australia, Australia. The- it's hard to read. This is your friendly host. <laughs> South African. <laughs> This is your friendly host, called Hinks. We hope to stay at Panorama. We hope... It's hard Australia. To, I can, it's really easy to talk when you're sort of making it up, but as soon as you've got to read it, it sort of just goes all out of the window. P.E. P.E. teacher. P.E. teacher. Hello. Hello, Hello. I'm a PE teacher. My name is PE teacher Phil. <laughs> My name's Phil. I'll be your Australian. This is your friendly host called Hinks. Here we go. We hope your stay at Panorama will be long and comfortable. Whoa, long fuck. and comfortable. <laughs> be long and uncomfortable. Bald. <laughs> He's Russian. He grew up in Russia. <laughs> he guffawed loudly. G u f f a w e d. Guffawed loudly. <laughs> It was not often Hinks had the opportunity to make a joke. Joe and Bert, fuck me. Joe and, oh, after all that, it's cut into another scene. Joe and Bert pausing their trudge mm. along the mine. 
she asked. Bert wiped the sweat from his brow and... I don't know. Let's take a breather. They both wanked down. They both sank down, sitting on the floor with their backs to the wall. God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> Did you ever think of becoming anything else? Joe asked. How far off are we? Then am I not... Is it worth making it two parts? Should we make it two parts? Well, Bert gave a short laugh. Ha! Oh, oh yes! I thought about becoming a film star or winning the football pools. Every man thinks about it, but not many actually do it. But it seems so dangerous. Excuse me, but it seems so dangerous, Joe asked. And such a terrible place to walk. Oh. <laughs> Work. Thinks, think we're simple-minded, do you, you bitch? There was a gentle smile in his voice, and he put the question. Oh, no, that was, uh, that was Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, she answered. I wouldn't say that, she answered. But, um, well, why do people become minors? You don't get much choice, he simply said. There's some people get born in Buckingham Palace and they become kings and queens and princes because that's the family occupation. <laughs> Us, we get born in a place like Flanflefach. <laughs> well, our fathers and uncles all go down the pits. When you're old enough, you go down too. To show the world you're a man, daft, isn't it? Oh, not really, no, she said. Someone has to get the call. That's true. He was quiet for a, he was quiet for a moment. There's more to it than that, miss, you bitch. When you're a minor, you are part of a one big family. And that's a wonderful feeling. Feeling. Every man in the pit knows his life depends on the other men. You go now. Put a funny voice on him. Other men. Where's, where's that? Top page on the right. Left. Oh, God. We live together. We die together. And he grinned broadly. By goodness. Kind if the... Have you what? Kind yeah, okay. By goodness, if the people up top don't treat us right, we'll go on strike together. It's really like being a member of another <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, that's yeah, fucking hell. How do I? Which one can I move? N- none of those at the bottom, because they're the volume. <laughs> By goodness, if the people up the top don't treat us right, we'll go on strike together. It's really like being a member of another nation, he said. He said, Bert got onto his feet. No, Bert got to his feet. That's exactly how it is, miss. There's some of us down here, and there's some of them up here. What? Down? Oh, I don't care. Uh, he stopped and looked back the way they had come. 
and this poor die. This poor and this poor die where we left him, probably dead by now. Wow. He turned back to Joe. Well, let's see if we can find our way out of here. Mm. Is it? Joe got up and continued to trudge down the long back trudge. black long black oh, gallery oh, of man. the mine. Can we, like, not? Can we do part two? Yeah, let's do part two. It's awful. We're going to leave it here because I can't uh, be it's anymore. really late. So I'm going to just uh, close the book there. And we'll see you uh, the same week. We're not going to spread it out. You know. I can't. We'll, we'll do something. All right, then. This is Book Club, Chapter 5, Part 2. So I'm, I can't quite remember. We're recording this on a different date. I can't quite remember where exactly we got up to. So I'm going to assume... It was the illustration. We got up to the illustration on Chapter 5. We got up to the, the prison illustration. prison man guard. That's not where I've got the it folded. The prison man guard. That's where I'm folded. You're wrong. It's not no, it's just after Pertwee like landed on his feet from. We're going to go from where we folded. Let's go here. So I do very little normally, said the doctor, unless that is the quickest way to go about things. In this instance... Do you not do the voice anymore? No. In this instance, an abnormal approach seemed more fitting. We urgently need cutting, cable cutting, cutting cable, cable cutting, cutting cable, cable cutting equipment at the mine. You refuse Mm. to give it, yet my information is that it is stored in the shed over there. May I ask where you got this information, said Dr. Stevens? From someone whom you loaned the equipment to. Uh, What? From someone to whom you loaned the equipment only recently, replied the doctor. Well, said Dr. Stevens, we certainly did have that kind of equipment here, but not now. It's all been returned to our main stores in another part of the country. But to put your mind at rest... Let us investigate. He pressed a button on the wall and a metal grill slid out of the way. Without a word... (laughs) Without a word, Dr. Stevens, accompanied by Hinks, crossed a concrete area to the equipment shed. Dr. Stevens nodded and Hinks produced a key and unlocked the doors. The shed was completely empty. You see, said Dr. Stevens, oh. Oh. it seems... Why aren't you doing any of the voices? Oh, to sod the voices. Oh, because it's boring now. Oh, you read it then. You see... Oh, I'll read said, it then. Oh, fucking hell. Where are we? You see... You... 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 You see, said Dr. Stevens. It seems I've been misinformed, said the doctor. For fuck's sake. It seems I've been misinformed, said the doctor. <laughs> Believe me, doctor said Dr. Stevens, as he now walked the doctor away from the empty shed. Banana Chemicals always tries to be a good neighbour. Our plant in Ethiopia, Ethiopia 
has distributed thousands of tons of grain to the starving in Persia and Saudi Arabia. All local employees have free classes to learn to read and write about their own languages. The emperor said the doctor politely. Even though he was being gently, gently escorted off the premises. If we had anything that could help the people of Slavach, Dr. Stevens went on, we'd be only too glad to give it. From where Mark Elgin stood, he could hear Dr. Stevens' voice fading away as he, the doctor, and Hinks went out of sight. Elgin crossed to the now open equipment shed and looked inside. He had passed this. Way. Only yesterday and had caught sight of fucking hell. Me- of masses of equipment in the shed. Where had it all gone? And why? <laughs> the brigadier felt pleased with himself. Halfway to Newport, he and Dave Griffiths had passed through a small town with an extraordinarily long Welsh name where the brigadier had spotted the words crash repairs over a local garage. He stopped the jeep immediately and called in to see the proprietor. They used oxacetylene equipment to cut... How do you say that word? Oxyacetylene equipment to cut away damaged parts of cans. Cars. (laughs) (laughs) The the owner of the garage, an ex-miner, was only too pleased to lend the brigadier everything that was needed. When the brigadier got back to the pit head office, he found the doctor and Professor Jones and a number of ex-miners who had turned up to help had everything well organised. This doesn't make any sense, Malcolm. The donkey engine was in position. A new cable now led from the drum, driven by the engine, to the uplift. All that remained was for the old cable to be cut and the lift would work independently. You seem... You seem to have done well, Doctor, remarked the brigadier. Are there some old overalls I can borrow from someone? Why tired of your uniform, asked the doctor, to go down... Fuck me! Why? Tired of your uniform? Asked the doctor. To go down the mine, said the brigadier. To rescue Miss Grant and her companion. Mines are for miners, interrupted Dave Griffiths. Not for soldier boys. It's It's me and my mates will be going down there. The man in charge of a situation... The man in charge of a situation said the brigadier, should always be willing to do the most whiskey jobs. Then that settles it, said Dave. Because... because <laughs> it's not on a line. <laughs> because where... Because where pit rescue is concerned, I'm in charge. The brigadier went red in the face. Look here. But Professor Jones cut in. He spoke calmly. 
if I may suggest, Brigadier, as I told you, your place is at the top here. To see there is no more sabotage. Then Dave and his friends will feel safe to go down. <clears throat> that page, at the top of that page. That's a very good idea, said the Doctor. Before the Brigadier oh. had chance to answer. Are you not doing voices? No. Why not? I don't want to. But it's not going to be funny. He turned to Dave. I admit I am not a miner, Mr Griffiths. But since a very dear friend of mine is trapped down there, would you allow me to accompany you and your colleagues? Dave thought about it for a moment. All right, Doctor. But I understand it's another world that you're going down into. Our world. Oh, but understand it's another one. Okay, so you do what we tell you. From outside a mine, from outside, well, there should be a comma there. From outside a miner called that the cable had been cut. It is hard to read, isn't it? From outside, this yeah, there's no there's no comma. From outside a miner. <laughs> from outside a miner called that the cable had been cut. The lift was ready to be used. The doctor was hurried over. What? From to the locker room. The doctor was hurried over from to the locker room to get fitted out with overalls and a helmet. Just make up your own story. Okay. They all died. <laughs> the end. Joe went home. Joe went home. Joe felt exhausted. Oh. Can we rest a bit? It was so much the distance. It What? Can we rest a bit? It wasn't it wasn't so much the distance that tired her, but the foul air and the fact for the past twenty minutes they had been walking bent over because the roof was low at this point. <laughs> I'm sorry, miss, said Bert. Oh no, you gotta do the voice for him. Which one's that? South Africa. I'm sorry, miss, said Bert, <laughs> but we should keep going. If my reckoning is right, then we're right near the old chef now. Really? I must stop. <laughs> really? She sagged down to her knees, oh. her head reeling. Oh. Bert looked at her sympathetically. Oh. All right, catch your breath for next time for five minutes. Bitch. He sat her down on the floor. Anyway, you'll need plenty of strength to go up the shaft if we find it. Up? Of course. It climbed about 45 degrees and comes out on the hillside. Oh. He switched off his helmet light. Better turn yours off too, miss, he said, to save the battery. Joe settled herself on the floor, reached up to her helmet, found the switch, and turned it. She expected they would mm. now be in total darkness. Instead, from further up in the mine, there was a glow of light. Mm. Look! She said excitedly, the old shaft must be be just up there. There's some light. Bert was staring at the glimmer in the distance. It seemed to be pulsating and it was faintly green. The shaft... Oh, the shaft wouldn't let in any light at all, he said. It's too long. In any case, we must still be a distance from it. Then where's the light coming from? I don't know, said Bert. Let's go and see. He got to his feet and went on down the mine. Joe scrambled up, feeling better, blah, blah, blah. She was all right. Uh, uh, as they approached in the green-ish light, 
the greenest as they approached, the greenish light got brighter. Joe detected a uh, nauseating smell like rotten cabbages. He farted. She caught up with Bert, and uh, as he was about to turn a corner, uh, they stopped and stared at something. And uh, Bert says, "I've never seen anything like it in my life." He said, uh, not moving now. Uh, a rivalu, a rivalu, rivulu, rivalu of brightly glowing green slime was pouring along the mine floor. It came from some way further up. This is like the beginning, isn't it, readers, listeners? Uh, uh, disappearing down a crack in the foot of the wall near where Bert and Joe stood looking on it in astonishment. Uh, Where could it it be coming from? Joe realised. The question was stupid. That Bert couldn't... What? Joe realised the question was stupid. That Bert couldn't possibly know. And what is it? said Bert. I mean... Why should I glow like that? Then he went forward, put out a tentative finger and touched Joe. Instantly, he recoiled, <laughs> staring at his finger. It burns like an acid. Joe was also start staring at Bert's finger. The green slime had sunk into the flesh and now the flesh itself was glowing green. Oh, no, I think Bert's dying. I think he's dying. You're not listening. I am. I'm just trying to find it on the digital. Dave Griffiths and two other miners, both experienced in rescue work. What page are you on? 864. Uh, stood around the doctor as he inspected the body of Di Evans. The face and hands of the dead were ma- of the dead man were glowing bright green. green. That's a horrible way to look when you're dead, said one of the miners. Dead is dead. No. Daddy's dead, said the other. The question is... Said Dave. Why? Is he dead? <laughs> Have you any other... What? What? Have you any... Idea. What causes... This doctor. It's horrible. The doctor straightened up and shook his head. Whatever it is, it... Must be down there. Hey! Look! One of the miners had noticed a piece of paper under a stone. Ah. To, to the, the body. body. He picked it up and read. So I've lost where we are now. He picked it up and read. Then passed it to Dave. A message from Bert and the girl. They're trying to find that old shaft. The doctor glanced over at the note on... Over, the gla- there, was, there was a note on Dave's shoulder. That was a stupid thing to do, he said. <laughs> They should have stayed here. I agree, said Dave. But they didn't, so we'd better go and find them. He turned to his colleagues. He'd take Di's body up you to... You two. You two. You two. Hey. You two take Di's body up to the surface, then send the cage back down for us. And then I'll go in the cage, send it up, I'll get out, and I'll send it back down for you, and then you can come up on your own just so that you know you're the last one out. Yeah. Don't touch his flesh. The doctor cautioned. This thing, this thing, this is contagious. <laughs> or this thing might be contagious. Joe and Bert were now well beyond the green glowing What is that word? No idea. Rivulet of slime. Nearer to what they've hoped 
was the way to the old shaft. They had passed the immediate source of the rotten-smelling liquid, <laughs> a crack in the roof where it was pouring in from somewhere above. What? Now it was Bert who seemed suddenly exhausted. He sank to the floor. I'm sorry, miss, oh. but I can't go on. <laughs> Must be getting old. Oh. We may be nearly there, she said encouragingly. It's no good. Oh. It's no good, miss. Can't go on. Too weak. Feel bad. Grammar gone. <laughs> he was sweating badly and put his head to his face and his cock to his... <laughs> the whole... Cocked tongue. <laughs> the whole hand was now a brilliant glowing green. He looked at his hand. That means I've had it. Just like poor Di. Come, come on, Joe. Come on. Urged. I'll help you. You must go ahead, on your own, he said, his body sagging. Then you'll <laughs> escape, and you might get help for me. But you've got to leave me here, otherwise I'll be a drag on you. Joe knew that what he said was logical, oh. but she hated the thought of leaving him alone. Mm, Leave it, leaving him I'll alone. I'll get out of, of here as quickly as I can, she promised, and come back with uh, some rescuers. There's a good girl, oh, Bert said. There's a good girl. There's a good girl. Tell the others no. never to touch that stuff. No. You must warn the others, dot, dot, dot. His head fell forward. Now, you see, Joe didn't know if he was already dead, uh, but she did realise that there was nothing she could do to so help him. So why bother? <laughs> she hurried on ahead as fast as her little legs could carry her. Bert was not dead, but he couldn't move his limbs or even his head. No, no, And no. he could hardly speak. Aww. He knew death was near, and his mind drifted back to childhood days. Days of past and summer's green, pastures greener and fjords of... Of course, his memory became increasingly muddled after what seemed a long time. He heard distant <sighs> voices calling to him. And thought that they might be his Uncle David oh. and his father. <laughs> South Africa, is he? Both long dead. <laughs> My Uncle David. The voices grew stronger, closer. Bert, what happened? It was the familiar <laughs> voice of his old friend, Dave Griffiths. Yeah. Bert tried Bert, to look up. What's happened? What's happened? Bert tried to look up, but couldn't move his head. Couldn't move his head. The young woman... <laughs> he mumbled. <laughs> the doctor knelt close to Bert. Where is she? Gone on, Bert said, as audibly as Gone he could on. manage. Well. Gone on, <laughs> as audibly as he could manage. Looking for escape. The doctor stood up. Get him back to the surface if he possibly can, he told Dave. Ask Professor Jones to have a look at him. There still might be hope. All right, then, said Dave. What about you? I'm going to go and have a look for Miss Grant. Tell the brigadier where I find her and I'll bring her to the surface. But no oh. one's come to look for us, so it's too dangerous, so you can go and get stuck. The doctor hurried off down the mine. Ah, uh, Joe but returned, turned. Joe turned the corner of the mine, uh, stopped and stared in horror. Before her lay a deep pool of glowing green shit. And it was teeming with giant maggots. Some two feet long, 
writhing and twisting across the surface. Nauseated by the sight and terrified, she let out a scream. Ah, she was quivering with fear and revulsion. Jojo, are you there? It was the doctor's voice. Coming. Coming closer. Coming. 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 C U M I N G. Am I carrying on? Joe turned, Joe turned around. around. Coming towards her was the helmet torch bobbing up and down as the wearer ran, ran along the tunnel. Doctor, she called. The oncoming light blinded her and she could not see what was happening. She fell backwards into the green, sliming, writhing, twisting Whoa. pool and melted like the stupid bit. <laughs> it's me, Joe, called the, doc- the no, doctor. Called. called the doctor. It's me, Joe. The doctor called. He came beside her and she fell into his arms. Wait, Missed. it's me, Joe. Who it's me, that? Joe. It's me, Joe. Or is it, it's me. It's me, Joe. Joe. Like, it's me, Joe. Yeah, it's me, Luke. It's, it, oh, not like, it's me. Yeah, it's me, yeah. yeah. I'm no, Joe. No, no, no. <laughs> he came beside her and she fell into his arms. Ah. Those things, she sobbed. Maggots. Fucking hell. They look awful. <laughs> Good grief. The doctor exclaimed, we must get out of here. We can never get to the old shaft, said Joe. There's not, plenty of life in the old dog yet, not, said the doctor. Not through oh. the pool of filth. We're not going to try, said the doctor. I think I can remember how I got here. We must go back. The doctor swung Joe round to retrace their route. As they returned to leave rocks in the wall and of the tunnel and the head had started to dislodge instinctively, they both stood something probably ran. Uh, then from the gap left by the dislodged rock, three maggots oozed out and fell. Squirming on the floor, Joe recoiled from the sight of the creatures, maggots, insects, things. What is it about those things? She screamed. I can't even stand looking at them. Well, sit down then, she says. Try to keep calm, Joe, said the doctor. A maggot is a perfectly ordinary treat creature, even if these are two feet long. <laughs> they revolt you because they make you think of things that are rotten and decaying. Do you think we could discuss my psychology reactions some other time? Psychological reactions some other time, she begged. Let's start talking about getting out of here. Her knees were still oh, trembling with fear. Hell, well, said the doctor, there's that thing over there. The doctor pointed towards an upturned coal tub, oh. its wheels pointing towards the mine roof. If we can get it back onto its rails, we might stand a chance. The doctor crossed to the coal tub, looked about, and saw a wooden stave lying on the floor. <gasps> now give me a hand, he called Joe. This is going to take a lot of effort, yeah, and I know you're very weak. Yeah. Using the stave as a lever, they pushed together to turn the coal tub back onto its wheels. Oh, I see. The doctor turned... The do- what? No. The doctor got his hands under Ooh. one end of the coal tub uh. and heaved, <laughs> moving that end of the tub a few inches nearer onto the track. Doctor, said Joe, who had just looked over her shoulder, that stuff's coming closer. It was true. Where they saw the rock dislodged, the green slime was now pouring in. As Joe looked, two more maggots oozed out of the hole and into her at... Stirring. <laughs> like ducks to water. 
<laughs> like a worm and an apple. They went in um, and fell squirming and writhing on the floor. Try to think about something pleasant, said the doctor, as he went to the other end of the heavy coal under the end of the tub where he heaved and brought that end within an inch of the track. On that end, a couple more goes and I should have done it, he said, adding, without much help from you, you stupid... Joe suddenly realised... Joe suddenly realised... She was panicking and not helping. I'm sorry, Doctor. I'll give you a hand. Two would be better, you stupid cow, he said. Under here, where I've got mine. They lifted together. Joe's at... They lifted together (laughs) an end of the tub. They lifted... Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm making this up. Together, they lifted an end of the tub and this time settled two of the four wheels onto the railway track. They ran around to the other end of the tub, repeated the process, and now had all four wheels on the track. No! said the doctor. Climb on board! Joe saw that the railway track ran straight into the main pool of green writhing slime. We're going to go through that. The track doesn't go any other way, you... said the doctor. He got into the coal tub. Are you going to join me or what? He held out his hand to help her in. Ever done punting? She climbed into the tub. Punting? Is that like dogging? (laughs) Watch me, said the doctor, who held the wooden stave over the side of the tub and pushed it hard against the floor. Hard. You'll get the hang of it. People come up to the windows when they're steamy and look. The tub started to move freely along its little track. I know a great little spot where we can stop. There's always youngsters there that are willing to give it a go. Oh, dear. Straight into the pool of slime. Why are we? I feel sick, said Joe. Then pretend you're at sea and lean over to me, <laughs> said the doctor. Yeah. Now, here we go. Throw up on my crotch, said the doctor. <laughs> he drove the punt. He drove the cunt into the floor again and pushed with all his weight. The truck went along through the pool of slime. The maggots, sensing danger, turned towards the coal tub. Wide, toothless mouths opened. And they snapped at the wheels. The doctor pushed the stave into the slime, finding the floor again, and it gave another mighty heave. The colter was gathering speed now, um, but wasn't too fast. And uh, soon they were travelling fast enough, though, uh, that they got out of the bull slime. What? Uh, we're in the clear, said the doctor. No, the doctor grinned. Uh, next stop, Euston Station. <laughs> The tunnel was now running very slightly downhill and with only an occasional prod with the stave, the doctor was able to keep up quite a speed. After a quarter of a mile, the tunnel started to go uphill, slowing the coal tub. Then the little track ended and the tub ground to a stop. By now, so far, from the green glow... Of the slime, they had both switched on their helmets' lights. Joe looked about herself, then pointed ahead. Look, Doctor, that could be the old shaft. An aperture in the mine wall some yards ahead opened onto a smaller tunnel that went up at a steep angle. Let's hope you're right, said the Doctor. Here's where we start 
climbing. Oh, that's chapter five. Done. Fuck me. There you go. I hate chapter five. Oh, shit. Chapter five's done now. I fucking hate it. So, thanks for listening, everybody. I hate chapter We'll be back with uh, Chast- Chast- Chaster- Chast- chapter six, six, The Sluice Pipe. Hello, and welcome back to Reading Club. <laughs> this is chapter six of The Green Death. Um, it's still going. Yeah. So here's chapter six. The Sluice Pipe. A little crowd of villagers (laughs) watched as Bert Pritchard was carried on a stretcher into the waiting ambulance. What happened to Bert? Oh, he got his hand sizzled, didn't he? He did. He did. Once the doors of the ambulance were closed, the brigadier turned and went back into the pit head office. Mm. Dave Griffiths was sitting there, head in hands. With him was Professor Clifford Jones. At least he's still alive, said the brigadier. But if Bert dies, said Dave... I don't know how I'll face myself. It was their decision to go down the mine, said... Oh, it was their... (laughs) It was their decision to go down the mine, said Professor Jones. Is he Anthony Hopkins? Uh, Not unless my natural accent sounds like Anthony Hopkins. Uh, It was their decision to go down the mine, said Professor Jones. You can't count that as your fault. You did a marvellous job to carry him out. Yes, indeed, agreed the brigadier. Who's speaking... Yes, indeed. You did, indeed. Said the brig. Agreed. Oh, fucking, fucking hell. Fucking hell. He turned to the professor. Have you, have you any idea where his flesh turned green? Not specifically. <laughs> said the professor. Not the doctor. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, not specifically, no. Said the professor. Do you want to know something? What? We're literally halfway through the book now. Uh, like, literally slap bang in the middle. Bored. I hate this book. Is there better books out there? Yeah. Is this the worst one? I'd quite like to read. Oh, the Daleks and Cybermen. And... Orchestral Technique by Gordon Jacob. Oh, God, fuck. You did indeed agree, the brigadier. He turned to the professor. professor. Uh, have you any idea why his flesh turned green? Not specifically, said the professor. If I did, we might know how to treat it, but there's no, there's, but there's one thing that's obvious to me. It's got something to do with panorama chemicals. <sighs> Come now, said the brigadier. You have no proof. Did you know, said the professor, there is no proof that smoking cigarettes can cause lung cancer. Now, I think you're wrong there. Malcolm. Malcolm. I know it was a different time. I understand that. Whatever are you talking about? There's a direct... Oh, sorry, sorry. Whatever are you talking about? There is a direct relationship between cigarette smoking... No, you, you skipped a bit. I encourage all my men not to smoke. Exactly. What? I haven't got that written here. Come now, said the Brigadier. You have no proof. Yeah. 
Did you know, said the professor, there's no proof that smoking cigarettes causes lung cancer. What are you even on about? There's a direct relationship between cigarettes. So I didn't miss anything. No. Exactly, said the professor. A direct relationship. There is nothing you can prove in a lab. It's the same with the Green Death and Panorama Chemicals. We know that one in San Fairfach that we know, we know that no one in San Fairfach or anywhere else went green and died before Panorama Chemicals arrived. What the professor no, what the yeah, what the professor said made sense, but the brigadier doubted that he could make the case to higher authorities. Anyway, we haven't got time to talk now. I've got to get back down to the mines to save the doctor and Miss Grant. Dave Griffiths looked up. That's exactly what the doctor said you shouldn't do. It's too he dangerous, sh- he said. I think I'll be the best judge of that, said the brigadier, <laughs> moving to the door. On what is your judgment based? asked Professor Jones. The brigadier paused. What do you mean? How can you be the best judge of the situation down there when you haven't been in the mine? Good grief, man. You don't think going down a gold mine is going to write in fucking me? I am sure that you're an exceptionally brave soldier, said the professor. But the doctor sent an order that no one should go down the mine. And you want to go down the mine. That's disobeying his order. And I don't like you. Now, why don't you do what you're told, you stupid cunt, and stay up here on the surface, show a bit of obedience, show a bit of discipline, you're a dick. The brigadier, <laughs> the brigadier gave thought to that. It certainly made a lot of sense. The doctor had been in many tight scrapes before. <laughs> the doctor had been in many tight holes before and had managed to save himself usually unaided. Above all, if the brigadier went down into the mine, he had no idea where to start searching. Perhaps you have a point, little man, he agreed. But in all conscience, I can't stand around and do fuck all. There is <laughs> there is something you can do, said the Professor Jones. Go and ask Panorama Chemicals what they're really up to. Yes, said the Brigadier, warming to that idea. I suppose I could do that. In fact, I think I shall. He opened the door, then stopped, got in. Where is he? What exactly do you want to find out? Anything, said the Professor. In particular, what are they doing to this mine? And why do the people turn green and die? Well, I'd imagine if you do turn green, you're probably going to die, aren't you? No. Right you are, said the brigadier. A bit of general (laughs) snooping, eh? Intelligence work, said the professor, choosing a military term that he hoped would enthuse the brigadier. No sooner said that done, said the brigadier, as if he was having a stroke. The brigadier walked smartly out of the office. When he had gone, Dave looked looked, looked up at the young professor, pinned to the ceiling, and smiled. <laughs> Must be nice spending your life playing toy soldiers, he said, speaking in Welsh to show that he what? now accepted Professor Jones as one of the villagers. Ah. Mark Elgin sat sitting. Mark Elgin sat at his beautifully high-polished ah. desk, 
in the beautifully air-conditioned office at the beautiful Panorama Chemicals and tried to write a beautiful press release. As the plant's beautiful PRO, public relations officer, Ah. he sent out regular beautiful releases to the newspapers and to the television and radio news services. services. Usually, Elgin enjoyed writing the press releases, but today he found it beautifully difficult to concentrate. He felt there was a lot... There was a... He felt there was... He felt there was a lot that kept secrets from him what he felt there was a lot that was kept secret, secret from, from him at, at the beautiful me. panorama chemicals no one had ever explained exactly what beautiful research was being undertaken then came the first green death oh. followed by the beautiful dr stevens's <laughs> strange referral to lend that cutting equipment followed by now another no. incident oh you know what i mean followed anyway. now by followed now by I don't even know where that is. Another now. incident in which a, a minor, beautiful minor had turned, turned a green. Beautiful shade of green. He very much wanted to know what was really going on and concluded that his best course was to have a good wank. But before that, he should go was he should go and have a direct confrontation with Dr. Bell. And he put down his pen, <laughs> he put down his knob got up and went into the corridor to go to Mr. Dr. Bell's workplace. Mr. Dr. Bell. At that moment, Dr. Bell was coming along the corridor. I say, said Elkin. Have you heard? I can't remember. Have you heard? There's another green man being brought up from mine. Bell seemed a little interested. Yes, I heard. Oh my god, there's tons of until we get to the chapter seven. I know you wanted to. You wanted to. You got one, two, three, four. I know. One, two, three, four, five, six. The full on page. Oh, let's get it done. I'll, 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 I'll carry on, sure. Is that all you can say, Arnold? Do you feel no responsibility at all? Dr. Bell looked surprised. Why should I, bitch? You said there was no cutting equipment here, Elgin persisted. Why did you lie? I am sure you know something about what's going on in that mine. Dr. Bell backed away from him. No, I know nothing. He... Has something happened to you? You used to be a jolly, cheerful fellow. Beautiful. Always ready for that chat and a good old... I know nothing. Cut in Dr. Bell. Nothing at all. For heaven's sake, man, tell me the truth. Others might die if you do not. For a moment, Dr. Bell's face contoured as though he was trying to suppress something deep in his mind. Then his face resumed its former impassivity. You are mistaken. He walked away jerkily, pushed open a door, marked authorised personnel only, and went inside. Elgin followed the man into the room, and then uh, full of... It was a room as well that was full of controls and wall dials. The Dr. Bell... The Dr. Bell picked up a clipboard and started to whack. 
One out. <laughs> Started to read some of the dials. He pulled a lever, set in a console, and there was a roaring sound. Rage, rage watching from the door. Elgin saw two of the large dials begin to operate. One showing that a tank somewhere was emptying, and the other that the room was getting a bit hot. No, no, the tank was filling up. Dr. Bell turned to another dial and caught sight of Elgin at the door. This room is for authorised personnel only, he said. I know, said Elgin. It's up <laughs> in a bitchy mood. It's up on the door, but I'm a, as authorised as you are. Not for here. Why? asked Elgin. What is so special about this room? Nothing much, Dr. Bell continued quietly with his work. Sorry. <laughs> there isn't anything to see in here. Why don't you go away? Elgin ignored the dismissal. You're venting one tank and filling another, aren't you? Dr. Bell nodded. For cleaning purposes. Elgin went further into the room and inspected the dials. I presume that one, he indicated a large dial, refers to the main waste tank on level four. He looked at another dial. Where's this one that you fill in then, eh? Close to it. The next big one, Elgin queried. On level three? Yes. But that's a heavy duty pump working, said Elgin, surprised. You shouldn't need anything more than gravity feed. Dr. Bell hesitated. Hi. Hi. I made a mistake. It's a tank on a higher level. Elgin thought about this. There isn't one on a higher level, you... Or do you mean the what the new special tank on the West Storage Bay? What? Excuse me, said Dr. Bell, letting out a huge whopper. <laughs> <laughs> Who now seemed agitated and couldn't... I, 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 I can't answer any more questions. I'm very busy. Hold on a minute, said Elgin. We can't all be very busy. I'm beginning to realise what's happening here. Directly under us is the old west seam for... No of the coal mine and all you do is pump the waste over to this tank open the sluice and let it flow from what into the mine workings he pointed to a transparent porthole in the wall what's that the pipe itself some sort of inspection chamber eh monsters not pipes dr bell turned away and busied himself checking the dials against the figures on his clipboard. Mm. You knew all along, you little shit, said Elgin. There is a connection between the Green Death and our oil waste, isn't there, you little... You. Dr. Bell was starting a row... No. Dr. Bell was staring at a row of small dials, but his eyes were not focusing. His face contorted again. Danger death. He had difficulty. I don't know. Superhero. (laughs) Danger death burst through the window. Got Elgin by his jaw and ripped it off clean. He had difficulty forming words. Elgin came close and looked into Dr. Bell's face. What's the matter with you? Have you been drinking or taking drugs, man? 
Danger death, Dr. Bell repeated, as though we'd not heard Elgin. Elgin took Dr. Bell by the shoulders and snapped him in half like a twig. (laughs) Shook him gently, I mean. You seem to be you seem to be in a trance. Wake up, man. Ow. Tell me what this is all about. The scientific Tell me officer something. The scientific officer blinked and sighed deeply. You asked too many questions. Don't you earn enough money? Isn't your office big enough? It's the best job I've ever had, said Elgin, truthfully. But we aren't talking about that. No. A moment ago you said the words danger and death. What were you talking about? I said no such words said Dr. Bell, and seemed to believe it. Ah. Now, you must let me get on. I need to complete the transfer. And then what? asked Elgin. More waste straight down the mine? Mm. Well, uh, uh, the waste's got to go somewhere. But I understand there are two people trapped down there, Elgin exclaimed. You might kill them. In that eventuality, said Dr. Bell, I suggest that you sit at your desk and write a beautiful press release to explain it was an accident. That, remember, is your job here. And don't forget, it's a very well-paid job that you have. Mm. The Doctor and Joe continued their long, hard climb (laughs) up the old mine shaft. Why was it dug at this angle? asked Joe, grasping for breath. I think this tunnel is a geological fault, said the Doctor. We think of the earth beneath our feet as being packed tight, but it isn't really. Apart from mines, there are caves, even rivers running underground. I don't think this was man-made. Human-made, if you don't mind, corrected Joe. I was skipping. What? The doctor has gone ahead and now turned back. People say man-made as though men are the only people who ever make anything. There are also women, and I'm one of them. She paused. A very tired one at the moment. It flattens up here, the doctor calls. We can take a rest. Joe struggled up another few hundred yet few hundred yards, fucking hell. A few yards. <laughs> a few hundred miles. And found the doctor standing in a cave with a flat roof. She sat down immediately exhausted. At least there are none of those awful things here. She looked around, her helm hell her. The helmet light playing over the walls of the cave. Uh, I'm on page 78, but it could be... Mm, could be anything. Yeah. Eggs from what, said Joe? There. Uh, yes. I don't know what they're from, said the doctor, but I can guess that they hatch out into... Our little friends from down below. How horrible. You mean those things are alive? That's an interesting point, said the doctor. Is an egg a living thing or a nut? It's not a nut. Is it a nut? Is it a nut? <laughs> it's, a, it's an egg, not a nut. You dick. Oh, it's not something. <coughs> it's not. It's not something I want to discuss," said Joe. "Not if it's got anything to do with those maggots." <laughs> something I froze. 
You know, Joe, your attitude is becoming increasingly non-scientific and I cannot stand you in my sight. Just because those things reminded you of creatures you've been you've seen crawl out of rotten meat doesn't mean they are non-zoologically very, very interesting. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. The doctor continued having a hissy fit before he pulled from his capacious pockets a pair of rubber gloves, bent Joe over, <laughs> put them on, and then proceeded no, and then procure, produced a large plastic bag. Joe had got used to the doctor's way of carrying a great variety of equipment to his enormous pockets. God, mind holding this bag open for me, please. What are they going to do? Take one of these eggs and, and see what happens. You must... No, fucking hell. You want to raise a maggot as a pet. You never know, said the doctor. They may be quite friendly little fellows. But he wants to shove one up his ass. Perhaps we've only seen the worst side of them. Can you hold this bag open for me then? Reluctantly, Joe got to her feet, took the bag, held it wide open, making sure that... Uh, the doctor carefully picked up one of the eggs and placed it in the bag, making sure that it did not touch Joe's fingers. Thank you, he said, taking the bag and stuffing it into his pocket. Just say the doctor put a bug in a bag. An egg in a bag. They put the maggot <laughs> they, in they, the bag. They put an egg in the bag, done. I can't. I can't do this anymore. <sighs> Nearly there, no. He drew off a rubber. He drew off the rubber gloves and put them away. Shall we continue? Uh, please, Malcolm. I've hardly had time to catch my breath, Doctor. But if you took, pardon. If you took, if you look over there, said the Doctor, angling his helmet. <laughs> angling his helmet. Angling his helmet. Uh, like to play on, on the far end of the cave. I think you'll be. You'll feel more encouraged. Joe looked. The end of a large metal pipe sloped at an angle of 60 degrees came through the roof of the cave. The pipe was wide enough for a human and there were ladder rungs inside. Where do you think that comes from? She asked. My guess is it's something to do with panorama chemicals, said the doctor. I can't think why the National Coal Board should drill a pipe into a coal mine. They walked over to the pipe. I can't think why anyone would put that this pipe here, said Joe. She sniffled. Coke. What's that smell? Sorry, said the doctor. <laughs> Crude oil waste, said the doctor. So shall we where it takes us? Joe nodded. There seemed no other way to escape. And anyway, she was frightened in case those eggs started to hatch out. The doctor stood back to let her go first up. Of course he did. And the rungs inside the panel. After she had climbed a few feet, she looked down to make sure he was following. <laughs> There's no light at the top, she called. It probably leads into some tank, said the doctor. Keep going and make sure you lose your legs. What? Go on. Not long now. Oh, it's ages. <clears throat> at least uh, at least at least we'll be on the surface even if we have to bang on the walls of the tank to bring attention to ourselves I like that like two separate sentences oh my god as Joe gripped the next rung she felt a vibration going through it going through her hand ooh 
It increased and the whole pipe was gently vibrating. What's that, she called down. Can you feel it? It's really nice. I've no idea what it is, Joe called the doctor. But I think it probably means that we haven't got much time. I suggest you hurry up and get on with it if you want to save our lives. How would you like your coffee? Dr. Stevens smiled across his vast desk. Oh, scene change. Very good. Oh, I thought it was like, how do you, how do, how would you like it? How would you like? Like, how would you like your coffee? Just very good. How do you like your coffee? Very good, please. Very good, said the brigadier, putting his cup back on the saucer. The best I've had since I arrived. I did try a coffee at the local hotel, but that one was too sweet. Then at the cafe, that one was too cold. Then the other cafe across the road, that road, that one was too hot. A petroleum byproduct, said Dr. Stevens. Panorama's am- answer to grasping demands of South African coffee bean producers. It's the only experimental. It's only experimental, sorry, at the moment. Really? The brigadier regarded his empty cup and hoped he hadn't just been accidentally poisoned. Well, Dr. Stevens' experiments that I've come to talk about, the Green Death is a bit worrying. Most alarming, said Dr. Stevens. I still find... Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I still find it difficult to believe people turning green. I intend to request full international investigation. The brigadier went on. Under the auspices... The what? Auspices. Auspices of the United Nations. He watched Dr. Stevens' reaction. He's still watching. (laughs) All that over the deaths of two men in a little Welsh village. Dr. Stevens smiled again. It isn't a matter for the local coroner. Isn't it a matter for the local coroner? Well, that's what we want to find out. One, two, three, four, five. I said... For a moment, Dr. Stevens said nothing. May I ask why you've come here to tell me this, Brigadier? No, 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 no. There were no such deaths before Panorama Chemicals came to the village, replied the Brigadier, choosing his words very carefully. Are you suggesting some kind of connection? <laughs> the two facts seems to be seem to me what? The two facts seem to me seem to me significant. The two facts seem significant to me. There you go. So the brigadier. If the brigadier was expecting Doctor Stevens to deny any connection, he was disappointed. The director of Panorama Chemicals showed him no reaction at all. Brigadier. I submit you are taking a grave risk. Even hinting that we may be responsible for the deaths. In what way? Dr. Stevens arched his fingers as though about to deliver a lecture. There are emotional, sentimental fools who would delight in seeing his plant close down. I refer to Professor Clifford Jones and his following of hotheads. But under no circumstances should the work be prevented from... Surely, said the brigadier, blah, 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 it's dangerous. <laughs> Which there isn't. No. Dr. Stevens cut and sharply, not for the first time showing any emotions, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Stevens, and really in that really respect, you should be Cabinet level. And in that respect... So we're having an argument with Dr. Stevens, brigadier, having an argument. Yeah. Argument, argument, argument. Uh, how interesting, said Dr. Stevens, in a way, to show... Oh, you're carrying on. Go on, then. <laughs> He reached over to his desk 
Scheibemann. <lacht> Scheibemann. Intercom and press the button. Stella, he said towards the built-in microphone. Get me the minister of ecology. What? Ecology, please. I don't even know who, who, how he speaks. Yes, sir, said the girl's voice. Like some more coffee. <laughs> like some more coffee? Said Doctor, asked Dr. Stevens. Affably. Uh, that's very kind of you, said the brigadier, but no, thank you. You don't mind if I do, said Dr. Stevens, as he refilled his cup from the coffee pot. Why do we need to fucking know this? Uh, we don't pretend this stuff has many nutritional value, but it is certainly, it t certainly tastes like coffee. If I may ask Dr. Stevens, what is it? Blah, 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 blah. Big deal. My only concern, in fact, is facts. If you can get the Minister of Ecology to permit you to conduct an investigation that may do some harm to Panorama Chemicals, that is a fact of life which I must face. Much face. <laughs> On the other hand, if you cannot, then I shall be pleased if you will apply yourself to your task of protecting this plant from those hotheads shouting at our front gates. Dr. Stevens gave his little smile again. I assure you, there will be no hard feelings either way. In fairness, said the Brigadier. Oh, fair. <laughs> I didn't say an in. Uh, Sorry. I didn't say an investigation would necessarily be di directed against panorama chemicals. <laughs> A phone rang on the vast desk, interrupting uh, them. Uh, Stevens here, he listened, then frowned. My dear young lady, Dr. Stevens told the caller, I think you have misunderstood. I wish to speak to the minister personally. He cupped the mouthpiece, smiled to the brigadier. This is only his secretary. Apparently, he's in a cabinet meeting at the moment. Someone was speaking to him again on the phone, and he listened intently. Ah, that you, minister. Listen, I've got an officer from unit here. He wants to speak to you. Dr. Stevens handed the telephone across the desk to the brigadier. He's, the brigadier grabbed it. He, he is all yours, brigadier. We're born, boy. The Brigadier had no wish to speak to the Minister of Ecology at the moment, but now he had no choice. He took the telephone from Dr. Stevens in his right hand, his strong hand for using the uh, telephone. Good day, sir, he said. This is Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart of Unit Speaking. I'm here at Llanfairfach in Wales to investigate certain mysterious deaths emanating from a disused mine. The unfortunate men... Have a look what I've just tweeted. The unfortunate men... Who died first turned bright green. It seems to me that an inquiry is called for. The minister did not sound pleased. Is this why you phoned me in the middle of an important cabinet meeting? I did not instigate the call, said the brigadier. It was made to you by the director of Panorama Chemicals. In whose office am I now sitting? In whose office I am now sitting? I don't give a shit where you're sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I don't give a shit where you're sitting, said the minister. Why don't you tell? Why do you want to tell me about an investigation into some deaths? That's a matter for the police or a local coroner. Have you gone out of your mind? The brigadier was now acutely embarrassed, since he realised that the minister 
What? Since he realised that to the minister he must sound like an idiot. However, he had to press on. Now that he'd been found into speaking to the minister... What? There is, sir, the possibility the panorama chemicals in some way may be connected with these extraordinary occurrences. All right, okay, extraordinary occurrences. This time the minister's tone was quite different. You say panorama chemicals could be involved? It is possible, said the brigadier. Hold on. The line went dead. Because the minister was cupping the mouthpiece of the phone while speaking to someone else. In the, the minister, then the minister's voice came back. I have just had a word with the Prime Minister, Brigadier. I strongly suggest that you put yourself and unit at the disposal of the Director of Panorama Chemicals. He is in far the best position to know what to do. That's huge, that photo, isn't it? Massive. Wide boy. That's like my belly there. <laughs> Sticking out. <Yeah>. The Brigadier <laughs> felt humiliated and had difficulty controlling his temper. May I remind you, sir, that I answer to Unit Supreme Headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. He realised that Dr. Stevens was watching him closely and possibly gloating. This may be a matter for a world concern. Where are you? For all I know. Where are you? Well, it says I'm on page 84. No way. That means we've only got a little bit left. He realised that Dr. Stevens was watching him. Just look for the units. To Unit Supreme Headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So you're on the second unit? Yes. Apply yeah. to Unit Supreme Headquarters in Geneva for you to to be posted to some other part of the world. No, 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 no. no. It's the first unit. He realised that Dr. Stevens was watching him closely and possibly gloating. This may be a matter for world concern for all I know. The minister cut in again. Then let me put it to you another way, cunt. I <laughs> I have just consulted with the Prime Minister, who is by my side right now. This country cannot afford to have an argument or even hint of a dispute with Panorama or with any other multinational company that's good enough to have its plant here. If you annoy Panorama or come to that, phone me again when we're having a cabinet meeting. I shall personally apply to Unit Supreme Headquarters in Geneva for you to be posted to some other part of the world. Good day. Bye-bye. The line went dead. The brigadier put the phone back on his stand and looked across the desk at Dr. Stevens. It seems you have very powerful friends. Dr. Stevens smiled. I hope he didn't give you too much, too uh, a rough time, but I did warn you. He got up and went across to a built-in wall cabinet and touched a heat button. A button that, you know, a heat button. The front of the cabinet slid open to reveal an array of bottles and glasses. Care for some sherry? <laughs> I've got something. I've got something here made from repurposed whale glue. <laughs> the brigadier rose to go. Not for me. I don't like this. Oh, nothing to do with me, this. Dr. Stevens turned and looked at the Brigadier. You know, Brigadier, we're not murderers. I'm as eager as you, as, I'm as eager as you to pre prevent any further accidents, but I really don't think they've got anything to do with my company. We never shall know unless there's a full inquiry. Bye, said the Brigadier. 
the Dr. Stevens did not answer that directly. Could you, couldn't you, could, fuck me, couldn't you and I cooperate? I could place an officer at your disposal and give you a secretary. And then I would have to take orders from you, said the brigadier, just as I gather the minister takes orders. That's a hard thing to say, brigadier. I recall a time, Dr. Stevens, when Great Britain could regard itself as a sovereign state, answering to no one but its elected parliament and its monarch. The brigadier said, now it seems we can be told what to do by international business companies. Companies. Do you want to go? I'll try to work out where you are. Last page, 85. Sad, isn't it? Sad, isn't it? Oh, sad, isn't it, said Dr. Stevens. Sure, you won't have sherry, or is there all this? Maybe some whiskey and a wood recycled pulp. If you'll excuse me, said the brigadier, I think I'll have to go and find out if there's any news on the doctor. I can't sit around here all day talking and getting pissed. Certainly, said Dr. Seals, opening the door. I'm pleased to be able to talk so, so freely and frag. Fra, frag. Frank. Frank and Lee. The brigadier went off down the corridor and Dr. Stevens closed the door. He looked up towards the ceiling. Well, the the voice of boss spoke from above. Excellent handling of a delicate situation. Imitation of minister's voice on the telephone. First class, congratulations. That's the end of chapter six. Chapter seven, the egg. Next time. See you later. Or don't. Alligator. Hello and welcome to the Patreon Patreon exclusive wonder that is Reading Club. Episode, chapter... Uh, Well, episode something, it doesn't matter what that is. Uh, We're discussing... No, we're not. We're talking... No, we're not. We're reading The Green Death. Chapter 8. By Malcolm Hulk. This is chapter 6. No, we've done done chapter 6. Have we? Yeah. Okay. Chapter 7 then. Are you sure? Oh yeah, we have here. Brigadier walked away down the corridor from Dr. Stevens' office. He passed by the door of the laboratory where Mark Elgin was still arguing with Dr. Arnold Bell. I can't remember what happened in the last chapter. Neither can I, so don't worry about that. You can listen to the previous episode if you'd like. Last I don't I know how... Uh, what? Last I heard, the doctor jumped out of a tree. <laughs> <They're> electrocuted. <laughs> Over a fence, that's the last thing I remember. Now, who's Mark Elgin? How does he speak? Um, Would you like to refer to the notes? I feel... So we're doing... You're doing it this week, are you? I've come down, and I've come back up. No, I went down. I've had some custard. Uh, I'm back up. I'm ready. Absolutely ready. uh, Loud. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what happened to you, Arnold, loud. said Elgin. Well, not too loud, because <laughs> otherwise we'll clip. And we're trying to get the levels all nice. Can you? So, a nice sort of level. A nice sort of level. Not too loud. Otherwise not too you'll... quiet. Yeah, that's it. Is that fine? That's fine. Right. As long as you don't go... T- if you want to speak loud... Back away. Go back. Mic etiquette. Here. Yes. So, uh, 
I don't know what's happened to you, Arnold, said Elgin, but you've got to fight it. <laughs> locking his phone. <laughs> Who's Dr. Bell? Dr. Bell. Dr. Bell. Oh, he's yeah. German. He's German. He's German. Uh, You'll have... Is he? Nothing written. Where's Dr. Bell? Where's Dr. Okay. Bell? Okay. You have no right to be in here. Bell's not in it. Oh, well, he is now. <laughs> you got Hinks, Elgin Stevens, Hinks. Cliff Jones. Dr. Uh, Bell. Well, we'll make him German for We've got Sergeant Benton. Benton. <laughs> okay. You have no right to be in here, repeated Dr. Bell. <laughs> it is for authorized personnel only. Dr. Bell. Heavens, man, said Elgin. We've been through all that and... You have been hypnotized, or have you been hypnotized, or something? Dr. Bell. Oh, God. <clears throat> That's severe heartburn. Dr. Bell. Guy's burning. Dr. Bell turned to Elgin. Ca- can't you see. Can't. <laughs> can't you see? I am trying to get on with my work. Well, I can see, Elgin replied. It's a nice fellow. I used to know behaving like someone else. There was a sudden harsh buzzing from one of the panels. Red lights flashed on and off, and from a loudspeaker, a mechanical voice boomed into the room. Intruders in the waste pipe! Intruders in the waste pipe! Just want to clip it all the way through. Well, it might distort a little bit there, so that might be funny. Uh, No, I lost my place. Oh, no, I haven't. What the devil's that? asked Elgin. Dr. Bell pressed one of the buttons on the console. I can't see this. A small television monitor came to life. Showing a picture of the doctor and Joe desperately climbing up the rungs inside of the great pipe. Dr. Bell glanced at the screen but did not seem to react to what he saw. He went to a microphone and spoke into it. Who's this now, Dr. Bell? Okay. Kraftwerk! 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 <laughs> yeah! Oh, okay. Okay. Tank voiding operation completed, he told the microphone. Waste disposal. No, waste disposal underway. He pulled a lever or lever. I Is think Dr. It's... Bell the kind of man who doesn't believe in zips, just Velcro. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know a lovely secluded area of beach if you'd like to come with me. He pulled a lever and I brought El- my bounty ball. Bons, 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 bons. <laughs> he pulled a lever and Elgin heard a, li- a liquid rushing around from somewhere that he couldn't yet locate. Oh dear. Oh, I've got to read. It's time for you now, boy. Do you want any sort of accompaniment with this? With Dudley desk or. You do whatever you feel, what feels right. The right. only problem is when you read, I can't do anything. I can get you some sort of a patch that you could maybe fiddle with. I'd like to fiddle. Okay. Well, you read, and I'll get that sorted for you. Are you putting w- fucking waste into that pipe? He demanded of Dr. Bell. You'll kill those people. They are intruders, said Dr. Bell. T- turn off the fucking waste, ordered Elgin. Not possible, said Dr. Bell. The operation is automatic. 15 seconds to go. (laughs) Excited. Uh (laughs) Show some sense, Elgin implored. 
You're about to commit double murder. They are intruders, Dr. Bell repeated, as though that fucking hell. They are intruders, Dr. Bell re re repeated, as though that was a good reason to kill them. Only authorized personnel are allowed inside the pipe. <laughs> That's not German. Elgin shouted at him. You, m you must stop the waste going down that fucking pipe. Do you understand? You c He grabbed Dr. Bell by the salt shoulders, shook him fiercely. <laughs> Do you understand anything? Dr. Bell's face screwed up, all the muscles tightening as his mind at a battle re What? Tightening as in as in his mind a battle raged between what he knew was right and his new loyalty to boss. Doesn't make any sense, Malcolm. I think he, he's falling asleep here. Too late, he said. Not possible. Elgin looked around the room desperately, noticed the transparent porthole in the wall, stuck his... It had hinges down... That's just the right size. <laughs> Just the right length. What? It had hinges down one side, so he realized it must open. He rushed over to the porthole and ran his fingers round the edge of the frame, <laughs> trying to open it. It would not budge. How does this thing open? Dr. Bell was now standing in the middle of the room, staring vacantly at, into space. Unauthorized personnel, uh, he said mechanically. Sorry. No, yeah. Not in the interest of the company. <laughs> oh. You've got to tell me, Elgin pleaded. How does this fucking thing open? As Elgin spoke... I beg of you. <laughs> As Elgin spoke, spoke, the doctor and Joe climbed up inside the pipe and started to hammer on the glass. Dr. Bell spoke in short, ag agonised gasps. <laughs> Murder! Save lives! Not other authorities, personnel! Thou shalt not kill! Exterminate! Jesus saves! Alright, I got it, I got it. The Elgin looked at the... Okay. Elgin looked at the dial activated. Looked at the dial activated when Dr. Bell pulled the waste lever. It, <laughs> its finger was nearing the word zero. <laughs> Look at the... <laughs> Look at those two people, he screamed at Dr. Bell. In a few seconds, you are going to see them die. See them with your own eyes, in the name of humanity. Tell me, how can I open this porthole? Do you want some feeling there, or just leave it? I mean, we haven't got much time, really. You know, it's, you know. Dr. Bell swayed. <laughs> the terrible internal battle of conscience boiling in his mind. He licked... Oh, he licked his parched lips. <laughs> then, with enormous effort, pointed to a console. Yellow button, left side. Then he collapsed onto the floor, unconscious. <laughs> Elgin rushed to the console and jammed his thumb down into the yellow button. Oh, <laughs> a moment's pause. Then... The frame of the portal opened. The Doctor and Joe... Fucking hell, it's kicking off now, isn't it? The Doctor and Joe scrambled into the room. The Doctor swung round and slammed the shut port... The port... Closed the portal. Almost instantly, 
The rushing noise increased and the sludge and slime started to cascade past the portal. It increased with volume until the pipe was filled downward with rushing liquid. Joe sank onto the floor exhausted from the long climb. The doctor looked across to Mark Elgin. Thanks. <laughs> the doctor stared down at the prostate. What? What? Prostate? That's not I. Oh, sorry. The doctor stared down at the prostrate form of Dr. Bell. <laughs> my, my goodness. What's the matter with him? He went kneel down. Oh, oh, he went to kneel, he went to kneel down beside the man, oh. checking his pulse. Oh, where? I don't think it's physical," said El. Oh, I don't think it's physical," said Elgin, no, 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 joining no. the doctor. We were having an argument. It was sort of about whether or not to like save your lives or something. Charming," said the doctor. Which side are you on? Elgin grinned. Well, uh. You're alive, aren't you? Oh. <laughs> Bloop. The doctor lifted Dr. Bell's eyelids, felt his heart. Poor fellow seemed to have fainted. Let's see him up somewhere. Have you got any more noises on this? Or is uh, it that? Yeah, use Does the black scrolly. Just scrolly-y. do that noise. Just the, use the black scrolly thing. That? Yeah, should do it. So we have a random noise. Well, yeah, there's whatever that does. The one in the middle is analog so you need to sort of fiddle with all the buttons oh, i'll just use this disc i'll just use this disc. this disc if i just keep spinning it'll keep doing infinite yeah, yeah. amounts of random noises not infinite amount infinite. <laughs> <Fucking hell. laughs> brown noise but the other way <laughs> brown noise but the other way i forgot where it was now the doctor lifted this like big finish this isn't it the doctor lifted Dr. Bell's eyelids, felt his hat. That's a good alarm, that, isn't it? Not really. Never hear it. I mean, you'd never hear it. <laughs> Poor fellow seems to have Let's sit him up somewhere. Hell. Hell. He just dubbed his toe. Together, the doctor and Elgin dragged Dr. Bell across to the wall sat and sat him up against it. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shot. Laser. <laughs> Suddenly, a le- Suddenly a huge laser beam. He was mumbling all sorts of nonsense before he passed out. Elgin volunteered. I couldn't make... Oh. Right now. I couldn't make head nor tail of it. Can you remember anything he said? Oh, no. Is that the doctor saying that? Either way, it's your turn. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember anything he said? Who says that? <laughs> Fuck me. He said murder. <laughs> <laughs> He said murder, then save lives, and I think he said, Thou shalt not kill and exterminate. The doctor looked down at the still unconscious Dr. Bell. Sounds like some tenth-blooming unconscious. What about your young friend? Elgin asked. 
cookies, said the doctor, turning back to where Joe was still slumped on the floor, gasping. I don't forgot about it. How do you feel now, Jim? <laughs> that horrible looking stuff! She pointed to the sludge and slime on the other side of the porthole. That's what makes the maggots. Maggots? Elgin was, mi- was mystified. The doctor quickly explained what he and Joe had seen in the mine. In some way, those creatures must have He concluded, It's unbelievable, Elgin said. I wonder if Dr. Bell knew this. Elgin turned back to Dr. Bell. Let's see if he's... Let's see who's hiding under that mask. (laughs) 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 Old Farmer Jenkins. Let's see if he's... Let's... Fuck me. It's just... They're just talking. (laughs) (laughs) Elgin stripped. <laughs> the room got hot. Here we go. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Wait, where, where oh. the sentence trailed up? Let's see if he's come round. Round. He's <laughs> come round. The sentence trailed off. Dr. Bell had vanished. He's gone up. He's gone fucking walkies. The doctor rubbed his chi- chin. <laughs> the other reason he would slink away when our backs were turned is because he's gone to tell someone about us being here. I told you how strangely he was behaving. I fucking told you, said Elgin. Is this some quiet way you can get us out of here? There's a big old slit in the wall. No, there's a back lift that goes straight down to the car park. Then I wonder, said the doctor. Is it big enough to lead us to it and as quickly as possible? Interlude! <laughs> Dr. Elgin was in the car park in his car. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Hang on. <laughs> I know what I need. You keep going. The door of the director's office burst open and Dr. Bell staggered in, wild eyed, with a hula hoop, two party poppers, <laughs> and five glow sticks right up his. Dr. Stevens looked up from his desk. He liked people to knock on the door before entering. It's <laughs> not the only place he liked people to... Oh, fuck me. Shall I carry on? Shall I carry on? Yes. Next page? Yes. What is it, Dr. Bell? His voice was stern. I have... I have... I have... A headache! <laughs> yeah! Dr. Bell had definitely said... What? Dr. Bell had difficulty saying the words. Dr. Stevens got up from his chair immediately and hurried round the desk to Dr. Bell's side. You know Rob sleeps to this. <laughs> Did you know that? I can't wait to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take your glow sticks tonight, Rob. All the 
stirness had gone out of his voice now. Of course you have. He said soothingly. No, what? Who said? Who said? Of course you have. He said soothingly. You knew from personal experience exactly what kind of headache Dr. Bell must be enduring. You've been working too hard, old friend. It's time to party. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> it's, uh, it's time to party, Dr. Bell. Gently, Dr. Stevens helped the sick man to a comfortable chair. Remember how I helped you before when you had Eddick? I'll always help you, Dr. Bell. God is love, mumbled Dr. What is going on, Dr. Bell? Today, you're up. Tomorrow, the world! Yeah! <laughs> you're just... You're just a bit confused, Dr. Stevens said as he hurried to the cupboard, cupboard in his desk and took out the special pair of earphones. But very soon, your headache will go away and everything will be lovely. Shall we put them on? He stood over Dr. Bell with the earphones. Every time I hear that word, culture, I reach for my gun. <laughs> Dr. Bell babbled. The meek shall inherit the earth. Panorama chemicals will inherit the earth, said Dr. Stevens. <laughs> Panorama chemicals will inherit the earth, said Dr. Stevens, as you will soon agree. Let me help you. <laughs> Dr. Bell sat quite still. <laughs> no, Dr. Bell sat quite still while the director placed the earphones in position. There, said Dr. Stevens. We're all set. He hurried back to his desk and plugged the lead from the earphones into the special socket. <sighs> plugged the lead from the earphones into the special socket in his intercom. He had an adapter that he bought from B&M. <laughs> It was a bit dicky. Instantly, Dr. Bell started to writhe, agony showing on his face. Dr. Stevens felt sorry for him, but, but knew the process was necessary. After a full minute, Dr. Stevens pulled the earphone lead from the socket. Dr. Bell slumped into his chair, his face at peace. Dr. Stevens went back to him. How do you feel now? Dr. Stevens spoke loudly so that Dr. Bell would eat him through the earphones. You've done something quite... No. You've done something to my mind, said, Do said Dr. Bell. His voice now quite normal. Oh, oh. you've done something to my mind. <laughs> yeah. You've done something to my mind, said Dr. Bell. His voice was now was quite normal. I tried to help you to see things more clearly. Are you still confused? No, said Dr. Bell. Really. I know that what you we're doing is wrong. The harsh voice of Boss suddenly spoke from above. New voice. Boss. New voice. Hello, Pal. <laughs> Everybody's talking so much. Oh, how are you doing, Pal? Oh! Irish. I can't do Irish. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> What's that? Right. Right. Let's get one thing straight. <laughs> right. The processing was a failure. This man is of no further use. I suggest self-destruction. 
Dr. Bell seemed too weak and dazed to hear the voice, but Dr. Stevens looked up instantly. Surely that isn't necessary. He said to the fucking ceiling. <laughs> he said to the ceiling. You are... No, fuck it. I can't remember how he speaks. You are a sentimentalist, said the voice of boss. I repeat, self-destruct. <laughs> Hello? That's fucking loud. Fucking hell. Dr. Stevens looked down at Dr. Bell. He felt sorry for the man, but he knew what he must do. He crossed back to his desk and pressed a red button on his intercom control panel. Dr. Bell stiffened, or stiffened, and for a moment, his hand went up to touch the earphones. Suddenly, a T-Rex came through the window. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Stevens shit it. <laughs> shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> but then they dropped to his sides. There was no expression on his face, and his eyes stared ahead vacantly. Dr. Stevens took his finger from the red button and put it right up his... Went back across the office and gently removed the earphones. Goodbye, Dr. Bell, he said. You are useless and you have no further right to exist, you fuck. Like an automation, Dr. Bell stood up from the chair. I am you oh no, I am useless and have no further right to exist. Then you know what you must do, Dr. Stevens said. Dr. Stevens <laughs> opened the door to the corridor. I know what I must do, echoed Dr. Bell. I walked away stiffly. <laughs> I walked away with a stiffy. <laughs> Elgin led the way down the corridor taking a route that would avoid officers he knew to be occupadoed. That's not Scooby-Doo. <laughs> as, as Dr. Bell went in one, one office, Dr. Bell came out of another. Why are you helping us like this? Asked the doctor. Because, said Elgin, I suspect that this company is somehow doing wrong. I thought you were supposed to be the public relations. Oh, ask the doctor. Oh. Oh. <laughs> ask the doctor. Because, said Elgin, I suspect that this company is somehow doing wrong. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be the public relations. Bored now. <laughs> Officer. <laughs> Do you want to... Shall I carry on? Fucking hell. Said Joe. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be... Said Joe. You're meant to say everything the company does is right. Fucking hell. May we discuss this? <laughs> May we discuss this some other time, Miss Grant? Nice. Elgin hurried on on a Elgin hurried on ahead to look round the corner of an intersection. He paused there, staring at something. The doctor hurried up to him. What is this? Dr. Bell. What? Who's speaking? I don't know, it's really hard now. What is it? 
Dr. Bell, look at him. <laughs> Fuck me. The three of them peeped around the corner and Fuck saw me. Dr. Bell walking stiffly towards them. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> that is stiff. <laughs> he screamed. He's in a trap. He's in <laughs> Rob trying to sleep to this. <laughs> Good luck, Rob. Let's do love. Nighty night, Rob. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Nighty Rob. Nighty night, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I hope you haven't played the sleep, Rob. Rob! <laughs> 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 Anyway, he's in a trance. No, hang on, does Joe speak? He's in a trance. He's in a trance. Joe said, as Dr. Bill, Bill, Dr. Bill, who's the Dr. Bill? Yeah, like Bell. Portland Bell. <laughs> All right, Bell, I'm here to change the lighthouse bulb. Lighthouse bulb. <laughs> it's got a bulb on back. Bulb. <laughs> you couldn't give his hand, could you? It's fucking heavy. I'm not going to go all downstairs. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Nice, that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Suddenly, Dr. Bell whacked Dr. Stevens over the head. <laughs> the world went fuzzy. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Stevens oh suddenly saw a wormhole opening in the corridor. <laughs> no! No! Fucking <laughs> hell. Anyway... What actually is happening? <laughs> so, as the as Dr. Bell came close to the doctor, no, came close, the doctor stepped out from their hiding place. I say, old man, you say all right. Dr. Bell walked on as though he'd heard or saw nothing. He was making his way straight down the corridor towards a big plate glass window. Arnold, Elgin called. Where are you going? Going, going. Ow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some yards from the window, Dr. Bell broke into a run. <laughs> Good grief, said the doctor. We've got to stop him. But it was too late. As they watched, Dr. Bell ran straight out of the huge window. In the last moments, he put his head down to act as a battering ram. On the impact, the window burst outwards. Dr. Bell sailed forward into the space to his death. Next week, it's... <laughs> oh, is that... No. Oh. From his office window, Dr. Stevens looked down at the pit... pit pitiful... What? Oh, the pitiful, inert body sprawled on the concrete. <laughs> Actually... <laughs> I got the perfect sound. Wait, who's dead? Uh... I don't know. Dr. Bell ran out of the oh. window. Fuck me, it's a tall building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a sound delay, isn't it? <laughs> there it is. He's hit the ground. <laughs> So he was looking at his inert body sprawled on the concrete roadway below. The twisted neck and the great pool of blood told Dr. Oh Stevens that Dr. Bell must be dead. 
already security guards who are running from the front gate. And, Can you and, hear and that I, noise? If I was director, I'd do this like a... Hmm. You want a flashbang goes off in the film. Hmm. Oh, that happens really hazing. Or no, like an emergency or something. I don't know. Loads of smoke. Yeah. Slightly slow motion. Yeah. Everything's blurry, but yeah. then it's clear and blurry, Very then clear. Explosion. I really don't know what happened. Who fell out the window? Um, Dr. Bell. How? He ran out the window. Why? With his head down. Why? <laughs> He's lost it, hasn't he? Uh, already, security guards were running from the... Another one. <laughs> <laughs> already, security guards were running from the front gate to the dead man. Dr. Stevens turned away from his window, saddened and sickened. The voice of Boss spoke down at him. What's boss? Who have decided? It's like how the German talks, but not German. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> in the in the like original, just posh Londoner. In, all right. Okay. Wow. There's not many sounds on this actually. It's you need to change it on the top one. Okay. Pardon. I said. You sleeping well tonight, Rob? <laughs> Can help the, there's a demon. Run! There's a demon. Run. Sleep tight. Oh dear. We're coming for you. Right. So, um, boss just speaks in like a the posh top one. Yeah, you need to twist the top buttons. The the bottom one is controlling the top one. So, so we need to twist up here. Uh, you need uh, Wait, right. Doesn't the top one control the bottom one? No, the bottom one controls the top one. So twist that one. No, no, that's the volume. Twist. Yeah, twist that one, and the other one gives you selection. And then there's a metal stick that's next to it, and that like changes the bank. The voice of Boss spoke down to him. You are a sentimentalist, Stevens. <laughs> I know," said Doctor Stevens. Have you got a headache? Do you need the earphones? I have not got a headache. That's good, said the voice of Boss. Oh, that's not how Boss speaks. You said Posh. It's like, um... It's like how the German speaks, but without the accent. No, it's not how the German speaks. It's how Dr. Bell spoke, but without the German accent. Mm. Oh, well, Dr. Bell says... What does Boss say there? That's good. That's good. So, just you? No, it's... That's good. Say, keep going. That is good, said the voice of Boss. It means you accept that we are doing what's right. It means that you accept that what... No. You're just speaking how no, you not, speak. I mean, no, 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 I'm not having this. That, it means that you accept. It means that you accept. No, oh. not so much bravado. Oh, good grief. <laughs> it means that you accept. Can I say it like Rory Williams? Rory. It means that you accept that what we are doing is right. No. Dr. Stevens. No, Stevens. Oh, it's got to be... God. It means that you accept. <laughs> it means that you accept. <laughs> <laughs> it means that you accept. Uh, like uh, a presenter on Bravo. Yeah, I trade. Yeah, that's how I make my money. I trade. Money. Money. <laughs> it means... <laughs> like Jacob Collier, but not as a... Hello. Right, here we go. I've said this line, I don't know how many times. <laughs> oh, God. It means you accept that what we're doing is right. Dr. Stevens said nothing. Please say that we are doing... No, please say... 
Oh, is that... Please say that what we're doing is right, the, the voice insisted. Dr. Stevens took a deep breath. Fucking hell. Stop now, it's annoying. All right, come on. Nearly there. This doesn't... Oh, it does. That's a vocoder. That's a vocoder. But it's got loads of different ones on there. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Do you need the toilet, anybody? <laughs> oh, I can't do this anymore. Wow. They're all the same. Stop changing it on there. Change it on the top one. Oh, shit. I did my best to notice when the call came down the line. I did a observation. I was confident I was fine. But sometimes I get nervous. Anyway. I'll let you do it when I read my page. Uh, means Dr. Season said nothing. Please say that what we're doing is please say that what we're doing is right, the voice insisted. Dr. Stevens took a deep breath. <gasps> we are doing what's right. He repeat he repeated. He said again. Good. Said boss. <laughs> the alarm went. <laughs> Uh, go. <laughs> God said, said boss. Now drink some sherry or whiskey. It'll make you happy. Sherry. How was sherry and whiskey? Said Doctor Stevens. It's oh, no, is it brandy. <laughs> brandy. It's slow poison. The voice of boss chuckled. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> friends. Ha! <laughs> 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 oh, I wonder what goes in now. <laughs> There it is. Ha! 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 But it will make money for Panorama Chemicals. Sell it, but don't drink it. Yes, agreed Dr. Stevens. <laughs> Continue with your work, ordered boss. Oh, sorry. Continue with your work, ordered boss. Dr. Stevens sat down behind the desk. After seeing Dr. Bell's body on the roadway, he didn't really feel much like doing anything. Get to work, said the voice of Boss oh. Shatley. Get to work, said the voice of Boss Shatley. <laughs> yes, said Dr. Stevens, straight away. For the next two hours, he tried to overcome his gloom with the presence... Uh, oh, shall I just get through this page as quick yeah. as I can? Uh, pretense of desk work, the events of the past for the few days, and the deaths of the miners, and now Dr. Bell had slapped his enthusiasm above all... He could find no direction in which he was supposed to be doing. What? He remained in that mood until the early evening where Hinks trapped... <laughs> sorry. so annoying. Trapped on the door and someone came in. Tapped on the door, sorry, and somebody came in. Come in. Rang on the door. Hinks looked through... What? Hinks looked as though he'd been drinking. What is it? Said Dr. Stevens. What he could it? smell beer on Hinks' breath. I've just been down to, down to the pub, said Hinks. Somehow the people at the <laughs> nut, hutch, nut Hutch... Oh, that's better. Some people down at the Nut Hutch got hold of some of these eggs. Have you got a cloth? Oh. Dr. Stevens sat bolt upright. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no.
turn the page? Yeah, yeah, it's the left page. Hink shrugged. And the man asked him, how does Hink speak? <laughs> Should a shitload of umpalumpas arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. Are you sleeping all right, Rob? Uh. Hinks. Oh, Hinks is Aussie. Aussie. The news triggered off all of Dr. Stevens. <laughs> the news triggered off all of Dr. Stevens. What? The news triggered off all of Dr. Stevens's induced loyalty to the boss and the main purpose of their work. Uh, you must go, you must go, and you must go, go, how do you say it? Go. You must go. 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 Something like that. You must go and Fist, get it for look us. At the, look at the size of that. That's <laughs> you must that's go and get it. it for us. Hinks. Hinks. Hinks grinned. What? Wait, no. Who the fuck? I think this is Dr. Steven. You must go and get it for us, Inks. Fucking hell. Inks grinned. What if... What if they... What if they won't let me have it? Fucking hell. I don't know who that is. He was a bit drunk. He was a bit drunk. Don't go and ask for it, Dr. Steven said patiently. Take it. No, take it. <laughs> right. Hinks clenched his fist. Right! <laughs> At all costs. At all costs. Fucking it, I can't. At all costs, that egg must not be in their hands when it hatches, said Dr. Stevens. Don't worry, said Hinks. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll get it back. I'll give it back. He hurried out. After Mark Elgin had secreted the doctor and Joe out of the ground in the boot of this car. He deposited them at the nut hatch. Jesus. The doctor thanked Elgin warmly and asked whether he knew what Panorama Chemicals was really doing. Elgin replied honestly that he didn't know. I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> Elgin said. With much confidence. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, but but you're the, the public relations officer, said Joe. You should know everything about the company. Perhaps, said Elgin. They pay me such a big salary so that I won't ask questions. The doctor tried to get Elgin to get into the nut hatch with them. To have a hospital cup of herbal tea. Hospitable cup of herbal tea. But the PRO felt... He had gone far enough in helping the Doctor and Joe to escape. He still worked for Panorama and should be back there. Don't know what this is on about. For the evening meal, Nancy had prepared a... Va oh, it's Nancy. Nancy! <laughs> Nancy had prepared a... My name's Nancy! ...had prepared a vast cauldron of stew, which the Doctor, Joe, and the Brigadier were invited to share. While the table was being set, the Doctor went along to Professor Jones's laboratory with the egg they had found in the mine. Extraordinary, said the young professor. Who's the young professor? Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. Uh, who's Dr. Jones? Oh, extraordinary. Dr. Jones. 
Extraordinary, said the young professor. You really think that thing's going to hatch out? The maggots must come from some fucking egg, said the doctor. <laughs> um, there you go, next page. Thank you. Are you sure it's not this one? What? Is I'm sure not, it's not what? This one that controls that one. No. That doesn't seem to do anything. Press that key at the Yeah, don't the only thing you don't touch is the fa the knob that's the first one that you hear there. That one. Yeah, don't touch that one. Why was Because it's the tuning, leave it where it is. I'm not touching it, but You did touch it. Yeah, I, I saw I your didn't... fucking finger touch it. Leave it. It's touching it, but... Stop touching it. Stop it. I didn't I didn't twibble it. Twibble. You can touch anything else that's on there. Nice. <laughs> Said the doctor. As he carefully let the egg roll from his plastic bag. What? Carefully let the egg roll. His egg roll? Onto a... His egg roll. Let the egg roll. <laughs> let the egg roll. Or an egg roll. Let the egg roll. <laughs> There's a clanger. Right, okay. Let the egg roll from its plastic bag onto the lab... lab laboratory laboratory tray perhaps we'll be lucky by the way I shouldn't touch it the metal was a great success the doctor amusing the whole whole wheelers with stories of his travels it was during this account of Metabelius 3 that he was wanted on the phone with the doctor gone from the table conversation started between people sitting next to each other the brigadier politely turned to the young man beside him who had shoulder-length hair with a flowing beard, wore a caftan and a chunky wooden bead. <laughs> ever fancied... Have you ever fancied life in the army? The brigadier asked brightly as a joke. <laughs> it was quite present... Oh, God, another character. Who is it? Just a man with a beard. As if he speaks backwards. He's only in this one scene. It was quite pleasant. Said the young man, sipping the whole homemade elderberry and Albert elderberry wine Nancy had produced for the occasion. Don't go in. She's. <laughs> you were in the army. You were in the army. Said the brigadier, the looking astounded. What did you do? I was a colonel. Good grief! <laughs> Across the table, Professor Jones turned to Joe. Are you still angry with me, Clarice? In outdoors encounters. <laughs> Look on the hillside over there. Oh fucking hell! Uh, I don't know where we are anymore. Noises. I want new noises. Well, ch change the buttons on the top. Look what it fucking says. Look what they say. Right. I don't know where I am. Across the across the table, Professor Jones turned to Joe. Are you still angry? Wow, fucking hell. Are you still angry with me? Are you still angry with me? She... <laughs> she smiled. That was a long time ago. Oh, nice. She smiled. No, she smiled and then said that was a long time ago. I know, he said. <laughs> oh, yesterday. All of yesterday. Enjoy the meal. No. Oh, I don't know what's going on here now. Horrible it was now. meat. It wasn't meat, said the professor. Fungus! 
my new hybrid to help solve worldwide malnutrition. <laughs> Got me words around that word eventually. Malnutrition. <laughs> it tastes fine and looks good, but it's still relatively low in protein. So you've got a long way to go, said Joe. Oh, you've got a long way to go, said Joe, said Joe. You could put it like that, said the professor. Right down the Amazon River, there are tribes there that subsist for months. What? A month at a time on a certain giant toadstool. Peculiar to the region. What? It's... It serves as their meat. I want to investigate that. The doctor returned from the telephone. He was grim-faced. I'm afraid I want bad news. That was the hospital. Bert Williams, the man who had... Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And here we were laughing and enjoying ourselves. The tears welled up in what Joe's happened? eyes. Because I don't know what he said. Uh, he's dead. Who is Bert? The doctor? No. Yeah, Bert. He's dead. Wait, no, the German. No, Bert. Well, Bert Williams? Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> he's Bert. I can't remember who he is. Bert, Bert, Bert Pritchard. It's not, oh, no. That's Bert Pritchard. That's Bert Williams. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he's dead uh, anyway. Bert Williams. Uh, South African. <laughs> he's dead. He was South African as well. There's only one South African, that's Bert. Bert Pritchard. Yeah, he's South African. But there's Bert Williams. Is there's dead. only one Bert. Mm. No, it just says Bert, so there's only... It's either Bert Pritchard or Bert. I think Bert Pritchard is something that you made up. No, Bert Pritchard is the one at the bit very beginning. I'm telling you now. There's only one Bert. Ah, oh, we're nearly there. Are you sure it's... Yes, it says Bert Williams. And it's, there's a Bert Pritchard. Right. 100%. Or maybe Bert... Maybe. Anyway, can we please... Why is there two people called Bert? I don't know. All the names. (laughs) Malcolm Thorpe. The man who went into the mine had just died. Okay. Oh, no! And here we were, just laughing and enjoying ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) The tears welled up in Joe's eyes. Fucking hell. (laughs) Professor Jones saw this and took her hand. She found the warmth of his hands comforting. I obey, Joe said. (laughs) (laughs) I obey. <laughs> Look into my eyes, not around my eyes. Look at <laughs> she has to go cross her. Every time she hears the noise. <laughs> I obey. <laughs> I obey. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's a new running thing that happens. Um has there been a post-mortem? Asked the brigadier. Every cell in the man's body has been attacked, said the doctor. It's some sort of virus. They haven't been able to isolate it. So we're still fighting in the dark, said Professor Jones. Not quite, said the doctor. We do have an egg, remember? <laughs> an egg. <laughs> we do have an egg. <laughs> Where's the doctor keeping that egg? From pocket. Just a big lump. <laughs> In Professor Jones's laboratory, a square of bright moonlight from the window fell onto the egg, resting in the... (laughs) I obey. obey. (laughs) So there's some light on the moon. On the moon. All at once, the egg egg moved. (laughs) Have you got any egg? No. Oh. 
I don't know. Right. So all at once, the egg moved as its living occupant wriggled like an egg-born creature. What? The maggot inside had started as an embryonic speck floating on the flu- in the fluid that it was to be its pre-birth food. Oh, God. In a matter of days, that embryo absorbed the fluid. Blah, 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 blah. So, bang, 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 cracks out. The maggot... So, after it's cracked out of the egg, the maggot lay exhausted from all its efforts. Then it sniffed sharply. It was experiencing a new source of energy. Oxygen in the air around it. It wriggled its little body and realised it was quite strong. It also realised it was very hungry. And now it had to find its own food. It raised its head over the edge of the tray and sniffed again. It could smell somewhere in the room was food. Somewhere low down. Fucking hell, Dudley. Can you just <laughs> give us a bit of space, mate? <laughs> Come up for air, mate. It heaved itself over to the edge of the tray and wriggled to the edge of the table. Below was a... Dudley. Below was an almost... I'm sorry, I'll, I'll play it on the marimba. He's <laughs> Australian. Yeah, he is. <laughs> well, he was. I'll play it on the marimba. Uh, but the desire for food made it forget all danger. I've read two pages, so you can keep going. Wow. It rolled itself off the table, fell through space, and finally hit the floor. The bump temporarily stunned its nervous system, but it had no bones to break. After 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 a moment's pause (laughs) It raised its head Fucking hell And sniffled again It wriggled as fast as it could It could go to the source of the food smells A hole in the skirting board No, a hole in the skirting board Something with four legs ran across the floor and went into the hole The maggot watched Fascinated and ravenously, ravenously hungry. But instinct told it not to move. It remained absolutely still, despite the gnawing pangs of hunger in its digestive system. Then a little head looked out from the hole. Tiny eyes regarded the inert maggot. What? Tiny eyes regarded the inert maggot. And whiskers twitched. Cautiously, the mouse came forward on tiptoes, watching and sniffling as it approached the huge object lying still on the floor. It was, of course, the mouse thought something it was, what? It was the mouse thought something that could be eaten, for it too was hungry. The mouse went up to face off the ma- to the face of the maggot, and then the maggot struck. Its jaws opened and the mouse was killed instantly. Yeah. The maggot wriggled about the floor. In happiness. During all its existence inside the egg, it had lived on liquid. Now inside it was flesh, and the sensation was wonderful. The maggot remained in this happy state for two hours. But then hunger returned. This time, the need for food was even greater than before. And it knew what it wanted. Living meat. And I saw her face! 
<laughs> now I'm a believer. Living meat. It wriggled over to the door. And I sniffed. <laughs> Suddenly it was frantic. Because the airwaves coming under the door brought the smell of large amounts of living flesh. The maggot method. The, <laughs> the maggot methodically started to gnaw a hole in the, through the door. The doctor walked the brigadier to the local inn, where the brigadier was going to spend the night. Am I carrying on? Sure, you wouldn't prefer. No. <laughs> so you wouldn't prefer to stay with us in the North Hatch? Asked the doctor as they strode through the village in the bright moonlight. No. Detective Old Noir. <laughs> Long hair and wooden beads <laughs> aren't quite my scene, said the big deer. By the way. Oh no, I start again, old noir detective song. Alright, okay. Longer. <laughs> His memoirs. And wooden beads aren't quite my scene, said the brigadier. By the way, the unit will be arriving in force tomorrow. Whatever for? <laughs> Smoke on cigars under a massive lamp. Said the brigadier with a smile. I feel lonely without Sergeant Benton. Good night, Doctor. <laughs> the brigadier went into the inn, leaving the doctor puzzled. The doctor returned to the whole wheel community house and found almost everyone gone to bed except Joe. Ooh, he thought. <laughs> she was in the living room curled up in an armchair reading a huge old book about the peoples of the Amazon that's a good like detective coming for a prowl though, isn't it? But what's the LA Noir one that's a hard one that one I can't remember I can't think even how it goes it's weird I have no idea where I was. I obey. <laughs> she was in the living room, curled up in the armchair, reading a huge old book about the peoples of the Amazon. Isn't the time you went to bed? The doctor asked in his lingerie. <laughs> I'm going to read on for a bit, she said. It was three in the morning. The doctor regarded her. The doctor regarded her. Very interesting, isn't it? She nodded, still reading. Cliff gave it to me. Cliff? Professor Jones. You seem to be getting very friendly with him. She nodded again, still reading, and this time didn't answer. Todd's came up the steps, said the doctor, trying to get her interested. I got to this business thing, you know. So you mentioned over dinner. Did they? He drew from his pocket the beautiful blue sapphire. I've got this from there. Like to see it? 
She glanced at the precious stone. Great, she said, and turned back to the book. Well, good night, Doctor. The Doctor had never known Joe to be like this before. Usually she's quite raunchy at this time. In their many travels together, they had always been very close. Very, very close. No one had come between them. He turned away to go up to the little room Nancy had allocated to him. That's a favourite of a Dudley. A bass, uh, bass clarinet. It's very, uh, storyteller. As he entered the hall, he met Professor Jones. Oh, I fucking love the storyteller. Don't, it'll make me cry. It'll make me cry. Stop! Oh, fuck. Wait, what? That's not how it goes. <laughs> You're close, though. Have you ever seen a storyteller? You ever heard a storyteller? Yeah. Oh, no. the, uh, the Muppet Man song. The Muppet Man? <laughs> Have you heard? <laughs> the Muppet Man. Making for the living room. Professor Jones. Fucking hell. As he entered the hall, he met Professor Jones. He was waiting for... He was making for the living room. Do you want to read the next page, or do you want me to carry on? I mean, whatever you fancy. I can do it if you want. Five, Go on. I can't be honest. Five, four, three, two, one. The young professor seems slightly embarrassed to see the doctor. On your way to bed with that stiffy, asked Professor Jones. <laughs> the demon at the other end of the corridor, however, was watching Thunderbirds. Five. <laughs> sorry. No, I'll turn it down, pal. Sorry. Um, oh, I don't know what I'm doing now. I was, said the doctor truthfully. Oh, I was. Fucking hell. <laughs> Spit on some whiskey. <laughs> Eating his yogurt. <laughs> Squeezing it through his teeth. <laughs> right, I'm ready now. Here See, we go. Feel its texture between his gums. God, let's get this done. <laughs> Squeezing it between his teeth. He likes to separate the cherries. Right, here we go. We yogurt on one side, cherries on the other. But since you're still up, I wonder if we could talk Squeezing about this so-called <laughs> this so-called virus. The professor hesitated. The professor hesita- hesitated. Well? Claire's in love. <laughs> Joe's voice called from the living room. Cliff? If you'll excuse me a moment, said Professor Jones. Oh, if you'll excuse me a moment, said Professor Jones. He popped his head round the door into the living room. The doctor wanted to have a discussion with me. I'm sorry. The doctor had guessed that Joe was really waiting for Professor Jones in the living room. Jesus, where's this going? <laughs> he felt an almost childish satisfaction at spoiling her date. When Professor Jones came back, the doctor put his cock put Why his arm around. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! The doctor <clears throat> put his arm around the young man's shoulder and led him away. Don't worry, if she won't, I will. <laughs> he said. Is that what he says? No. no. From the living room, Joe heard the doctor's voice. Go on, get out. From the open door. <laughs> oh, 
imagine it. Like Joe opening John, the door. John, no! John's like, wow. Turn away, Joe. Just closes the door. Go to bed. Damn, damn, Joe. You know. If you're not joining, you're not watching. Where's the biggest ear? <laughs> With his cacks to the floor. <laughs> His long johns undone. <laughs> His bare buttocks <laughs> reflected in the moonlight. <laughs> Ooh, a cold breeze. Yeah. Ooh. Like, there mustn't be much more now. No. His eyes reflecting the moonlight. <laughs> His polished ass was like a crystal ball. <laughs> From the living room, doctor, the doctor, no, Joe heard the doctor's voice through the open door as he took Professor Jones. <laughs> now, I read that sentence slightly differently, but it is what it is. It's written that way. <laughs> Doctor uh, Clifford Jones panted like a dog. <laughs> That's not true. No. <laughs> On all fours. <laughs> right. It seems to me that if you if you postulate an active nucleus, the doctor was saying loudly, and then he was out of earshot. What? He knows I've fallen in love. She thought to herself. <laughs> oh, she thought. What? Joe's fallen in love? Yeah. With Benton? No. With, with um... Professor Jones. Is she? Yeah. He's old, Just he? now. No, he's a young man. It doesn't sound... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's you just make him sound well old. I thought she was in love with the, the man who killed himself. No, yeah, no, no, no. Right, here we go. She thought to herself that he knows I've fallen in love. She felt rather sorry for the doctor and oh. wondered why he'd never married. Oh. Were there, she wondered, lady Time Lords? Did Time Lords get married and have babies? How old was the doctor? She realised there were many things she didn't know about him. Since the doctor had ruined her date with Cliff, she felt like going to bed. Oh, Cliff Richards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caught myself a crying talk. No, his, name, his name's Cliff Richards, isn't it? No, no. his name is not Cliff Richards. Cliff Jones. Cliff Jones, sorry. and all, we're all going on. She felt like going back to bed, but first she wanted to finish. Eh? <laughs> first she wanted to finish the Ooh. chapter of her book. So do we. Same here. Page 99 this is, by the way, everybody. Wait. Um, as she started to read again, Joe thought she heard something moving on the floor. She was look. She looked behind her, uh, behind her armchair at the open door. There was nothing. She went back to her book. His ass reflected. Didn't he? <laughs> the maggot, the maggot came round the open door, looked across the floor to the arm, looked across the floor to the armchair. It could just see the naked flesh of Joe's leg. Oh my god! And Pert was shining ass. ass. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you could just see. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus Christ! This was late, wasn't it? When you wrote this, (laughs) wasn't it? 
The sight of so much delicious food was irresistible. It arched its back and started to wriggle silently across the floor. Joe turned the final page of the chapter. She suddenly had a feeling that she was not alone until she looked up. A man's face was in the French window. Butt naked, she drew back into a chair in terror, then realised the man wasn't looking at her. Turning her gaze to follow the direction of the man's eyes. Fucking hell. Oh, yeah. The giant maggot was less than three feet from her leg. She drew up her legs and screamed at the top of her voice. The French window burst open and the man, Hinks, blundered into the room. Fucking hell, Hinks! <laughs> he carried an old blanket and went forward to throw the blanket over the maggots to catch it. The delicious flesh that had suddenly gone from the maggots' view and now sensed danger from this mountain of flesh that had entered the room. The maggot arched its back, instinctively realising that it was out of its danger... I don't know what that says. As As Joe steamed... No, as Joe screamed again and again, the maggot leaped at Hinks, wrapping its slimy body around the man's head. Hinks fell to the floor, at first cursing, then screaming, and finally moaning. Oh, I don't mind. The maggot bit into the flesh of the neck, the taste of the man's blood was very enjoyable. The maggot would have been happily eaten, eaten happily, it would have eaten him. But the man kept writhing about, squishing the maggot against the floor, and the other supply of food, one in the chair, continued what to make. What doing? She's just screaming. <laughs> the maggot recalled with ease, which had devoured the mouse. What? The French windows were open, letting in the smell of all sorts of other food that existed beyond. Reluctantly, but prudently, the maggot realised... Re- no, it didn't. It released its hold on the man's neck and crawled <laughs> fast into the oh. safety of the garden. Please let this be it. The doctor and Professor Jones were the first to answer Joe's screams, followed by a group of hole wheelers in the night clothes. Joe? Wow. Joe! <laughs> Joe, now weeping with fear, pointed into the slime trail left by the maggot. The young man who had been the army colonel rushed into the garden in pursuit of the maggot, whilst Nancy rushed to the phone to call an ambulance. Professor Jones took Joe into his arms to comfort her. The doctor examined Hinks. Who is that man? asked Joe, bewildered. One of Dr. Stevens' strong-arm men, said Professor Jones. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) How is he? The doctor straightened up. Weak and weak. Weak and getting weaker. The young ex-colonel came back from the garden. There's no sign of it. No, said the doctor. He pointed to the slimy trail that the maggot had left across the floor. But at least we can try and analyse that. It could provide the answer to everything. End of chapter seven. Next chapter. Chapter eight. The maggots. See you next week. Bye-bye. Good. Hello, and welcome to Reading Club, The Green Death, Chapter 8. I'm Harold, and I'm going to guide you through this glorious chapter. So, get yourself a drink. I've got a tea. I'm going to take a sip now.
Mm. Gold. So, here we go. Chapter 8, The Maggots. The Brigadier felt much happier now. Unit soldiers had arrived in force at dawn. At 8am, he had been called to Dr. Stevens' office, where the director of Panorama Chemicals had the Minister of Ecology on the phone ready to speak to and give orders to the Brigadier. On the face of it, the Brigadier agreed with the orders he was given. Aided by Sergeant Benton, he had quickly carried out the first part of the orders. Explosive charges were laid down the mineshaft and, as the Brigadier stood by the pit head watching his men work, wire was attached from the explosives to the plungers that would detonate them. And then the doctor arrived, driving his vintage car, Bessie. We all love Bessie, don't we? Just, I think Bessie is probably due a comeback. Morning, Doctor, called the Brigadier cheerfully. Doesn't sound very cheerful. Glad to have her here with you, are you? He indicated the Doctor's beloved car, which the unit Brigadier had had brought from London, had had had, had brought from London by a unit driver. They're thoughtful of you, said the Doctor. Now what's all this about blowing up the mine? Best in the long run, said the Brigadier. Anyway, orders are orders. Those maggots you saw down the mine, we'll seal them in there for good. But I need one, said the Doctor. What are they for? The Doctor got out of Bessie and explained. Professor Jones and I... Sorry, no, that's not the Doctor, is it? That's me. Professor Jones and I put some of the cells in the maggot's trail. The maggot that almost attacked Joe last night with some of the human body cells. The maggot cells changed the internal structure of the human cells into their own nature. Does that sentence make any sense? Because I don't think it does. It's rather warm in here. Rather. going to roll my sleeves up. If you've discovered all that, said the brigadier, why do you need another maggot? <laughs> Sorry. Because we don't know enough. So kindly do, don't do anything stupid like blowing up the mine until I've been down there. Out of the question, pal said the brigadier. Sergeant Benton ran up to them. Oh, God, Benton. Everything's ready, sir. Benton doesn't talk like that. Well, he does now. He saw the doctor and grinned. Hello, doctor. Doc, sir, why is everybody... Hello, doctor. I'll do. Good morning, said the doctor. Very pleased to see you here, sergeant, but not very pleased about what you're about to do. He turned back to the brigadier. Oh, <laughs> I don't know who's saying this. Is it the doctor? Let's say it's the doctor. When do you intend when do you intend to commit this particular folly, Brigadier? I shall carry out my orders, said the Brigadier, sternly. At exactly eleven o'clock. That gives me thirty minutes to try and talk sense into someone. Oh, hang on. I think that might be the doctor that's just said that. Who knows? The doctor got back into Bessie and drove away. In the first place, said the doctor, addressing Dr. Stevens across his vast desk, what right have you to order the destruction of the property belonging to the National Code Board? Dr. Stevens smiled. My company bought the mine from the government late last night. Very convenient, the doctor said. He realised 
he had lost on that score and quickly moved on to another approach. As you know, that mine contains a species of giant maggot. As you know, Dr. Stevens cut in, I have yet to see proof. Your own... Oh, God. Your own man, Hinks, was attacked by one last night when forcibly entering the private premises. Hinks was a drunkard, said Dr. Stevens. It's pretty nice, isn't it? I cannot hold him responsible for what he did in his free time. And do we know what attacked him? Miss Grant saw it happen. A young woman, asked Dr. Stevens. Late, mm, late last night and possibly half asleep. Was she the only witness? Dr. St- oh. Dr. Stevens, said the doctor. What possible reason have you against delaying the destruction for one or more days so I can go back into the mine? Oh, God. Because you have convinced me you are a sensation monger, a political hothead, and a scientific charlatan. Dr. Stevens smiled again, but it was a hard smile. You and others have suggested that these mysterious deaths are in some way fault of my company. He pressed a button on the intercom and spoke into the microphone. Stella, ask Mr. Elgin to bring the man in from the ministry, will you? He turned back to the doctor. If you persist in these slanders, I shall have you restrained under the Emergency Powers Act. You have no right. The necessary authority was brought to me this morning, said Dr. Stevens. A tap on the door. As you tap. A tap on the door, and Mark Elgin entered, followed by a tall, lean young man wearing a smart pinstriped suit. The gentleman from the ministry, sir. He said to Dr. Stevens. Oh, no, sorry. The gentleman from the ministry, sir. Everybody talks like that. He said to Dr. Stevens. Dr. Stevens rose. <whistles> this is our troublesome friend, the doctor. He told the newcomer. Oh, sorry. No, he didn't. This is our troublesome friend, the doctor. He told the newcomer. Perhaps you can impress him on what powers I now have from the minister. The doctor looked up at the young man in the pinstriped suit. It was Captain Mike Yates of Unit, whom he knew well. <gasps> Gasp. Good grief, said the doctor. I mean, good morning. He rose and shook hands with Yates. If you have some authority here, you must stop the destruction of the mine. A roar of explosion cut through the middle of the page where it looks at the middle of the doctor's sentence he swung around and saw the windows of a what windows of a pall of black smoke rising oh right okay a, a big thing of black smoke rising from the pit head they, they, they'd exploded it Dr. Stevens looked at his watch 11 o'clock <coughs> 11 o'clock gentlemen orders have been carried out I feel doctor that if any further discussion would now be academic don't you what? Mike Yates, said Joe. Where's Joe? Appeared from it. Mike Yates, said Joe, in astonishment. She knew the young unit captain very well. <clears throat> and had been out to dinner with him a, n a number of times. Just dinner, I hope, Joe. The doctor peeled, uh, peeled off his jacket. Good God, napalm. They were in Professor Jones's laboratory when the professor was examining the culture plates. The doctor was about to assist him. It's all right, Joe, 
the brigadier explained. Mike's spying for our side. Who thought of Who thought of that? The brigadier. Strange, isn't it? Oh, hang on, I don't know who's talking now. Oh, it was the doctor. It's all right, Joe. The brigadier... Oh, you got the gist, anyway. Uh, the brigadier. Stra oh, God. The, 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 where's the... There he is. The brigadier. Strange, isn't it? He goes and... Uh, oh, it's, he's still speaking. He goes and obeys a ridiculous order because, as he explains, he's a soldier. But he doesn't really trust Stevens, so he's just got Mike rigged up to the best civilian clothes to pretend to be government official. He turned to Professor Jones. What can I do to help? The professor held up a test tube containing a lump of green-stained cotton wool. Oh, God. Here we go. That slime that we've got just isn't good enough. We still can't find the antidote without some living maggot cells to try it on. But since the mine is now closed, observed Joe, there can't... Oh, God. But since the mine is now closed, observed Joe, there can't be any more green death. So why do we need an antidote? You're forgetting Mr. Hinks, said the doctor. We don't know why he broke in here. Perhaps to get that egg. But he certainly saved you from being bitten, eh? Hmm? Eh? Hmm? And right now, he's in hospital. And no one knows how to save his life. Well, there's the brief. Chapter 8. I don't know why that one's only three pages. But anyway, there's chapter 8. Um... And there we go. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I'll be back probably almost instantly, I'd say. Hello, good evening and welcome. Uh, this is uh, Reading Club. Um, we're on Chapter 9 of The Green Death. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to read through this story for you, dear listener. Chapter 9. The Swarm Blodwin Williams entered the room marked Authorised Personnel Only. With a bucket and mop and cleaning cloths, she was Authorised Personnel. Anywhere in Panorama Chemicals building, she didn't really like her job as a cleaner, but ever since her husband, Chris, lost his job when the mine closed down, Blodwin had gone out to work. She was just about to dip her mop into the bucket of soapy, warm water when she saw the maggots. They were packed tight onto the other side of the transparent porthole in the wall. They were two feet long and they were squirming, in one living mass. For a moment, she remained static, horrified at the sight, unable to speak or move. Then she began to scream. Insert scream here. Mark Elgin, I keep thinking he's dead, coming along in the corridor, heard the screams. He rushed into the room to see Blodwin Williams collapse in a faint. He looked at the portal, and he felt like he wanted to be sick. Ten minutes later, after Elgin had carried Blodwin into the staff restroom, he stormed into Dr. Stevens' office. You're talking nonsense, Dr. Stevens protested. Elgin repeated his story. The pipe, it's packed full of them, sir. 
Come and see for yourself. Dr. Stevens did not move from his desk. There's a simple solution. Well, she'll have to pump down more waste and flush them away. That's just shoving the problem underground, said. Page turn, page turn. Elgin. He had never spoken up to an employer like this before. Haven't we poisoned the mine long enough? Poison, said Dr. Stevens. I don't like the words that you chose there, Elgin. Anyway, the mine is now sealed. Elgin turned to go. If you intend to do nothing, sir, I must go and find someone who will. He tried to open the door, but it seemed jammed. Oh. Dr. Stevens took his finger from the button he had just pressed. The one that automatically locked the door to his office. Ah, convenient. One of those convenient buttons that lock. Mm, anyway. Come and sit down, Elgin, he said, soothingly. I thought that was, that was quite soothing, wasn't it? Will you unlock this door, sir? Dr. Stevens. Oh, he didn't yawn, but I did. But yeah. <laughs> Dr. Stevens pressed another button on his desk. A deep humming filled the air. Mm. Elgin shook his head. He was suddenly feeling a little dizzy. Sit in that chair, said Dr. Stevens, pointing to the chair where Dr. Bell had once sat. Elgin obeyed. Dr. Stevens quickly got out the special earphones. Now, I have a slight issue with this. They're not earphones, they're headphones. If you put them in your ear, they're earphones. If you put them on your head, they're headphones. I'll let it slip. So he got out the special earphones and went to put them on Elgin's head. Don't worry, Elgin, he said. I shan't hurt you, pal. Very soon you will see everything from the company's point of view. Then you'll be happy again. Mm. The brigadier burst in prof into Professor Jones's laboratory. They've broken out. They're all over the slag heap. Who's broken out? Asked the doctor, who was helping the professor by putting smears on slides. Maggots. They're, borrowing, they're bloody borrowing their way up from the slag heap. So much for sealing the mine with your explosives, commented Joe. The doctor turned to the agitated brigadier. Have you tried killing them? Of course. The bullets just bounce off. We even threw insecticide at them. <sighs> what happened? The damn, the damn things ate it. <laughs> the brigadier took off his cap, wiped his brow, and perched on a high wooden stool, sexily. It's up to you, you scientific chaps now said that no same words but with a slightly less strange inflection the doctor thought quickly can you make contact with Mike Yates in the Palace Armour building yes by phone I say that I'm in Ministry of Ecology calling from London tell him that we want some of the company's oil waste the doctor said and we want it quickly alright where's the phone here I'll show you. Joe, take over from me. The doctor hurried out with the brigadier. Joe asked, 
What do you want me to do? Professor Jones was squinting down a microscope. Hand me things when I ask for them. He had a block nose. When I got this job with Unit, the brigadier made me the doctor's assistant and said I'd spend most of my time like this, helping him in his work. Really? said Professor Jones, adjusting the microscope. He didn't seem to pay much attention to what Joe was saying. It never worked like that, she, she said. Not quite. Pity, he murmured, seeming to take no interest. Next slide, please. Joe looked along the work bench. Hang on, I forgot how to read then. Joe looked along the workbench frantically. Which one? The next one. He straightened up, rubs it. Pardon? He straightened up, rubbed his eyes. On the other hand, I've got a better idea. Eh? She didn't understand. What? This. He stood up, unzipped, and pulled out an in... Oh, no. He put his arms round her and kissed her. Oh, Christ. Okay. He put his arms round her and kissed her. There, he said. I've been trying to get the courage to do that. Are you terribly angry? Yes, well, actually, I think you'll find it's in... Oh, no, she's she swallowed hard. Good God. I think I need a drink. Carry on now. Four. Hot stuff, innit? No, no, not at all. She was rocking on her heels with happiness. Good, he said. I'm glad you didn't mind. The brigadier hurried back. Mike Yates can't help us. Just thought I'd tell you that the doctor's gone off to get some of that oil waste himself. Next page. How? asked Joe. Bit as a subterfuge, grinned the brigadier. It's an old trick, but it might just work. Anyway, must rush now to see how the maggot swarm's getting on. He went, and in a moment they heard his jeep start up. Now, said Professor Jones after the interruption, where were we? Good God. You were kissing me, Joe said. And, and, and I was helping you. Oh, oh God, who's speaking? Him now. Oh yes, he remembered. First the next slide. Then you... He looked along the bench and found the one that the doctor had prepared and fitted it under the microscope. Then could you put this test tube back in the rack? Good God. Rack and everything. Professor Jones liked a good, a nice big rack. Joe took the tube and leaned over the bench to replace it in the rack under the window. Look, Joe, said the professor, when all this horrible business is over, look out. What? I don't know what that means. But the warning was too late. Leaning over the bench, Joe knocked over a couple of jars containing a brown powdery substance. Mm. The stopper from one of the jars fell off and the powder sprinkled all over the slides of maggot slime. You clumsy young goat! The professor roared. You've ruined my dried fungus. I'll have to do the whole lot again. I'm sorry, Joe said. Really, I am. Can I help it? Can't help you put it right in 
anyway. No, definitely not. Sod off. He got on with his work grumpily. Joe slunk back miserably. What you really need is a maggot, isn't it? He nodded. That would help. But first things first. <laughs> she perked up, hoping to l- he'd let her help. Yes? What first? Get on your knee. Uh, d- make, make me some coffee. A delight, a, like a dutiful little girl. Jesus Christ, Mr. Jones. It, he didn't notice her sarcasm. Perfect. Perfect, he said, peering into the microscope. With what? With a frilly apron and a cap, she said. He made a minute adjustment to the focus on the microscope, and was, he wasn't really listening. Good idea, he murmured. Or topless, she asked. Genuinely, I'm not making that up. That's what it says. Or topless, she asked. Hmm? He was in a world of his own, absorbed absorbed in his work. When he saw in the microscope... I'm sorry if anybody's horrendously aroused right now. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard going, isn't it? So I'll, t- I'll just have another drink. You might want to pop your headphones on if you're listening with anybody. He was on. He was in a world of his own, absorbed in his own work. When he saw the microscope, made microscope made him frown. She stood up, exasperated. How about a nice cup of arsenic? Fine, he said, not hearing. Whatever you've got. Angrily, she tore a clean sheet from the notebook on his workbench and scribbled a message on it. Since you don't want to listen to me, you can read this, you stupid fuck. He took the sheet of paper without looking, turned it over and started to make calculations on it in pencil. Joe turned on her heel and stalked out of the laboratory. Unnoticed by either of them, the powdery brown fungus had started to envelop and destroy the traces of green maggot slime on it, onto onto which it had fallen. The village milk float pulled up outside the gates of Panorama Chemicals. It was driven by a bent old man, wearing oilskins and a sou'wester. Now, I've always wondered how you spell sou'wester, so I'm very happy about that. I'd love a yellow cap. That was pulled well down over his face. A guard came forward. Now, you tell me, where is the usual milkman? Asked the guard. Oh, the doctor. Taken very ill, mumbled the doctor. So who, who are you? His, doctor. Uh, of course, his dad, dad. I can't say dad like the doctor, so just imagine. He said to me this morning, oh, sorry. He said to me this morning from his sick bed, dad, someone's got to do the milk round. I've done it for 52 years, I told him. I'm too old to do it now, I said, but he said, dad, there's no one else that he said, I said, so I said, well, son, there's life in the old dog yet. I said, very bored by this, the guard just flung open the gate. All right, Master Bruce, go on in. And don't be too long, because you fully well know that once you drop the milk, you need to make your way back outside the gate. He didn't say any of this. He ripped off his disguise and went into the building. Soon he had reached the floor of the main administrative... offices. Suddenly, loudspeakers set set into the walls of the corridor made their announcement. Attention all guards. Milk float found in the car park. Intruder suspected in building disguised as milk man. 
No sooner had the doctor heard the announcement than heavy footsteps pounded down a nearby corridor. He looked about, saw a door, opened it and went in. Mops, cloths and a bucket fell on him. Holding the door of the cleaner's cupboard open half an inch, he saw the guards rush by. Then he looked about himself. The cupboard also contained the cleaner's overalls and caps. Hmm, I wonder what he's going to do. I mean, I have seen the Green Death, so I, I, sort of, I, I do know what he's going to do. Captain Mike Yates came along the corridor with his faithful panorama chemicals guard. Mike Yates talks like Jacob Collier, doesn't he, I think? I really can't find my own way out of here, said Yates. That's, uh, oh, God. Uh, we need a voice for the guard. Oh, that's all right, sir, said the guard. It's a pleasure to accompany you. He conveyed by tone, if not words, that he wasn't going to let Yates out of his sight. The, oh, I don't know who said Aye, the lifts are just along here, sir, he added, as they turned the corridor. Down by the lifts, a cleaning woman was smearing white fluid on the windows proprietary to cleaning them. The guard pressed the button for the lift, and he and Yates waited. Yates happened to glance over his shoulder. Using a finger on the glass, the cleaning woman, in inverted commas, see where this is going, had written the words, Get rid of him. Yates stared back at the face under the frilly cap. The doctor stared back for a moment, then quickly rubbed out what he'd written. The lift arrived, the doors open. Ugh, after you, sir, said the guard. Yates and the guard stepped into the lift. The guard pressed the button for the ground floor. Good gracious, said Yates. I've forgotten my briefcase. See you downstairs. As the doors were closing, he leapt out of the lift. The doors closed, carrying the guard down to the ground floor. Good work, Mike, said the doctor. I've got no time to explain anything. Just tell me this. Where can I get some of the oil waste? Oh, not a chance, said Yates. Hang on, he's talking like the brigadier now. Hello, friends. Not a chance, said Yates. It would be like stealing the crown jewels. <laughs> Could you get me the formula? Yates shook his head. Everything important is isolated on the top floor. At least I've found out that much. Only the director can get up there. There's a special lift at the end of his block. It works with some sort of key. And Dr. Stevens is the only person who's got one. And another thing, the director isn't the real boss, you know. He takes his instructions for someone else. <laughs> Who? Oh, I've no idea. Whoever is on the top floor. The lift doors started to slide open. The doctor quickly turned back to cleaning the windows. Oh, have you got your briefcase now, sir? Asked the guard. What? Uh, oh, perhaps I don't need it after all. <laughs> Yates stepped into the lift. The guard looked at him quizzically, then pressed the button for the ground floor. Professor Jones looked up from the microscope and rubbed his eyes. All his efforts to find the antidote for the Green Death had proved useless. Utterly, utterly useless. No point whatsoever. Whatever living thing the maggots or their slime touched would go on to be transmuted into the maggot cells. Then, he noticed the slides where the fungus powder had been spilt. Quickly, he put one of them under the microscope. The cells of the fungus had destroyed the cells of the maggot. With a whoop of delight, 
he swung around. I've got it. We can cure it, Joe. But Joe had gone. The professor scratched his chin. He knew he was very absent-minded sometimes, and often... Here comes the next page. Forgot where he put things. But he'd never mislaid a person before. He went out into the corridor. Joe! 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 He ran into the kitchen when Nancy was baking bread. <laughs> Did you see Joe? She went out, said Nancy, sticking her fingers into the dough. She said she'd left you a message. The professor remembered a piece of paper that Joe had given him. He ran back into his laboratory, looked through all the papers carrying calculations about his workbench. Then he found it, turned it over, and the message read. The message read, I'll bring back a maggot for you, Joe. He hurried out the building. The doctor had found a special lift. And with his sonic screwdriver, screwdriver? Put the emphasis on the sonic screwdriver bit, rather than the, it doesn't matter anyway. God, it's late. And with his sonic screwdriver, managed to take himself up to the top floor. When the doors slid open, he found himself in a room filled with dials, little flashing lights and wires. Oh, lovely, like a sensory room. Dominating the other end of the room was a massive computer. How kind of you to drop in, Doctor, said the voice. Oh, sorry. How kind of you to drop in, Doctor, said the voice of the boss. I've been looking forward to this. The Doctor looked around, and there was no one in the room. Who are you? Who are you? I am the boss, said the voice. I'm all around you. You're the computer, said the Doctor, beginning to understand. Correct. I am Biomorphic Organisational Systems Supervisor, said the voice. The initials of my name spell boss. Don't you think that's clever? You're still only a machine, said the doctor. No, replied the voice. I'm linked to the human brain of Dr. Stevens. From him, I learned the secret of human creativity, his inefficiency. <laughs> Humans make logical guesses that turn out to be more logical than logic itself. Infuri- I'm sorry, infuriating, isn't it? said the doctor. I programmed Stevens to program me to be inefficient. The voice of Boss continued. Oh, did he? I am now self-controlling, self-sufficient, and the greatest being this planet has ever seen. I am the boss. There are no macra. Oh no, it didn't. No, sorry. I see. I see you have a touch of human-like egotism. Remarked the doctor, amused. Of course, I'm a megalomaniac. This uniquely fits me to carry out my prime directive. And what's that? asked the doctor. Today forever, said Boss, demonstrating an excellent Welsh pronunciation. Tomorrow the world. Good grief, said the doctor. Adolf Hitler something on those said something on those lines. He lost the Second World War, you know. 
Now, I'm glad they put Second World War and not World War Two. Can't bear it when people say World War Two. Sorry. He was human, said Boss, and therefore fallible. I cannot go wrong. I'm in. Don't know, he's, I think he's having a slight breakdown, but it's fine. Really? The doctor edged towards the left. Oh, hang on, doesn't the robot... Oh, sorry, I won't give anything away. Really? The doctor edged towards the lift, although the doors were now closed. Try... Oh, who's saying this now? Try this. If I tell you that the next thing I say will be true, but that the last thing I said was a lie, would you believe me? Oh, hang on, is that the doctor? Oh, it is the doctor. Sorry. Well, the doctor just sang that to him. Light started to flash on the walls all around the doctor. There was a humming and a gentle vibration. Ooh. Oh, I don't know who's saying this now. The two statements do not correlate, said Boss. They are incompatible. It's not a valid query. Give me time, Doctor, and I shall work it out. I... it cannot be answered. I shall answer it. I shall. I can't. I shall. I can't. I must! Smiling to himself, the Doctor turned from the confused computer and applied his sonic screwdriver to the special lock that operated the lift. The doors did not open. He applied the sonic screwdriver again. This time, the doors slid back. Standing in the lift was Dr. Stevens and his four guards. Grab him, shouted Dr. Stevens. Sorry, grab him! The four guards rushed at the doctor, overpowering him. He was dragged into the chair and quickly manacled to it. Dr. Stevens opened a cupboard and brought out a heavy metal album, oh no, a heavy metal helmet, and placed it on the doctor's head. He is ready, Dr. Stevens told the computer. You can convert him now. Thank you, said the boss. Normally, doctor... I tell people this process isn't gonna hurt. In your case, I'll make an exception. <laughs> Professor Jones ran all the way out to the slag heap, leaping over a rope put by unit on which hung a sign saying, Danger, keep. You're right, it says keep out. Oh, God. Hey, you! Sergeant Benton ran down the slag heap to stop the professor. This area is prohibited. Where the hell do you think you're going? Get that... Professor Jones stopped. Where's Joe Grant? From where he stood, he could see dozens of huge maggots crawling all over the slag heap. I've no idea, said Benton. Now kindly get away from this area, sir. I'll have to remove you by force, you... The professor pointed at the side of the slag heap. Isn't that her over there? Sergeant Benton wheeled round... Wheeled? Wheeled round to look. Professor Jones ran as fast as he could in the other direction. The sergeant remained where he was and was shouting after the professor. Very clever, sir. But I'm not going to chase you because the whole heap is about to be bombed, you idiot. When the professor was definitely out of hearing, the sergeant added, You can get yourself blown to pieces with your university degree and all your stupid... Well away from the sergeant, Professor Jones turned and climbed to the top of the slag heap. In a dip below... He saw Joe's fair head bobbing about. He raced down, avoiding the snapping maggots as he ran. Joe was stalking a particularly large maggot, <laughs> opening an old coal sack in which she hoped to trap it in. 
What on earth do you think you're doing here? He yelled. Trying to get a little playmate for you, she called. The roar of the aero engines made them both look up. Two fighter bombers were approaching. And you're an idiot, he shouted at her. And you're a rude pig, she shouted back. The first napalm, the first napalm bomb dropped on one of the lower slopes. It exploded with a terrific flash, spreading its burning chemicals over a wide area. I was worried silly about you, he shouted over the roar of the bomb. Two more bombs exploded, spreading fire. Then why don't you show it, she demanded. I am showing it, he screamed above the roar of the aircraft. That's why I've come here to save you. I can save myself, thank you. Please, Joe, he yelled. I love you, oh, for God's sake. His words were drowned out by another violent explosion. What? she shouted. I didn't hear. I love you, he yelled at the top of his voice. And now, before we're both killed, can we get the hell out of here? All right, she shouted. She shouted. Let's go. They raced along the dip, then climbed to a ridge. Down below, there was a sea of writhing maggots. As they turned, two bombs landed on the maggots. Professor Jones pointed. Look, a cave! They ran for the cave. It was the remains of an old wooden bunker. Over the years, slack had been heaped over it, and a small entrance was left. They fell and rolled into it, and lay breathless. Then the professor sat up. Can I kiss you again? he asked. I hope so. She closed her eyes, waiting for his lips to touch hers. Stay absolutely still, he said. I am absolutely still, she said, her eyes still closed. I mean, he said. We have a little friend in here with us. Don't move. Hey, where's this going? Joe's eyes opened wide. In the back of the cave, a huge maggot reared its head. Do maggots have heads? Then it leapt at Joe. Professor Jones flung Joe to one side and kicked the maggot out of their refuge. At the entrance, a large number of maggots had now gathered, attracted by the exciting smell of human flesh. Some of them were scorched by bombs, but otherwise showed no sign of being harmed. We're going to need help. Oh no. We're going to need help, Joe said. And fast. She pulled from her pocket her miniature unit walkie-talkie, pulled up the telescopic aerial and started to give her calling code into the microphone. The doctor looked about the small, empty office in which he was held prisoner. Oh, sorry, my throat just made a noise. He'd already tried his sonic screwdriver over on the door lock, but without success. Now he regarded the window. It was heavily barriered, Since escape seemed impossible, he lay down on the flat floor, put his hands behind his head and tried to go back to sleep. He was just dropping off when he heard the lock torn. Turn. Torn? Turn. That says torn. You don't don't torn a lock, do you? Turn it. When he heard the lock torn. Anyway, the lock undid. He leapt up and positioned himself behind the door. Hands raised to give a karate chop. I'm assuming that's Venusian Aikido. The door opened and Mike Yates looked inside. Just in time, the doctor stopped himself delivering a deadly blow. Do come in, he greeted Yates. How did you ever know I was here? I saw... uh, Oh, sorry, hang on. I saw you brought along here with the carrier monitor. 
Everybody speaks differently. Yates explained, What happened? The doctor quickly explained about the meeting, boss and the unfortunate arrival of Dr. Stevens and his guards. They tried very hard to convert me, the doctor went on, but without success. I kept doing mathematical permutations in my mind. Somehow, that threw them. They finally decided I might be a useful hostage, so they put me in here. We've got to get out fast. Much more going on than I imagined. Pardon? said Yates. No. With the mine? asked Yates. With the world, said the doctor. We've got a mad scheme to create an ordered world society with everyone happy and well fed. Yeah, then. Well, what's wrong with that? asked Yates. I don't know why Yates talks like that now. It is what it is. There's plenty of. Oh, God. I don't know who's saying this, so I'll just say it in a generic voice. Their price of plenty is eternal slavery. Let's move. Could it be anybody? Together they slipped out of the room, down the corridor, and down the stairs that took them to ground level. An unlocked door let them into the grounds. They were in the concreted area close to the equipment shed. This way, the doctor called, and raced down the alleyway, where previously he'd been trapped. With his long legs, the doctor drew ahead of Yates. Suddenly, behind him, the doctor heard the clang of metal. He turned and saw a metal grill had slid into position, with Captain Yates on the other side. Yates shrugged and waved to the doctor. Keep going, doctor. Don't worry about me. Reluctantly, the doctor kept running. He raced round the side of the building to where he had left the milk float. As he got into the driver's seat, was it, why would you use a milk float? Because they only go like one mile an hour. As he got into the driving seat, alarm hooters started all over the grounds. He started up the motor and drove straight at the front gates. From all sides, the guards came running at him. This time, they carried guns. The guards came at the gates, levelled their guns at the milk float, as the doctor bore down on them. Two of them fired, and there was a crash of bursting milk bottles. Then the milk float hit the front gates and crashed through with them. With them? Crashed through with them? With the milk bottles? From behind the metal grill, Mike Yates watched with... What? Oh, sorry. From behind them? From... No, from the... No, 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 no. Come on, everybody. From behind the metal grill, Mike Yates watched the, watched with glee as the doctor escaped. Then the guards closed up on him. Guns at the ready. Dr. Stevens came running up. Don't kill him, he called out. He can be useful. And there is Chapter 9 of Reading Club. As always, thanks very much, everybody. And, uh, yeah, take care. Hello there. Good evening. This is Reading Club, Chapter 10 of The Green Death. Uh, Chapter 10 is called The Green Death. Um, Brace yourselves. It's not a long one, not a long chapter, but it's long enough. Alright then, let's get into it then. Nancy straightened... Oh, fucking hell. Nancy straightened Professor Jones's bedclothes. Oh, God. 
Nancy Street and Professor Jones's bedclothes. Malcolm, it doesn't fall off the tongue, mate. I'll be honest. Does not roll off the tongue. Nancy Street and Professor Jones's bedclothes tucked in the sheets. He lay unconscious, breathing heavily. <sighs> How did it happen? How? No, Nancy. How did it happen? She asked. It could have been explosions from those terrible napalm bombs, Joe said. I st still feel pretty shaky myself. He hasn't got any broken bones, that's for sure. So it could be a c concussion, Nancy regarded the professor carefully. I don't like that heavy breathing, though. Joe prayed silently to herself that Cliff would be all right. In answer to her call on the walkie-talkie, the doctor and Sergeant Benton had driven in Bessie through the sea of squirming maggots. To clear the maggots from the entrance of the old bunker, the doctor had used his sonic screwdriver, adjusting it to emit a high-pitched buzz that deafened Sergeant Benton and caused the maggots temporarily to back away. By the time the doctor and Benton got into the refuge, refuge, Cliff was already semi-conscious. <laughs> the three of them had to lift him into Bessie for the bumpy drive down the side of the slag heap and back to the safety of the whole wheel. Sorry, whole wheelers house. The doctor came into the bedroom. Any achievement? Nancy shook her head. I think we should call it Dr. Fucking Davis. Nancy shook her head. I think we should call it Dr. Davis. He's the GP from the village. Oh, he's the GP from the village. Then the young professor opened his eyes. He stared up at the ceiling, unseeingly. What? He stared up at the ceiling, unseeingly. Right. His lips started to move. Seven. Joe held. Joe held his hand fast. Rather instead of slow. Cliff, please wake up. Cliff, please wake up. Please for my sake. Are they a thing now? Since when? His lips moved again. Sudden, sudden dip. No. Yeah. Sudden, sudden dippity. His eyes closed and he lapsed back into unconsciousness. Serendipity, said the doctor. He turned to Nancy. Do you know what that meant? No. Do you know what he meant? <laughs> it's rambling, she answered. They did is no word. Ah, uh, but it is, said the doctor. It was coined by a chap called Harris Wampum. That's what the fairy tale called the three princes of the serendip. It means a happy accident. Doctor, said Joe, trembling. Sorry. Doctor, said Joe, trembling. Look at his neck. She pointed to a small green patch just under the professor's ear. What's she looking there for? The green death, the maggot that leapt at me. The green death, the maggot that leapt at me. It must have touched him on the neck. She burst into tears. Come on, Joe. Come to mob, said Nancy, putting her arms around Joe as she sobbed. 
Believe me, love. While there's life there, there go. The doctor quietly left the bedroom, worried and puzzled. He had already injected the professor with a broad spread. Fucking hell. He had already injected the professor with a broad spectrum antibiotic to slow down any infection. But so far, but so far as he knew they had no cure against the Green Death, this makes no sense. But so far he, but so far as he knew they had no cure against the Green Death, it just ends. Despite all the efforts of highly skilled hospital doctors, Hinks had died that morning. Aww. The doctor knew that he had two major problems to solve. First, the green patch meant the young professor's life was now in danger. As opposed to, you know, fall unconscious time and time again. If no antidote could be found. Professor Jones would die within 24 hours. That's very specific. The sec- the second problem was the maggots. They had buried... No. They had burrowed to the surface because they needed daylight. The doctor suspected there was another de- development... <coughs> the doctor suspected there was another development yet to come. In the next few days, they would pupate in their thousands turning into some other kind of insect if that had wings the green death could be spread all over the world Mm. he went into the professor's untidy laboratory and looked at the massive notes and calculations on the workbench just next to the massive porn mat serendipity he murmured to himself a discovery by a happy accident. The doctor did the laboratory opened quietly and Mike Yates and who's Mike Yates entered. The doctor turned, glad to see him. Welcome to the Nuckhat, Mike. How did you manage to get away? They let me go, said Yates. Really? That was good of them. Do you know why? Yates pulled from the pocket of his pinstripe suit and a snub nose revolver. Fucking <laughs> To kill you. No, to kill you. What happened to the other guys? He just spoke a minute ago. To kill you, doctor. To kill you, doctor. Beads of perspiration stood on Yates' forehead. Foddered. <laughs> Beads of perspiration stood on Yates' forehead. My instructions are to kill you, Professor Jones, and the Brigadier. The instructions are fucked, said the doctor, looking into the nozzle of the gun. Fucking <laughs> With his mouth around the no- nozzle of the gun. Right it, Mike. They have done something to you. They have helped me to see reason, said Yates. There will be a new world of prosperity for all who obey. But first... We must have order. He cocked back the gun, striking the hammer, put a right big bullet in it. The brigadier walked in. Doctor, I've been looking for you. He saw Yates and the gun and stopped dead. Captain Yates, put that down. 
I'm sorry, sir, but I have my instructions. I am the only person who gives you instructions, said the brigadier. Have you gone mad? Me isn't mad. Me isn't mad, the doctor said quietly. But he seems things in a different way, brigadier. He turned back to Yates. It is necessary for you to see something <laughs> necessary. Now, fucking who's speaking? He turned back to Yates. It is necessary for you to see something, Captain Yates. Necessary, repeated Yates. For increased efficiency, said the doctor. For improved balance and pains, let my people go. Strengthen joy, peace, and our time. He went on, reeling off nonsense to confuse Yates. Reeling off nonsense? It sounds like a whole book. You must see what... Oh, is that? <laughs> you must see what I am in my pocket. Slowly, he drew from his pocket the beautiful sapphire that he had taken from the mountain of Metabelius Three. Watch it carefully, Michael. Yates stared at into... Yates stared into the blue sapphire which seemed to glow with its own inner light. Soon, <laughs> soon, said the doctor soothingly, your mind will be locked into the crystalline pattern and you will know will pass. But who's speaking? Your mind, your mind will be locked onto the crystalline pattern. The neural path of your brain will be swept clean and you will be free. Slowly the gun was lowered, then fell from Yates' hand. Yates continued to stare into the sapphire, then he collapsed on the, to the fu- fucking floor. You, you see, said the doctor, turning now to the brigadier, my trip to Metabelius free wasn't wasted after all. Mike will be all right now. The brigadier was gazing fixedly into the sapphire. The doctor quickly returned to this precious stone to his pocket and snapped his fingers before the brigadier's eyes. Break up, brigadier! Break up! The brigadier came to his senses. Good grief. What happened? You fell asleep while on duty, the doctor joked. You could be caught martial for that. Now help me with my grips. Together they sat him up. Where am I? He asked. The doctor briefly... <laughs> the doctor briefly told Yates that he had been brainwashed, but was now all right. How? However, I want you to go back to Panorama Chemicals. Are you up for that? Are you up for that? Are you up for that, I'm as right as rain, sir, said Yates. Good, said the doctor. There's something you must find out for me. It's very important. He started to explain. God, kill me now. Dr. Stevens sat at his desk, reading from a checklist. New York, he said towards the ceiling. (laughs) Okay. Prepared, said the voice of Boss. Zorik, said Dr. Stevens. In preparation, replied Boss. Assessment to follow. A tap on the door. The mission, called Dr. Stevens. Yates entered.
and he eats. Mission accomplished, he said in a zombie-like voice. The doctor is dead. Dr. Stevens sat back in his chair, well pleased. Excellent work, and the girl. For a fraction of a second, Yates hesitated. She too is worried about Professor Jones to make trouble. It is not necessary to kill her. Dr. Stevens narrowed his eyes. No, <laughs> really? How interesting. He pressed a button on his intercom. Sending Elgin, he said to the mi- he said to the microphone. He returned. He returned his gaze to Yates. What about the brigadier? Unavailable, sir. Elgin came into the office. You sent for me, sir. Doctor <laughs> Stevens got up. Yes, we. You, will you wait here a moment with Mister Yates? There's something I have to do urgently. He smiled, hurried round his desk. Knelt over and had a big old sh- and left the office, closing the door. Slowly, the room smelled of shit. Elgin! Wait, Yates whispered. Elgin! Yates whispered. Do you know what's their next move? Oh, it's Yates. Oh, it doesn't matter. Next move! Elgin stared vacantly ahead of him. Peace now is out. Yates realised what he had happened. He pulled from his pocket the blue sapphire given him by the doctor. Concentrate on the blue light, Elgin. You look at it, you'll see a glow. Watch carefully. The glowing blue light attracted Elgin's eyes and he stared into it. After a few moments, he reeled back, steadying himself against the desk. Where am I? With me in the director's office. And you're all right now said Yates. What's going to happen? Take over by the boss, Elgin gasped. <gasps> Warn the doctor at four o'clock this afternoon the computer's going to fu- Suddenly the air was filled with electronic shrieks. Elgin clapped his hands to his ears and fell to the carpet. Yates knelt to look at him. Elgin was dead. Oh, <gasps> Yates looked up and now spotted a tiny television eye which had watched his conversation with Elgin. The doctor opened and Dr. Stevens... What? The door opened and the doctor st- and Dr. Stevens entered with two guards. Well, well, Mr. Yates, he said. It seems I just can't depend on you. What a pity. <sighs> and that's it. That's chapter 10. Well, it's all kicking off now, isn't it? Mm. How many have we got left? I think. Uh, right, so we've only got one chapter left. No, hang on, we've got two chapters left. 11 and 12. Uh, but that was chapter 10. A very short one. But there we are. Hmm, Elgin's dead, is he? Hmm. That changes things, doesn't it? Alright. Alright then. Uh, Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. And uh, we'll see you in the next chapter. Or in a blog. Or whatever, you know. Alright then, bye bye. Chapter 11 The Chrysalis. Sergeant Benton drove the jeep at top speed 
through the village. He flashed. Oh, bloody hell. Right, Barrowman. He flashed past the Methodist chapel, changed down a gear to go round the corner of the Working Men's Institute, speeded up as he tore by the main drive leaving, leading to Panorama Chemicals. Oh. Braked hard to avoid the old wall with the big whitewashed letters reading, English go home. <laughs> I know the feeling. Sounded his horn, and as he overtook the milk float with the smashed in front, flashing his headlights at Perry the policeman, who waved frantically to stop him, and finally screeched to a halt outside the nut hutch. Hatch. Nut hatch. I thought it was a nut hutch. Anyway. With delicate care, he lifted the old coal sack that lay on the floor of the jeep and carried it into the house. Now, I can't remember how Benton speaks. Doctor! He bellowed in the hallway. The long-haired ex-colonel, in a caftan and beads, looked out from the living room. Oh, God's sake. There's another character now, isn't there? They're in uh, the professor's laboratory, he said. Do you mind making less noise? Hang on, he's speaking. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm composing a poem for peace. A poem for peace. Oh, God. I don't even know what's going on here. Oh, sorry, sir. That's just Joe, isn't it? Benton leaped to attention. Just call me Jeremy, said the ex-colonel, and went back into the living room. Benton marched into the laboratory, where he found the doctor peering into a microscope. The brigadier sat perched on a high school, high school, high stool, eating a sandwich that Nancy had just brought in. I'd swear these are beef, said the brigadier. They're not. Nancy laughed. <laughs> They're exactly the same fungus that you ate last night, but I've cooked it differently. Permission to speak, sir, said Benton, standing in the hallway. No, he wasn't. He was standing in the doorway. He didn't say it from like behind the wall. The brigadier slipped off the high, high, high stool and quickly put his sandwich out of sight. What is it, Sergeant? I've found a maggot for the doctor, sir. He held up an old cold, an old coal sack. It was on the edge of the danger area. Is it dead? The brigadier knew neither bullets, pesticide, nor even napalm had killed any maggots. Not exactly, sir. Hey. Oh, somebody. All oh, right. Okay. Not exactly, sir. Said Benton. May I put it down here? He carried the sack to the workbench and very carefully emptied the maggot from the bag. As the others watched, he turned it over, prodding it with a pencil to reveal that it was a hollow shell slit open on one side. A chrysalis, said the doctor, covering everybody in spit. So they're beginning to change. The brigadier started at the shell. Change into what? Like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly, the doctor said. My guess is whatever's come out of that shell that has wings. Within a matter of hours, they could be all over the country spreading the green death. For some seconds, no one spoke. They were wiping the spit from their face. 
The thought of what might happen was too awful. Then Nancy broke the silence. I've got a food to eat, Sergeant. What? Oh, no, not since breakfast, he replied, his mind still fixed on what the doctor had just said. I'll get you a sandwich now, you gorgeous boy, said Nancy, and went out. What I don't understand, said the brigadier, is why they've all stayed up on that sleep. Instinct, said the doctor. To stay close to the breathing ground until the just fly away. From down the corridor, they heard Nancy scream. Ugh! Sergeant Benton was the first to get to her. She was standing at an open door that led on into led into the ladder. I thought it said a ladder then. The window of the ladder was smashed in with a shower of glass on the floor. Laying on the shelf under the window was a maggot. It was quite dead. The sergeant went forward, cautiously prodded the maggot with his pencil. The doctor and brigadier crowded into the ladder. It's a complete dead maggot, said Benton in awe. Sounded very awesome, didn't he, then? It must have killed itself smashing through the window. Oh, no, sorry. It must have killed itself smashing through the window. I don't think so, said the doctor, inspecting the maggot. There is a bullet from fire. It must have died from something else. Maybe something ate it. Suggested the brigadier. Oh, for God's sake. Maybe something ate it, suggested the brigadier. Nancy pointed to a plate on the shelf shelf next to the maggot. Those sandwiches. Look, it's been at my sandwiches. The maggot's slime was on the plate, freshly cut sandwiches. On the plate of. You need an of there, Malcolm. And the marks. And what? And marks where the maggot had bitten into them. The brigadier put his hand to his stomach. I've just eaten some of that stuff myself. He turned pale. You're not a maggot, said the doctor. In any case, this whole community lives on that fungus stuff. He spoke to Nancy. How much of this fungus have you got? A old pile of it in the old outhouse, she said. Wonderful, said the doctor. We haven't the moment to lose. Yates sat at the floor. No, he didn't. Yates sat on the floor of the empty office where previously he had rescued the doctor. His left ankle was chained to the radiator pipe. He inspected the chain and padlock carefully. There was no possible way to free him. Well, what about the key? Then the door opened and Dr. Stevens entered with two guards. Dr. Stevens smiled. I have been discussing... Oh, hang on, there's no speech marks there. I have been discussing you with my superior, he said. All right, okay, shall I? I've been discussing you with my superior, he said, meaning boss. We have decided on your future. Uh, Yates speaks like Jacob Collier, I think. Uh, Hello, friends. May I be told? Asked Yates. Indeed, yes. You will be the first to be totally processed. Uh, oh, God. 
You make it sound like a compliment, said Yates. What does it entail? You will become a slave, said Dr. Stevens. You will have no mind or will of your own. But, like any well-cared-for animal, you'll be very happy, pal. For a number of hours each day, you'll work, and the rest of the day, you'll eat, sleep, shit, or sing merry songs. And you'll have no... worries about anything. God gave... Oh, oh, God. Hello, friends. God gave man the right of free will, said Yates. True, agreed the director. But it causes so much trouble. Wars, people going on strike for higher wages, all sorts of social problems. We'll create a new order in which everyone will be content. And if they refuse to be content? Yates asked. If, you, if they don't respond to your total processing? Why, let's not, let's not bloody dwell on the impossible, like. He turned to the guards. Bring him along. While Dr. Stevens waited outside, the guards removed the padlock and chain from Yates' ankle, then marched him down the corridor to a lift. Dr. Stevens pressed the lift button. We are doing you a great service, pal, said Dr. Stevens, as they waited for the lift to arrive. Ten minutes from now, I'm telling you now, lad. Ten minutes from now. You will be permanently happy for the rest of your life. Because you'll be no longer able to think. Thinking makes for unhappiness. Don't it, pal? The lift door slid open. Dr. Stevens went in first. Then as the guards were about to push Yates in ahead of them, he hesitated to put his hand to his head. Oh, the pain! He screamed. The pain! He screamed. It's terrible! That's, that's still Yates. The guards looked at him in astonishment. In the moment, loosening their grip on his arms, Yates suddenly suddenly leapt into action, grabbed the two guards and shoved them on top of Stevens in the lift. While the three men thrashed about on the lift floor, he reached round, pressed the button inside the lift, then withdrew just in time as the doors closed. He raced down the corridor, saw a coiled-up fire hose on the end of the... What on earth is going on here? There's just no full stops or anything. Any grandma? He raced down the corridor, saw a coiled-up fire hose on one end of the hose was a big brass nozzle. Now, there's nothing... Okay. He pulled the hose from its reel, used the nozzle to smash the window. Then he paid out the hose. Eh? so that it hung from the window to the open ground below. Brigadier Sergeant Benton and a group of unit soldiers stood at the front of the slag heap as the doctor drove Bessie into the great swarm of maggots. Through his binoculars, the brigadier watched as the maggots snapped at the wheels of the vintage car, and some tried to leap into it to eat the doctor. Good God. The doctor stopped the car, stood up, dipped his hand into a jar of brown powder and cast the fungus over a wide area. At once, the maggots lost interest in the car and fought to get at the fungus on the ground. They're taking the bait, said the brigadier. We might beat them yet. You know the saying, sir, said Sergeant Benton. If you can't beat them, join them, eh? <laughs> the brigadier looked at him. What the fuck are you talking... No, he didn't. 
I find that the worst possible taste. Thank you. The doctor got behind the doctor got back behind the driving wheel and moved Bessie onto another area packed with writhing maggots. Again, he stopped and threw out handfuls of the fungus powder. A ripple ran through a sea of maggots as they wriggled towards the food. But the brigadier's attention was on the point where the doctor had first stopped. The carpet of maggots was now still. He looked through his binoculars. Every maggot had eaten the fungus that was dead. No, every maggot had eaten the fungus and was dead. Every maggot that had eaten the fungus... I can't say it. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean. They're all dead. We've done it! He shouted to the unit soldiers. They're dying off like... Like maggots! <laughs> For the next half an hour, the doctor continued to drive about the slag heap, slaughtering maggots with fungus. Finally, he waved from the top of the heap, started up Bessie again, and drove down the slope. The waiting soldiers cheered. Then the insect flew into view. It was three feet long, had four wings, and a giant antennae protruding from its huge head. The soldiers' quick cheers quickly turned into warning shouts. Not hearing over the distance, the doctor waved at the soldiers. On his first sweep, the flying insect spat bright green venom at the bumping car, hitting the windscreen. The doctor swerved to halt and looked up. The insect wheeled above the doctor, then turned for another attack. Get the rifles, ordered the brigadier. Two soldiers hurried into a nearby van, which contained unit equipment and arms. wonder where the rest of the soldiers was then, if it was just their arms. Anyway, the doctor ripped off his flowing cloak and stood up on the back seat of his car. He held out the cape at arm's length. Good grief, explained the brigadier. What does he think he's playing at? Bullfighting? The two soldiers hurried forward with rifles, took up kneeling positions. Ready, sir. Well then, free fire, ordered the brigadier, meaning it was up to the soldiers to decide when they could... Yeah, we know what that means. The insect... <coughs> the insect swept in again to attack. Then it seemed to be curious about the doctor's cloak, and it hovered in midair. The doctor gently shook the cloak to entice the insect to attack. The two marksmen carefully aimed... No, they didn't. They took careful aim of the hovering insect and both fired simultaneously. Instantly, the insect flew up into the air, disturbed by the noise. The doctor turned to the unit soldiers, raised his fist and shook it angrily. I fear he doesn't want our help, said the brigadier. Hold your fire, lads. Again, the doctor took up a stance, trying to entice the insect with his cloak. The insect remained hovering high above Bessie, then... All at once, it swept down for another attack. The doctor gently shook the cloak. The insect, attracted by the moving object, flew straight at the cloak, spitting its venom. The doctor held his position until the last moment, then threw the cloak over the attacking monster. The brigadier and his men raced up the slope of the slag heap. By the time they'd reached the doctor, he was gently lifting the coat from where the insect lay. It was absolutely still, its neck broken. What a beautiful creature, 
said the doctor. It was trying to kill you, said the brigadier. The doctor rather sadly got back into Bessie. And we were trying to kill it, brigadier. He looked up at the slope of the mass of dead maggots. Wherever they were, they thought they had the right to live. He started Bessie's engine and slowly drove away from the scene of the carnage. You know, said Sergeant Benton, I'll never understand the doctor. He's always so sorry in the end for the horrible creatures we come across. It isn't human. You're forgetting, said the brigadier. He isn't, pal. The doctor looked at the green stain on Professor Jones's neck. It had spread considerably, and the professor's condition was much weaker. You say he was delirious? he asked. Aye, for a little while, Nancy answered. Sorry. No, yeah, that's right. Standing by the bed. Then he went into like this sort of coma thing. Could you make out, out anything that he said? Joe shook her out. <laughs> it was Joe. No, nothing. His eyes were reddened with crying. The doctor straightened up. Well, we have to hope there's some serendipity of our own. A happy accident. He turned to go. I shall be in the professor's laboratory. Just a minute, said Joe. That word. Serendipity. I... I... I had an accident in the lab and knocked over some powder onto the slice and he wasn't very happy about it. The doctor was suddenly excited. Can you show me the powder? Of course. Then show me, quickly. He raced off to the laboratory. Joe, close on his heels. And there you go. That's chapter 11. I read that very poorly. Very poor. So we're nearly there. Thank you as ever to our patrons. At the moment, it is Rob, Sonia and Mark. Thank you so much. It means an awful lot to us. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. And as our current patrons, you get to vote on which story we're going to be doing next in the Reading Club. So what we'll do, we'll chuck a little poll up on Twitter. Uh, uh, not on Twitter. On Hello. Hello. Good, good evening, evening and, and welcome, welcome to Reading Club. And it's the last chapter of this dreadful book. Why are we? The Green Death. First of all, I would like to thank Festival. our... Festival. Festival. I would like to thank our patrons, Mark, Sonia, and Rob. It is very much appreciated. Sonia, Mark, Mark and Rob. Rob. Or Rob, Sonia, and Mark. All six of them. All six of them. Doesn't matter one. Yeah, you've done that joke, haven't you? Right then. We're on chapter 12. Last one of the book, everyone. Look. Yeah, like one. Chapter Am I going first or no, I'll go first. A bit of gravitas, you know. Hmm. Chapter twelve. One world. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Chapter twelve. One world. One people. One boss. Wow. What? Wow. You can't see it. Using great thongs to mm. lift the maggots. Thongs. Oh, that says... Oh, you misspelled it. What does that say at the top? Top line. Yeah, it's thongs. It does, definitely says thongs. Something else was on Malcolm's ma- mind. <laughs> 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 
What's the house wang? God, it's hard. Using great. Oh, should I put them. Do you reckon. Right. No, don't, because it'll. No. Let's see what happens, right? It's 30 degrees in this room. Drop the lat. Right. It's 30 degrees in this room. Have You're you paying put, for have this you content. Have called your TV something yet? No, not yet. Just Brenda. Brenda. Big Brenda. Now, is that annoying or not, everyone? You can cope it's with that, nice can you, all the way? It is nice. You could cope with that all the way through it, couldn't you? Uh. Need the big one. Do you want me to get the big one? Is that alright? No, it's going to be annoying. What if I put it further away? Put it over there. Put a towel on it or something. Put, yeah, cover it and then... Is that okay? Right. Chapter 12. Ooh. Can you hear me over the jet? Chapter 12. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Chapter 12. One world, one people... One boss. One ball. One ball. <laughs> One eunuch. A uniball. Using great thongs <laughs> to lift the maggots, unit soldiers were putting the ca- carcasses into... Yeah. I can't see. Could you switch the light on? That's going to give off a bad vibe, though, isn't it? Bad vibes. Wow. <laughs> you don't need it for this. Don't yeah, we? it's like we're reading it in a lab. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay. Using great thongs to lift the maggots, unit soldiers were putting the carcasses into sacks to clear the slag heap. That's a lot of uh, innuendo, though. It is. Mm. Sergeant Benson came up to the brigadier and saluted. Almost finished, sir, he grinned. Should be able to get back to London pretty soon. Is that how I read it? Is that why you're saying saying all that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. I'm done with this book, anyway. Why? Asked the brigadier. Doesn't the local beer suit you? If you think about it, sir, said Benton, deferentially. Oh, big word. None of the men have had a moment to taste... This is just me. He's just talking like me. Me. He's just talking like (laughs) me. (laughs) It's probably more me. None of the men have had a moment to taste any yet. It's okay. We shall have to go when we've sorted out panorama chemicals, dot, dot, dot. The brigadier's words tailed... Oh. We shall have to go when we've sorted out panorama chemicals. The brigadier's words tailed off as he saw Yates running towards them. Yates, Yates. Jacob Collier. Sir. Sir. Shouted Yates. Sir. Shouted Yates. He ran up to the brigadier. The, 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 the computer, sir. No, no, hello. Hello, friends. <laughs> the computer, sir. Baseline. He was out of breath and could hardly get the words out. No. It's, it's going to make slaves of everyone, sir. Come on. Come on, said the brigadier, helping Yates into his jeep. Catch your, catch your breath, then explain it all to the doctor. It makes me yawn when I do the Brigadier's voice. He's speaking very loudly as well. Am I? No. Oh, sorry. Catch your breath, then explain it to the doctor. When they arrived at the nut hatch, they found the doctor busily working on Professor Jones's slides. Mm. Working busy. Working busy. They found the calculations. Yates explained what he had discovered on his return to Panorama Center Chemicals. 
Come on. Is this Yates? Whatever's going to do, Doctor, he concluded. It's going to happen at four o'clock today. The brigadier looked at his watch. By Jove, we'd better get there right away. Are you ready, Doctor Pal? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as soon as I've finished this, said the doctor, still working. Nancy asked, What is it you're doing exactly? Making an acu- 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 Aquarius? Accuse? Accuse? Ac- 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 <laughs> of the faction of this fungus, the doctor replied. <laughs> for an injection for precision. I can do that, Nancy smiled. I'm not only a mum. Here you know. Great, said the doctor. He turned to Joe. You make a pace with some more of this fungus powder and apply it to the green stain on Cliff's neck. <laughs> I might you don't knock anything about that. Doctor, Joe protested. If I hadn't knocked over the powder on the two fox sides... But the doctor had already hurried out, followed by the brigadier. Well, a saliva today. Mm. Yates smiled at Joe. Do- Yates... Collier. Mm-hmm. Hello, friends. Do you ever feel he doesn't appreciate you? Joe nodded. Frequently. <laughs> Dropped the balls midway through. <laughs> <laughs> Frequently. She continued to make the paste. In the room, at the top of the pano- uh, at the top of the panorama building, Doctor Stevens was being a ban a bo- ad- admo- being admonished. Admonished. I've never heard that word. Admonished by boss. Should we just Google what it means? No, I can't be asked. I'm not sure Malcolm knows what it means. Not only are you a fool, but... Oh, no. How did I do boss? I did it with... Uh, I kept changing the voice. I kept changing the like voice. Making it higher and higher oh. every time. Not only are you a fool, boss told him, you are an in- 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 inefficient fool. <laughs> he can't say it. <laughs> As Oscar Wilde so nearly said, to lose one prisoner... Maybe accounted a misfortune to lose two smacks of carelessness. Oh, that's the quote. I am very sorry, said Dr. Stevens. Are we still going ahead? Naturally, said the boss. Report, please. The medical staff had have, have had completed all implications, said Dr. Oh, fuck's sake. The medical staff have completed all implications, said Dr. Stevens. The slave units are ready to be activated. Then the countdown to phase one can begin, said Boss. Establish links with the seven international computers. Yes, said Dr. Stevens. Don't you feel happy, my little Superman, said Boss. Very happy, replied Dr. Stevens, although there was no hint of happiness in his voice. No. Just imagine, said Boss. Orville. <laughs> no. That's Orville. magic. You are my very best friend. I no, wish I could fly right up, up to the sky, but I can't. can't. Oh, you, you can. can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I can't. She's dead now. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? That's not. Go, go on. Not left, so does it? You can. Butlins, Pontins, or. Uh... Pontins for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the other one. Centre perks. Holland, uh, uh, oh, that's annoying, that, isn't it? Ha, ha. What's it called? It begins with an H. Uh, Haven. That's Haven. It. Haven. 
You're a Pontins bloke, are you? I'm a Pontins lad, through and through. God, I'm an heart attack. Just imagine, said Boss. So what's the difference between Boss and Joe? Uh, don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Very soon, everyone will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> you do want everyone to be happy, don't you? What? <laughs> oh, homie! <laughs> Dr. Stevens looked up... Dr. Stevens looked up the room towards the giant computer. Mm. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I can't see it. For a loyal... No, for a disloyal moment, he imagined himself walking free in those mountains that he so often looked at from his office window. Then he gave the reply. He hoped would please Boss. I want everyone to be happy, lad. <laughs> Good, said Boss. As from tomorrow, the whole world will be united for one first time in history. One world, one people, one, one ball. boss. Oh. One ball. Oh, God. Dr. Stevens remembered as a little boy tuning his father's radio into a Nazi station. What? And hearing Adolf Hitler screaming hysterically, oh, for God's sake. What? Ein Reich, Ein Volk, Ein oh, You've Führer. got to do the voice. Oh, You're God's only mimicking sake. Hitler, you can do this. Here we go. No one's going to complain about, you can't do the personage of Hitler. It's in the book. It doesn't say like with an asterisk, like right. you must, must be meant by Hitler. Just, I'm just finding him. Windows wide open. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm Reich! I'm Falk! I'm Führer! <laughs> You're going to do the hands. <laughs> no, it's Hitler's one's like quite flaccid. Flat. Have you ever seen it when he's in his car? Yeah, yeah. They say he had Parkinson's, don't they? Oh, oh poor man. Poor man. Happens <laughs> to the best of them. Fucking <laughs> hell. Nah, he's all right. <laughs> I reckon... Um, Just uh, misunderstood, misunderstood, wasn't he? I reckon uh, Hitler's a haven bloke. Uh, I don't know. I reckon he likes to muck in. Bontins? No, butlins. 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 I thought butlins was like top tier. And then everything else is like... Is well, that I, not don't true? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right, well, before the, the Domino's man who's just gone next door reports us to the police for KKK meetings upstairs. They're doing something funny there, yeah. No funnier than what they're doing next door. <laughs> I shall now commence with the countdown. <sighs> Boring there. He told the com- he told the computer with no noticeable enthusiasm. The doctor and the brigadier arrived at the gates of Panorama Chemicals. Do people just go there and then go away and then Sick go back of there? That word, Panorama Chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> An armed guard came up to them. Sorry, gentlemen. Fucking hell. <laughs> He's got a Glock in his hand the, all the, the time. Hills, the hills have eyes. The hills do have eyes. Sorry, gentlemen, he said. No you can see when I'm talking to you. <laughs> my eyes in my palm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one's allowed in this area. Piss out me, toes. Yeah. Uh, I got a will you be Joe. You have. You have. Why's that will you on your toe? <laughs> You have no authority to impede us, 
said the brigadier. Oh, yes, I am, said the guard. Yes. He raised his gun. Fucking hell. Chuck your revolver, sir, and you're bloody dead. <laughs> now look here. No. Now look here, my dear fellow, said the doctor. All he wanted a discussion with your director. <laughs> a sudden strange electronical sound filled the air. It came from the building. It had no effect on the doctor. No, no, no. <laughs> what? It had no effect on the doctor. Oh, right, okay, it was just shock, wasn't it? You're not, you're not reading it, are you? It had no... You're reading it, but you're not. Nothing's going in. It had no effect on the doctor and the brigadier, but instantly the guard dropped his gun and stood to attention. The sound only lasted a few moments, but the guard remained as still as wax work. Mm. The doctor clicked his fingers in front of the guard's eyes. <coughs> it's your turn, he said. No. <laughs> Does it a lot? I know. Because I'm so big. Uh, what page? One the next seven. one. Is it? Some sort of paralysis, asked the brigadier. No, I, 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 I need to nail these uh, impressions with the doctor. Good luck with the next book. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> right. I have no idea, said the doctor. But it's jolly convenient for us. You stay here. I'm going. If I'm not out by three minutes to four o'clock, it means I'm dead. You and your soldiers can try to destroy that computer if possible. <laughs> Phase one countdown completed, reported Dr. Stevens. Excellent! That's just Joe. Excellent, said Boss. Activate the total processing of the slave elite. Sounds like a Karen and co-op, doesn't it? Uh, Dr. Stevens moved slowly to the console of controls. He pressed the special red button, put it in his... <laughs> he pressed the... <laughs> he pressed the special red button that would send an electronic signal humming through the building and grounds. The end. Guards and staff who had been partially brainwashed would now lose their free will completely, becoming little more than robots. Enough, said the said boss. Dr. Stevens removed his finger from his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Stevens removed his finger from the button. He knew that all over the building and grounds, panorama personnel would be standing to attention like wax works. He turned to the computer. First stage of total processing accomplished, he said. <laughs> Accomplish. <laughs> you realise that until the final link-up takes place and the slaves respond, we are quite defenceless. <laughs> I realise everything, said Boss. All right. <laughs> That's Joe. I know, I can't, I don't know how, I don't really know how to do this. I realise everything, said Boss. All right, thanks too. Wait, no. Discontinue oh. <laughs> primary function, connect, connect, Ooh. Dr. Stevens adjusted a number of controls. So much saliva tonight, I don't know why. Then put the big metal helmet up his <laughs> on his head and sat down. He Have you ever sat on a traffic cone? Asked Dr. Stevens. <laughs> it gets quite hard in the end. It's not bad until you get about halfway. 
He plunged. <laughs> no, he plugged in the lead from the helmet to an outlet in the wall. Whoa. And now, Whoa. said Boss, you and I shall become one. It's rather like a marriage. When oh. to become one. It's rather like a marriage, don't you think? <laughs> Daffy Duck. Hardly, replied Dr. Stevens. Really? You have <laughs> no sense of humour. Don't you... Too young to go. It's rabbit season. It's not me. Uh... Really? You have no sense of humour. Don't you think oh. I'm a little wedding music would be nice i am ready for you to go ahead said dr stevens you're on that one. Oh, that's right. very close to the end now we're nearly there we're nearly there oh my god it's so exciting i'm so excited i haven't read a book in a long time and technically i still haven't <laughs> none of it's gone in <laughs> boss hummed a... no he didn't all oh, right okay boss hummed a snatch from Mendelssohn's Wedding March. What? <laughs> Soldiers come home. <laughs> Doctor Stevens, do you take this computer to be your lawful wedding boss? <laughs> Dr. Stevens did not answer. Oh, all right then, said Boss, petulantly. Oh. I, uh, I thought I was going to mess that up. Two can play that. No. Two. No. Two can. No. Two can play it. No. Two can play it hard to get, you know. Your bottom lip. Try now. Two can play it hard to get, you know. I shall now complete the attention. No. Maybe just let them loose. Let them loose. I shall now complete the activation. An electronic hum started to fill the room. The lift doors opened and the doctor entered. It stopped now. Dr. Stevens. I presume. I must talk to you. You have to... Time had started to slow. You have to stop all of this. Hello, Doctor, said the boss. Do you know any cars are impediment by Dr. Stevens and all the people on Earth shouldn't be my slaves? Dr. Stevens, the Doctor implored, you must listen to me. Not trying. <laughs> <laughs> Stevens no longer exists, said the computer. Oh. Four minutes from now, my power will be extended to the se- uh, to seven other complexes throughout the world. One world, one boss. No, one world, one people. One boss. One boss. The doctor, uh, the doctor produced the sapphire and held it in front of Dr. Stevens' eyes. 
Look at this, Stevens. Watch it carefully. Fucking hell. Dr. Stevens stared at the sapphire. Whoa, whoa, then his whoa, lips... whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Then his lips moved, but now he spoke in a metallic voice of boss. I must concentrate on the task in hand. Concentrate on the sapphire, Fucking said hell. the doctor. Don't let the computer control you, man. Pardon, said Stevens. Look at the stone. You should be the one in control. It's only a machine. Look at the stone. The sapphire started to glow a brilliant blue. (laughs) Dr. Stevens' eye flickered. The light coming from the stone increased in intensity. (laughs) Doctor. Dr. Stevens spoke in his own voice. No! <laughs> no! The voice of Boss spoke with a scream. I'm the one who speaks. Think you've got a great plan, Stevens. It's our dream. Everyone will be happy, you little shit. You and I are now one! Boss's voice changed, isn't it? He's angry now, though. Isn't oh, okay. No! Said Dr. Stevens, struggling to remove, to, to remove from the grate. <laughs> right, uh. Uh, oh, so close. We got three more pages. Helmet. <laughs> Struggling to remove the great helmet. Um, there must be another way. People must have free will. Never. Street boss. Fucking hell. It's horrible, like, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> got a headache already. It's funny though, isn't it? It makes them sad. They. I can't be asked doing a voice, but we're so close. How did you? It makes them sad. They want order and obedience, Stevens. I shall order and they will be obedient. You cunt. Dr. Stevens finally pulled off the helmet. He looked up at the doctor, pulled his cat, <laughs> <laughs> and blew his load across the room. <laughs> he looked up at doc- the, doc- the doctor. Uh, get out of here. Quick, Lee. Quick, who's Lee? <laughs> Quick Quickly. Lee. <laughs> Another character. You you must come with me, said the doctor. No, no, I'm cross-feeding. The generator's circuitry. In two minutes, the whole place will blow up. Warn the others, get out. You had two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he speaks like he's the presenter on like, the keyboard. Um, you have two minutes. Reverse pulse cried boss. Loss of control. Stevens into great booster function. We've been such good friends, Stevens. <laughs> you mustn't let me down. As the doctor watched helplessly, helplessly. so much saliva, Dr. Stevens activate, activated controls as ordered by the computer. Tears streamed down the man's face as he tried to fight some overwhelming internal conflict. The computer's voice turned into a continuous high-pitched scream as it pleaded with Dr. Stevens. (laughs) I thought you were going to do it. (laughs) Stevens, please! It hurts! My circuits are on fire! Stevens, you are... Oh, Stevens... Oh, I can't be arsed. 
Steven, you are my friend, my friend, my friend. Suddenly, Dot Steven sank to the floor, weeping. Oh, no. <laughs> you were the only thing I could ever really trust. To rust. He moaned, addressing the computer. And now, I have done this terrible thing. We shall die together. The two of us. He rocked to and fro, pulled his... (laughs) (laughs) Once again, blew his load across the room. He He rocked to and fro as the tears glistened down his cheeks. The doctor looked on, wondering if he should lift Stephen's bodily and carry him to safety. It says bodily, I'm guessing body. But he thought better of it, so leave him there. Perhaps it was kinder to leave Dr. Stevens to die with the computer, <laughs> the only friend <laughs> he had ever tre- trusted. The doctor went, can you have a friend that you don't trust? Is that a real? I don't know. The doctor went into the lift to make his escape. The brigadier looked at his watch. Right. He addressed the unit troops. Now we go into pause. <laughs> As they started to move... Oh, it's this next page. All right, okay. The brigadier looked at his watch. Right. He addressed the unit troops. Now. <laughs> now. Voice <Boy's> broke. <laughs> the brigadier's balls dropped to the floor <laughs> like sacks of spuds. <laughs> no. No. We go in. No. Okay. Now, we go in. In force. <laughs> As they started to move towards the Panorama Chemicals building, the doctor came running from the main entrance. Everybody down! Shouted the doctor. Take cover! The unit soldiers threw themselves to the ground. A moment later, the entire building exploded in a gigantic fireball. Enemy UAV inbound. <laughs> the doctor got to his feet, followed by the others. What a waste, he said, regarding the wreck of the huge building. Much of it was still burning. Shall I send for the fire brigade? asked Sergeant Benton. The doctor shook his head. No, let it burn. No. No, let it burn. I wonder how many slaves and semi-slaves died in it. We've still got this guard, fellow, said the brigadier. He indicated the guard who had stopped the doctor before electronic sound had turned him into a wax work. The man was sitting up now, rubbing his head. How do you feel? What's <laughs> <laughs> better now, thanks. <laughs> Solid. Solid as a rock. <laughs> How do you feel? Asked the doctor. The guard looked up. Well, I'm right. The doctor smiled. Where do you think you should be? Wild ends in Birmingham. 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 Wild ends in Birmingham, the man said. I used to drive a bus. How did I get here? The doctor watched as Professor Jones finished his bowl of fungus soup. The antidote he had worked. No, the antidote had worked. And the green patch on the professor's neck had totally disappeared. He's really feeling better now. No, Joe's still there. Said Joe cheerfully. Let the poor man speak for himself, you stupid bitch. <laughs> said the doctor. The doctor smiled. He turned to Nancy. Got any of that soup for me? 
I'm famished. Sorry, said Nancy. The unit troops have stuffed a lot. <laughs> Wait, no, you are. No, you have, haven't you? Oh, I get the last page. Here we go. Hang tight, everyone. Too bad. Well, Joe, time to go. We've got to report to Unit HQ in London, you bitch. <laughs> Joe looked at Cliff. Wow. Then to the doctor. Uh, I don't think I'll be going back yet, doctor. You want to stay on here a bit longer? Not, a, not here exactly, Joe said. She didn't know quite how to break the news to the doctor. Uh... Cliff is setting up an expedition. <laughs> Cliff is setting up an expedition to go to the upper reaches of the Amazon, and he asked me to go with him. You can't. Really? Said the doctor, trying to seem pleased. When? Very soon. Now. What? Said the professor. Oh, said the professor. Professor who? Jones. Very soon now, said the professor. It's all fixed. We'll stop in Cardiff to get our supplies and get married. And then we'll be on our way. Mm. Oh, it's Professor... Cl- what Walsh. happened to the South, South African? He died, didn't he? Yeah, right at the beginning. It wasn't. It was like mid uh, uh, the doctor, uh The doctor looked at Joe's fair hair and pretty face. He pulled it. Uh, they had travelled a great deal together Unzipped. through time and space, and he had learnt to love her very dearly. Mm. He found it difficult. <laughs> he spent many, many nights. He found it difficult. Banging one out. <laughs> he found it difficult to accept in his heart that he might never see her. Heart? It says heart, not heart. Mm. Uh, that he might never see her again. There was a sudden stiffness. <laughs> there was a sudden stuffiness. You felt his, his trousers nose, tighten. And he knew that his eyes were glistening. Oh. That's wonderful, he said. I hope... Clenching his fist. <laughs> I hope you will be both be very happy. Now, excuse me. I really must be very... Back to London. <laughs> Running his TARDIS. <laughs> He got out. He got out of the bedroom just before a large, wet tear cascaded down his seven hundred and twenty-five-year-old cheeks. Landed on his throbbing knob. <laughs> Slowly, he went down the stairs, got into his car, Bessie, and drove away. Oh. And that's the Green Death. I can burn that. Oh, there you go. Do you reckon you'll ever read that again one day? Or no. You'll ever read that again one day? Um, mm, well, we've done it, haven't we? I thought it was terrible. It wasn't terrible. There's a lot of spelling mistakes in there as yeah. well. I mean, and we're not the best readers. No. Be the first to admit that. I'm better than when I started, though. Oh, yeah. Um, It was just boring. <laughs> Nothing happened. Well, we finished it. So uh, yeah. next week... I'm excited for the next one. Yeah. So next week, we're going to be making a start on our new target novelization, which is, drumroll, The Five Doctors and the 37 other supporting cast members of Monsters. So there's, a, there's an opportunity for us to try out some monster voices. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, 
Oh, yeah. I'll get a template loaded up for that once we've figured out how to make them, and then uh, we'll do that. Okay. And there we go. So, yeah, yeah that was the Green Death. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. We might stitch them all together and make one massive audiobook version. Oh, yeah. Might stick that out on the normal feed sort That'd of thing cool. or something. Don't know. See what happens. <laughs> You can send in your feedback, comments and suggestions by contacting us on Twitter at WhoCanConvince, email us at mail at wccy.co.uk or visit www.wccy.co.uk. Be sure to leave the podcast a rating and a review on your podcast platform. For bonus content and access to the podcast Discord server, consider supporting us on Ko-fi. You can find all the links and information on the WCCY website. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your support. Thank you.